a hidden microphone inside the offices of Square Enix recorded this conversation. So, we've got to remake another older game, but we're out of easy port. How about FF6? Is it sufficiently edgy and extreme? Well, heck yeah! You suplex a tray! Oh, most definitely. There's a ninja with an attack dog. Sure is! A guy hacks people apart with a chainsaw. Absolutely, a two-faced monster literally blows people away. No doubt. I mean, a guy more psychotic than the Joker murders people just for fun. Uh, I don't think any of those things are as extreme as a guy with a giant sword. That's it. My next remake target is decided. Your backlog, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the RPG Backtrack, its continuing mission to explore games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear, to seek out forgotten games and neglected classics, to boldly discuss what you have not played before. RPG Backtrack, the longest-running podcast about your favorite RPGs of the past. Get ready for in-depth discussion of plots, characters, gameplay, and more from the staff of RPGamer.com. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Bill Willis and Mike Minky. And this is it, boys and girls, the one you have been waiting for. This is RPG Backtrack, a number 200. I'm Phil, and this is Mr. Mike Minky. I'm here. Um, and we're not alone. Not we're, even close. Not we're not time. even alone because we today, today, I am so excited. It's our 200 episodes. We got giveaways. We got surprises. We got a new intro. And because it's Final Fantasy VI, we've got six people, if we count Mike and we don't count me. So, <laughs> I guess that makes sense. We got Miss Cassandra. Hello, everybody. We got, uh, we got, we got, we got Mr. Matt. Hey, how are you guys doing? We got, we got, we got... Uh-oh. I totally draw Blake. Oh my gosh. I got somebody else here. I got Pascal! I got Pascal! We will Who has not, not been on the backpack before? He, 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 you sure? Not I thought he was... Well, he was there like a long time ago? Yeah, a couple of years ago. Okay. I was going to have Phil do the whole interview spiel, but... <laughs> yeah, my, my memory has been... I'm getting old, people. Yeah, I figured you would try. I, you know what? I'm not sure if you were maybe not on that time. Have we ever missed one? Uh, there were a few. Couple, yeah. But I also don't remember. Yeah, it was. But it's been so long. I don't. I don't blame you for not remembering. Wait, wait. We got Kelly. I'm glad that we're going with six people instead of the English three. Oh my gosh! Wait a minute. It is six if I count me. That's six. Oh my god! I can't do math while I'm drinking. Work for the counting, Phil. I've been drinking. (laughs) 
I had a rough drive home today and I had to calm my nerves, so I'm going to drink a little bit. But it's all cool because we got six people to talk about Final Fantasy VI. You, you cool. could have, you know, your drive home could have been like the opening of Darsh, where you <laughs> kind of slowly go through the snowfield with that beautiful music playing. Oh, there is nothing beautiful about my drive here. Oh, no. no. I, I think Phil is happy that his car is not a convertible, which was stuck in the converted mode. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was slipping and sliding, people sliding in front of me because it's snow. I'm driving from Park City. You can't even see the lines on the road. We're going uphill. People are sliding, sliding off the road, cops everywhere, and doing five miles an hour uphill, hoping you don't stop and fall back, go start going backwards. It was insane, but I survived to come here. We're even missing the State of the Union, the President's State of the Union address, to give you guys the State of the Union of retro gaming, which is to say... It's alive and well, and we're going to talk about today as we celebrate one of our favorite RPGs of all time, Final Fantasy VI. We have the new CRPG Club segment. We got a very long final lap. We've got it all today. It's it's just awesome. It's RPG Backtrack number two hundred. Yay! You know, I'm going to make a fearful, a fearless prediction that there will not be any mentions of Final Fantasy VI at the State of the Union. Yeah, that's right. That's why you guys got to come here for your state of the union of how awesome retro gaming is. Retro RP gaming. Yeah. I've got to be honest. I'd rather listen to Kefka give a speech. You sound like people from a self-help booklet. Hey, at least he's very straightforward, right? We're going to talk that's about right. it, but he is very straightforward. There's no, there's no, yeah, there's and no. Hey, he, he likes to laugh. You can't take that away from the guy. That's right. Uh, no, no. But, uh, you know, welcome to uh, your 200th episode of your favorite podcast. Where we talk about the games from the way back and right up through yesteryear. And, hey, as I put in that introduction, I'm pretty sure we are, we have to be at this point, the longest running podcast, uh, probably the most numerous podcast that talks about retro role-playing games on the computer and consoles. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to keep that introduction there until somebody proves me otherwise. Anywho, uh, we're going to take, we got to get this going because we've got so much to talk about. Uh, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with our main event.
Uh, this is uh, the main event where we take a game or a series game and dive into all of its juicy entrails. In this case, we will only be taking one game, and that game is Final Fantasy VI, unless, of course, you bought it like I did in a box that said Final Fantasy III uh, back in the days. Uh, this was developed by Square, published by Square, uh, released on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System on April 2nd, 1994. A single-player RPG experience. You could say it's multiplayer if you get, you had the, an option there with the second joystick for someone to kind of join. No one ever did. Come on, let's. Uh, okay, maybe somebody did. I didn't. Well, I, that that didn't Final Fantasy Five have controller. That also? Yeah, you can have like a single player with the controller, and they could control. Yeah. yeah, they can help you out in combat and stuff. Control some we of the didn't characters. Yes, the yes version of that one. Yeah, I just it's not something. It says multiplayer on here. That would be your multiplayer version if you want to have somebody <laughs> else. Limiting system. I know. Back in the Gold Box, in playing Gold Box D&D games, we would actually, that was played on the Commodore with an Atari joystick, and we would actually give it around the table as it was each person's turn as they were playing their character. But uh, I digress. Final Fantasy VI. Oh my gosh, we got so much to talk about here, so we're going to take a slightly different approach. Uh, especially since we have six people want to give everybody some opportunity to, to share some of their memories because there's so much emotion tied with this game. So we're going to do a, a bit of a roundtable to start off with and discuss how we found out. When when was the first, you know, what was that first impression? You know, the first impressions are so important and you don't get a second chance to make them. But what was your first impression? How did you first hear about Final Fantasy VI? And what was his first impression on you? Maybe through its marketing or whatever, your first few hours of playing. And, uh, and 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 I'm just going to go off the list I have here in Discord. Uh, with start off with I believe that's Miss Kelly's icon. That's that I see. So go ahead. Okay. Well, um, I, I want to say I was about 13 or 14 years old. Um, probably around summer of like 1995, 1996, give or take. I can't remember the exact year. I just know that. The game had been out for a little while, and the PlayStation was kind of right around the corner, and this was when I first started to be, like, really into RPGs. And summer at that age was kind of hard for me, because I was obviously too old for, like, daycare or anything like that, but too young to really go do anything fun, so my summers were, like, mostly just staying by myself in my house. And I, because of it, I ended up playing with a lot of neighbor kids who was who were a little bit younger than me, but they had a Super Nintendo. And, you know, we would trade games back and forth all summer because we, we were both bored, bored like crazy. And I remember that they having the Final Fantasy games and me bringing, you know, I brought home Final Fantasy 4 and I liked that one, but I could, the story really didn't impact me much with that one. I mean, I know, I know the story of that one's kind of deep, but it didn't resonate as well. So then I borrowed um, Final Fantasy 3 and I just couldn't put it down. Um, I, I, you know, g- going through all the characters' stories like that, and the game really left an impression on me. And I remember borrowing the strategy guide from a friend and, and in my freshman year in high school, just, you know, reading that strategy guide, like, um, cover to cover in between classes and getting home and, and pl- playing through the game and stuff like that. And that was the first time in my life that a game actually made me cry several times. And yeah, I, I also remember seeing the commercials with the Moogles, uh, with the Moogle doing auditions and stuff like that. But really, I, I found out about the game via a uh, neighbor kid and borrowed it and just, you know, the, the game kind of changed my life from there. Cool. 
how about how about how about how about you, Mister Pascal? Um. Okay. Sure. My uh. Yeah. My story is kind of starts like Kelly's, like in uh. I think like '94, but um. But when the game actually came out, so I must have uh. Maybe like a a year or two on on Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um. In in age, so it was in um, um and just before the uh, game came out, I remember uh, reading um g- a game magazine. I think it was um a magazine called Edge. If anybody remembers that, yep, I do. And I do remember it. Um and there was a a print ad, so I was not familiar uh with RPGs at the time, and and just really at that time, you know, um, you didn't have a ton of games regardless that not like today where you can have easy access and um because our you know i think for most of us our parents weren't gamers that was they were the generation before that so we didn't have that to help us out so uh my first experience within the first time i ever heard about it was a print ad which had which was a um a double a double page spread um of a bunch of the different monsters in final fantasy 3 um but like um like artistic representations of them and all uh piled together and they looked vicious and mean and they were uh they were meant to look as evil as possible and they filled up two whole pages and um and the caption said uh two's company then you turn the page and on the next page it was completely uh white with just a small version of mog in the center and i remember that ad yeah, yeah really? but I do too. Awesome. Uh, and the, and so and that page said uh three's a crowd. And that tied in with Final Fantasy three, obviously. I think there might have been like a small picture of the box or the logo or something. Um and it and it kind of implied like I, I, I so I didn't know anything about Final Fantasy or RPGs in general. I didn't know who Mog was, I didn't know what a Moogle was, but it implied this creature is against this pile of monsters, you know. And that isn't really what the game that turns out to be a little bit maybe, um, but something about it. I can't even. I really don't know what, but I decided I needed it. I wanted it. Um, I had just probably recently had a had gotten um, the, a Super Nintendo, and I think at the time I might have had Mario and Zelda, which is uh, you know a great start for the Super Nintendo oh, yeah. already. But um, I, you know that was I didn't have uh, anything else to really uh, play, so. I I did chores around the house to uh to earn extra money. I took all my savings and when it came out I bought it and then I mean I don't know. I it, it must be for the next, you know, year or two that's what it was. That was in my uh Super Nintendo and that's all I played probably. And I mean I'm sure we'll talk about that the, the game playing a little bit later, but that's that's what did it. And so it was it was my first what I would consider my first real RPG and still the best one. By far, and I, I forgot to mention that I ended up buying mine at a flea market for thirty bucks. Um, I'm sad that I didn't keep the box. Hmm. Yeah, kind of it is one of the few, one of maybe two or three games that I actually kept the box and and all the inserts for. I still have the manual though. Nice, Mister Matt. Here we go. Um, so I'm a little bit later than y'all. I was in college. I was tutoring some kid turned to me and he's like, you ever play your Super Nintendo? And I was like, nah, not really. Um, I had played Dragon Quest 1 through 4 when they came out, or Dragon Warrior 1 through 4 when they came out on the NES. But I was always late. I was a couple years late getting the NES and I was got the SNES late. And when I went off to college, I went with basically like Madden 96 and um, 
the seventh saga, which was made by Enix. That I I was so involved, I double majored. I was so busy tutoring and working jobs too, and just didn't really have a lot of time for gaming. And towards the end, I think it was my junior year, and I was going to stick around in town for the summer and not have much to do. And um, one of the kids that I was tutoring was talking about emulating games on the computer, and I was like, oh, thing. you can't play Super Nintendo games on the computer. So well, not, uh, with, not with Nintendo's approval. <laughs> so legally, I was right. In reality, I was not. So uh, I had to get on his computer, and he was playing the original Harvest Moon. I Which is far cheaper to play that way. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right before the, so summer of 99, um, I was like, wow, this is fun. And honestly, I really hadn't played much other than Madden or uh, Saga in the past couple of years. So originally, I'm like, oh, what about Dragon Warrior and um, Quest 5 or 6 over here? And um remembered, oh, I played Final Fantasy 1 for my Nintendo. I wonder if there's any other of them out there. Because I really didn't follow gaming news at all at that point. So... I looked it up, and oh, sure enough, there's a Final Fantasy 2 and 3, and I don't know why I jumped to 3 instead of 2 at the time, and it ended up being this gem. And having really not played anything but the games I'd said, the graphics were amazing. And I clearly like Dragon Quest 4, obviously, but it had that large party. Dragon Warrior 3 or Final Fantasy 1 where, hey, here's four randos, just do that. Um it had a large party, and these people all were fleshed out. Um, struck a little bit of that Dragon Warrior 4 vibe in me, I guess. This whole large group of people going and doing something. I, I as much got to me and everything, but just the whole game as a whole into RPGs. Um, I the Seventh Saga for three years. And maybe Zelda once or twice, if I, I can't remember, I still had it. But that summer of 99, then next year or two, there were some fan translations of Dragon Quest games. And then in 2001, I realized, oh, I could get a PlayStation and play Dragon Warrior 7. And other Final Fantasies have been made. And got the Game Boy Advance and started playing through the entire, um, playing Final Fantasy V and all that. So it, it was kind of a reawakening, I would say. It was just like, wow, these can be pretty, these can be really nice, and was woke me back up to the whole genre. But, but the real question is, did you delete that ROM after 24 hours? Otherwise, it's illegal. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm, I hope Nintendo's legal experts are not listening. Uh, the way they've been lately on, uh, on the internet, you never know. Mr. Mr. Uh, Minky. All right, so I knew about the game in ninety four, ninety five. I remember seeing it get re- game. The Game Pro review actually criticized the graphics, saying oh, there have been better looking things on the Super Nintendo lately. It, it still said it looked good, but it only got a four out of five, not a five out of five with the super red, awesome, excited face like those Game Pro scores you often had. And I remember seeing a whole lot of information about it in Electronic Game Players. So that I managed to learn quite a bit about the game before I ever actually played it, which was in 2001, I want to say. Probably because when I was in high school, I, there was a period where I actually focused mostly on schoolwork and didn't get any new games for a while. I don't know how I ever kept that up for so long, but that's probably why I got straight A's for junior year. And when I finally did play it, yes, I knew 
certain things in advance I knew about if you don't wait for Shadow at the end, then he'll die on the on the island. I knew that you have to get sucked into the Zone Eater in order to find Gogo. I knew about the Emperor. Wait, you can save Shadow? Well, how come no one told me that? Oh, come on! Are you serious? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can. Gosh, man. Damn it. All right, go ahead. <laughs> and then when you I finally did... again right now. <laughs> yes. You didn't know you could have Shadow in the World of Ruins? Apparently not. It's called the world of ruin, unless there was some no. sacrifice. It, it didn't, make, you know. I just, I thought it was part of the story. Good going, Mike. Hey, no, no I one ever had Shadow die. No one I told him he could die. I mean, no one told him about, about that. No one told him about Sid. What, what, uh, what, yeah, what I, I about Sid? He had a peaceful. He had a peaceful death. God rest yeah, his soul. Sid never made it with me. He <laughs> died every time. I, yeah, I, I didn't know about that one either. <laughs> He died most times, but once I was able to find enough fish to keep him alive. It's possible. Yes, yes. it is. All so right. I finally did play it in either the spring or the summer of 2001. I got incredibly absorbed in it, blew through it pretty fast, and then I actually shared it with a couple of other people whom I was attending college with at the time, and I remember one of them wrote back to me, I I think this game might control the world in some way. It's that good. It's scary how good it is. Mm -hmm. And that was my first time. I played it again a couple of times on the Super Nintendo later. Then I played it on the GBA rendition. And I distinctly remember that because I was still working retail at the time. And it was a very fun way to expend my breaks rather than contemplating, is this really where I am with my life? (laughs) And that is the most recent time I've played it, but I have played it enough to have it pretty well lodged in my brain. So, that's my experience. Miss Cassandra. Uh, yes, so I've also played it late, uh, later in life, and not I, I've never had an SNES. Um, I, 1994, I, I didn't even own any consoles until the end, six, Nintendo 64. Um, and had just found out about it through, like, you know, gaming osmosis, I suppose, magazines, on the internet. I've heard that it was, you know, arguably the best Final Fantasy, arguably one of the best RPGs ever, arguably one of the best video games ever. Seemed a little excessive, but, you know, I thought, okay, I kept it in mind. And I heard about the Game Boy, you know, the Game Boy Advance versions of the Final Fantasies being released. I pre-ordered Final Fantasy VI, and it, it was released in 2007. I can't remember if I played it immediately or not. So I had played it in 2007, 2008. I would have been 2021. 20, at that point. Yeah, I and, remember it was one of the last big GBA releases. Yes. yes. Very yes. close to the end of GBA's lifestyle, lifespan. Very much. Yeah, DS had already been out for a little while at that point. Uh, so I did play it on, I, be, I believe I, I play, split its time between uh, the, I, I think I had it played on GBA for a while, but eventually got a DS. And I played it a lot on the Game Boy Player for the GameCube, because I, I thought that was a pretty awesome way to play Game Boy and Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games. Yep. And I, that was almost uh, like playing it on the SNES. I think the sound quality is somewhat poor from what I've heard, but it didn't matter to me. Like the music still sounded amazing. And I, you know, experienced this. Like this story was really good. I I, I love a, a, most of the characters, if not all of them, to some degree or another. Many were, they were like very well written, very well detailed. Uh, the battle system is enjoyable. It's just like, hey, all this, um, you know, all this hype. It, it's they're right. They're right. 
I, I mean, I don't know where I put it on my absolute list of favorites, but it's definitely up there. I don't know if it's fair to consider it my favorite SNES game since I never played the original SNES version, but I put it there since there are a couple of GBA games. I, well, anyway. Hey, and, hey, no one's checking that stuff. <laughs> Indeed. So, but yes, it's, uh, but yes, I do agree that it's a, it's a fantastic game and all of it, the hype I've heard all these years, it, 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 it was right. Uh, was it, did you play, was it a retranslation? Yes, the uh, Game Boy Advance version is a slight retranslation. I've heard of the slight the changes, how it retains a couple of the classic lines, but not all of them. But it also makes a bit more sense. I mean, instead I thought of, the translation was. I thought, yeah, I thought the translation was fine. In, instead of instead Vix, of a submariner, instead of Vix, it's now Biggs at the beginning. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. It's the son of a sandworm. Not quite as funny. They still have the self help book uh, reference, though. <laughs> so. So I I was uh, when Final this is probably unfortunately revealing too much about my age, but when Final Fantasy was out, uh, I was in one of my beginner jobs. You know, one of those low paying jobs that everyone has to take when they get out of high school. Uh, I was working in a warehouse for a whopping four dollars, uh, and I think it was four twenty five an hour. And I had seen the advertisements for for Final Fantasy. Three, as it was called back in the day. Uh, I had played four, and I enjoyed four, but everything about three was bigger and better. The yeah, I swear the cartridge size was part of the marketing, but the cartridge size, the, the characters, it just I remember the marketing being very, you know, very powerful for this game. And I just loved RPGs, and and I had played I had played Dragon Quest, I played the original Final Fantasy, I had played Final Fantasy four, and this one was or two, and this one was going to be so much better. So I started saving up my coins. And in case people didn't know, the original price for this game was eighty freaking dollars. I was making. $20, which means before taxes, I would have to work half a work week, 20 hours. And after taxes, I might as well just hand over almost all my paycheck. Compare that to the day where, you know, even a Taco Bell person is probably making 8 to 10 bucks an hour and games are 60 bucks. So after one day, you know, sick, hell, not even one day. Anyways, you get the point. It was bloody expensive. But I it saved. It. it was so bloody worth it. I, I just, I got it. I, I took it, you know, I was living with my parents at the time, and I went to my bedroom and closed the door and popped it in, and every time I could get on there to play it, I did in the solace of my bedroom. I was very lonely back then. I didn't have any friends, hardly. I mean, it was out of high school. Everyone was doing their own thing. I couldn't afford to go to college and join them there. So, and we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have text messaging. I really had no way to keep in contact with those friends, aside from an occasional phone call here and there. So... You know, Final Fantasy III was kind of my friend, and it was the thing that I went to when I was lonely and bored. Uh, and and such a, a deep, epic story. Uh, one of y'all mentioned about tears. I absolutely, I'm a grown man. I'm not ashamed to admit I shed tears with this game. It is absolutely touching. It's absolutely deep. Uh, and 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 here's what's remarkable. You guys have heard me say over and over again on this podcast. I have a horrible memory. It amazes me when y'all come on the show and you can talk about this RPG that you played five or ten years ago and you remember this character, you remember this soundtrack being this or that or whatever have you. I honestly can't remember details from the vast majority of games I played. But the funny thing about this game, it was so memorable that even some, what are we now, 25 years almost? Uh, we're approaching the 25th anniversary in October of this year. Um, I remember the characters. I remember the music. I remember the details. 
And in talking with other people about this game throughout the years, throughout the decades, I had a brother who played this just a couple of years ago. And I went back and said, so what did you think of Celeste? Or what did you think of Terra? Or what did you think of what happened? And this, and he just, he's like, oh, is that one of their names? I'm like, how could you forget oh. them? It was so memorable. I disown you as a brother. I know you not. <laughs> uh, you know, this is sacrilege. But, you know, it was so memorable. And it, and it blows my mind. I guess, you know, maybe you had to be there in that time, but it, it was, it, it, it just absolutely, it just absolutely, it's, I could, I was humming the tunes 20 years later, you know, I'm still humming the tunes. It is so uh, good. We can, we can use this to segue into the story, but I don't think people realize that before this game came out, RPGs were kind of vapid, you know, they, they, they were in, in the 8-bit era, they were very save the princess. Um, there's a story, but the story is kind of bare bones. Not You're just kind of along for the ride. Or mostly in um, the manual. Yeah, or mostly in the manual. Um, I mean, you had Breath of Fire before this. You had F- Final Fantasy II, which arguably kind of set the tone for 16-bit RPGs back then. And that had a pretty deep story. But for... I deep mean, for 1991. Yeah, yeah, deep for 1991. But this just throws in some themes that, I, I mean, just I don't even know how to describe it. It's it, like almost like a novel instead of just your typical video game story. Yeah, and it, it made it, it was an excellent example of that. Like when I talked to other people, like I talked to my grandma. She's like, I don't know what you see at these games. I said, Do you like books? She's like, of course I like books. <laughs> Let me explain to you about Final Fantasy VI. You are playing through a book. You are playing through an epic tale involving, you know, a number of characters who you see have character development. Some, you know, they live, they die, and 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 you're taken through those experiences with them as their world has changed. You know, and, she, and the more I talked about it, the more she became interested in this idea. But before that, you couldn't really make that sales pitch very well because, like you said, no. the RPGs were just kind of very – the stories were very two-dimensional. Um, and, and this was the first game that really I, – I finished Final Fantasy you know, 2 slash 4. Uh, I didn't I didn't shed any tears. It was like, okay, that was a cool experience. Yippee. Got to the moon. Killed whatever. Okay, yippee. But 6? Oh, my gosh. Just Wow. But yeah, that's a great segue to the uh, to the the story here. Uh, what do we say? Story, starts a story. So much story. So you start out and you're you've got these Magitek armors, and it's just almost hard to describe because the game doesn't even really have a main character. You start out and there are these three people in Magitek armors. There's two soldiers and a girl with green hair. And, and the soldiers two... are translated as Vix and Wedge in yes. the original game, which was this. Was this the first appearance of the uh, the Vix and Wedge joke? Yes, but I don't think Ted Woolsey recognized it at, at first, or else he wouldn't have let Vix instead of Biggs okay. in there. <laughs> but um, the, 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 one of the soldiers makes a comment that they're headed to this town named Narsh because there's an esper there and that the girl that you're with has a slave crown on her head and that she'll do anything you say. And you go through this long opening credit sequence where you're slowly marching to Narsh with um, the, the kind of the game's theme playing in the background. It very, I mean, at the time, very beautiful mode seven graphics kind of sets the tone for the whole game. I kind of want to leave right now and just play it. 
<laughs> I know. I'm due for another playthrough. Yeah, I need to get. I was hoping to get my DS light back from my friend before it out. It's honestly pretty cinematic before games yeah. could do actual. Yeah. Still looks yeah. good on and a. Yeah, still looks good on the GBA too. Slash uh, Game Boy Player. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. If you want to go back to the, the very beginning, it starts off with that introduction where there's some clouds, some lightning, some ominous music. Like you the know, organ music. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it tells you you're in for mm-hmm. a darker, you know, tale here. Yeah, this isn't a lighthearted affair. So, can I interject real quick too? Because yeah, you sure. made a a point. I mean, while you guys have been talking, I've been trying to think of um, how how do you explain what made it? I don't know, unique or you know what made what made me think of it as so memorable, and I couldn't come up with anything. But maybe. Something you just mentioned, which was there isn't really a main character. I mean, think about how it starts. You you play what turns out to be the villains at for, you know yeah. uh, Biggs and Wedge or Vixen Wedge, and maybe Tara. We don't know. Is she a villain? And then she isn't, but she's also not the main character. And then you you um you play um different. You know the the then she leaves and you play somebody else and then you the story splits and. I don't know that I've ever played anything where it was really about the cast of characters instead of just here's a char- you know here's your main character and it's clearly defined who what their uh, alliances are what their goals are none of that. Mm-hmm. And, and and to give you an idea how memorable this game is, most backtracks I kind of have to give my refre- myself a refresher on what happened via Wikipedia or a Let's Play or whatever. I, I could pro- I'm probably going to try and recite this whole game's plot without Wikipedia. That that's how memorable it is to me that I I know it that well. How many times did you play it? Oh God, I'm not sure. It, it's yeah. been a lot. Um, pretty much every single port that's come out, except for the Steam port. But we'll get to that. Um, but but yeah, so, so you you go to Narsh and you start attacking. Well, the the villagers start attacking you because you're invading, and you go into the mines, and <clears throat> you um. Get in a fight with a whelk or with a uh, snail that basically kind of teaches you the ropes of the battle system and stuff like that. And you go up to the Esper, and all of a sudden, this Esper kind of starts glowing, and Tara, your main character, starts glowing, the green haired girl. And next thing you know, the two question soldiers. Mark, question mark, question mark is her name. Yeah, yeah. And the soldiers end up burning up, and then she kind of blacks out. And then, next thing you know, soldiers are trying to chase her through the mines. And you fall through the the floor, and you black out for good from there. And then the control switches... No, no wait, I, I need to back that up. You get rescued by the mayor of the village, and he takes the slave crown off of your head. And then that's when the soldiers chase you through the mines, and then you fall through the floor and then black out. And then that's when you um, the control switches to lock. The treasure to, hunter. Uh, are, are you sure he's not a thief? I mean, he had steel. Well, he's called an adventure but, in the GBA version, oddly. Yeah. Hey, he, so, he, um, he, is, he insists that he is a treasure hunter, and I will respect Locke's wishes here. Okay. So... You know, the mayor says that this girl got chased through ta- chased through the mines and blacked out, and Locke swears that he's going to go save her because he is a member of this rebel group called the Returners that's fighting against the evil empire, which the girl, who at this point is, he, you name her, she gets named as Tara, 
and be, because Locke hates the Empire so much, he he vows to go rescue her, and he makes a point of saying that you know I I promise I'm going to protect her. Come comes up later, very important. So Locke goes into the mines, and you, you this is your first taste of um, switching around battles because you enlist the help of the Mughals to help save her from the soldiers that are trying well, to Mughals, get her. The Mughals just volunteer themselves. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of the ones that we're looking out for in the mines. So you end up in three different parties that you can switch between, which was unheard of back then, playing these three different parties in one go. And the Final Fantasy series hasn't done it since. Yeah. And you kind of have to strategically place each party or each group so that none of the soldiers can get to her, because if they get to her, then it's instant game over. And once They're you not get moving through... terribly fast, but they are moving on the screen. Yeah, got to keep yeah. a watch on them. Yeah, and 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 if you're not used to this, you can fail it pretty easily. Um, I, I have failed it a couple of times, or I failed it a couple of times at the beginning. So you, once you get through this fight, you save her, and you decide to go to a town called Figaro that has a king that um, is going to help you. And you, you go to the town, or no, you get out of the mines, the lock makes, makes mention of a secret entrance to the mines. And you go to Figaro, and that's where you meet King Edgar Ronnie Figaro, who is some, who you're, you're trying to win favor for, and his, his main character trait is that he's a womanizer, and he's also an engineer. And, you know, he, he makes many... Anything with ovaries that enters his... Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, he um, wasn't in a distaste in a uh, distasteful way or anything like that. No, it's it's not sleazy. It's yeah. as charming. It's not Mary. And... It's not Mary Skelter. <laughs> we should talk about and, that later. Yes, I um, guess we should. Hooray! That what a way to deflate the moon. Um, also, he makes a point of not hitting on anybody who's underage. Nope. Nope. So. Um, and and the whole reason why everybody is wanting Tara is because apparently she has um, magic abilities, which in the, in the beginning of the game, magic is has been um, extinct from the world for, what, a thousand years? And yeah, RPGs, it's always... Mm-hmm. And, you know, I forgot to mention that, you know, before that stuff, or while you're passed out, um, you kind of go through the backstory of the the game and what happened with the War of the Magi a thousand years ago. Yeah, and, and um, there was also the – so I was going to say because of her uh, magical abilities, which you get a taste of them already at the very beginning in the mines before you mm-hmm. even get to the first boss. Yeah. And to, and to me, that makes um, Terra more menacing than anything. I mean, like my first uh, my first reaction to her when, when I played the game was, like, that's clearly fearful. You know, she can do something mm-hmm. that nobody else can. When you see how the other soldiers – just get like you said, they get burned up and and they're simply gone, and she isn't even phased by what you know by the attack, and she's you know some kind of monstrous force, and and yeah. she and she kind of remains that that question mark of well mm-hmm. who who is she going you know how how will this all play out is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing and um and then of course there's her connection with the uh, with the Esper. Mm-hmm. There's this whole thing, you know, the whole the whole reason that anybody's there. I can't remember about Locke, but I, I'm not sure if he was there for the same reason. Is because they found the Esper in the mines, and she has, mm-hmm. 
uh, a connection, this, like a telepathic connection to it. It turns out, yeah. and she doesn't know why. She doesn't know what it is. It's just you know, it sets up so many questions in mm-hmm. in a very interesting way. And it, it's interesting you bring up the fear part because, in depending on which version you're playing, that sometimes they'll refer to her as a witch in that opening section. Oh, which I think she the does. original translation does, yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if it was the original translation. Vix and Wedge kind of talk about her um, before they even get to um, to the mines when they're standing on that mountaintop. Okay. I feel like they yeah, yeah. Uh, they referred to her that way right from the before the credits even roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, t- talking about Edgar, um, you know, they're they're trying to win Edgar's favor favor because he's a king and he has this ca- castle that's like really famous for its engineering. And he wants you to come to this decision of your own accord, so you, you, you sleep on it. And while you're waiting, um, the main bad guy, Kefka, shows up. Is and... that the main bad guy yet? No, he's, he's not. He's not the main no. bad guy yet. No, no not he... yet. He's just... In yeah. his first Spoiler scene, alert. he looks like a joke. Mm-hmm. He yeah, complains and... about oh, getting so sand great. on his, his boots. Mm-hmm. He, and it has, it has it one of the most iconic sound effects in RPG history. His laugh. To, to, I mean, it, it sounds awful at this day and age, but back then it sounded kind of horrifying. And to me, it sounds like somebody opening a zipper up and down really fast. It's it's hard to do, yeah. but it, anyway. <laughs> so you know, you know, Kefka is looking for the girl, and he he's trying to. You know, Shmoo's King Edgar, and King Edgar pretty much says, "Well, there's as many girls in this kingdom as grains of sand. I can't possibly keep keep track of them all." And Kefka's like, "You'll pay for this." And then next thing you know, the castle's on fire, and people are running around. And he's like, "And Kefka's like, enjoy your barbecue." But at this point, you find out that no, the castle can submerge underground whenever you need to. So you also get a great introduction to chocobos because for yes. many people that might have been the first time they've seen them. Yes, yes, or that that scene. Is, yes, that 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 scene is brilliant.
you know, the castle submerges. Kef is pissed. He calls you a son of a submariner or son of a sandworm, depending on your translation. Mm-hmm. And you go to escape to um, the mountains. And at this point, yeah, on Mount Colts. And at this point, if you use magic from Tara in front of Edgar or Locke, then you get at a very amusing cutscene. That it's entirely possible to miss this cutscene if you don't use magic. But it adds so much. Cutscene. It takes place right in the battle screen where they suddenly freak out and start talking about what the heck is that? Is that magic? What is? We haven't. I think the gene magic. Yeah, and, and it's hilarious. Yeah, the, uh, the pictures are very expressive. For the, for the, mm-hmm. the sprites are very expressive. Well, you know what? Actually, that's kind of one of the other things that's really neat about it is the fact that it the um it's set in a like a very technological world. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, uh, is there even is there a name for it? It's not. Yeah, it's not. It's like no, it's steampunk. I think vaguely, it's punk. Really? It's steampunk, yeah. not medieval. It There's was definitely no... steampunk before steampunk was a thing. Yeah, but no magic. I mean, they're afraid of it when they see it. Yeah. So it's so yeah. So it's, it's like got, it's got a very late nineteenth century feel. To yeah, it. late nineteenth century, maybe almost like or maybe very early twentieth century. Mm-hmm. It's like technology is kind of around, but not very prominent, depending I mean, on what lot, town you're in. I think a lot of people will will mention the setting as one of the strong uh, points for Final Fantasy VII. So it's only fair to to recognize, you know, the the how how it's kind of unique, or at least you know, to me it was for, for Final Fantasy three. Yeah, well, it, so. it was. It it definitely felt like a step up from sword and sorcery stuff, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see how they went into more modern stuff in the sequel that we're not allowed to talk about, or else Phil will kill us. <laughs> well, I'm already on the edge. <laughs> I'm talk about it again later. <laughs> but um, so you you go to Mount Doma, um. I forgot to mention that when you go to sleep that you get a, a neat little cutscene about Ed, Edgar's twin brother, Sabin, or Mash, as he's known in the Japanese version. And it was about the ascension of the throne, and the ascension was – say what? Was it the co- wasn't it a coin flip? Yes, it was decided with a coin flip, and Edgar chose to be king, and Sabin decided to uh, – Oh, I'm trained off. as a martial artist. Yeah. Yes. We, we, speaking of Sabin, we should have had Chris should have had Chris on the show since you know that's his moniker. Mm-hmm. But um, so, so you go, you go off into the mountains to find find Sabin. You find him. You get in a fight with I think it's his, uh, his master's apprentice Vargas. Yeah, yeah F- Vargas, who who was angry that Sabin got chosen as his successor and not him. And he has, so, also has a he really has, intimidating boss sprite. Yes. And he has two bears that come with him. Are, aren't they called Ipoos? I, I don't remember. I, I thought that there was a very bad Winnie the Pooh joke with those two bears. Hmm. But um, at this point, a lot of beginners in the game get stuck because they don't know how to do Sabin's blitzes correctly, including me. Yeah, it's well, turned... I, I admit to using the easier method where I would, instead of trying to do the diagonals, I would just press up, up, left, or up, up, right, which works. Yeah. There's the um, the fireball one. Well, you know, fireball from Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the just quarter. the, um, the, the 90-degree... 
Yeah. Yeah, quarter circle punch. I, I will say I recall having a problem with it playing on the original Super Nintendo, so he wasn't a favorite go-to character for me. And yeah. replaying it on PC via emulation and an Xbox 360 controller with an analog stick, much easier. I was pulling the, the three, like, in, in in both Street Fighter and in this game, there's a move you can do by doing a full 360 with the paddle on easy mode. It's left, left, up, up, right, right, down, down. But to do it with the smooth motion, you have to do a 360 and hit attack. I could never get that right with the Super Nintendo's controller. But with the Xbox right. 360 controller, no problem. Yeah. Like left, left, up, up, right. That sounds harder to do to me. <laughs> I, I was able to get it to work. I don't know how. That I was able to pull the bum rush off most of the time, and the bum rush busts things up real good. Yeah, uh, boss battle, I think. Like, final bosses. That I feel like that was one of the favorite moves. See, at this point in the game, I, I don't rem- But bear in mind, I'm buying it from a neighbor's kid, so I don't really know the controls that well. So I'm not understanding what I'm doing wrong with trying to put the blitz input in. So, and at that point in the game, you have to do the blitz or else you can't continue. And th- this was just the basic left, right, left one. I wasn't wow. sure if anybody else had that problem. But r- regardless, y- you beat the guy, you get sobbing, and that's when they decided to take you to, I believe, the Returners? Yeah, the Returners hideout um, to meet Bannon. So you you go meet, meet ben, Bannon, who is the um, leader of the Returners. Um, he's trying to get Tara to join the Returners, but he wants her to do it of her, um, her own accord so that um, you can't. She pressured. Yeah, she doesn't feel pressured. Um, you can this choose. is when the story finally gets good. Yeah. Not that it yeah. wasn't already good, but this is where it really just, like, it's done. Yeah. So um, at this point, you can choose whether or not you want want to join. And if you, I mean, this game still kind of railroads you regardless. But if you choose no three times, the empire will attack anyway, and you have to escape. Versus if you choose yes, then you just go immediately, and you all get get on a raft to go sail down down the river to meet with. I forgot why you're sailing down the river. I think but, just um, to escape, maybe. Yeah, just just to escape, just to escape. Um, Locke goes to South Figaro to do some reconnaissance. So at this point, I think it's just Edgar, Baron, Sabin, and uh, Tara on the raft, and this is uh, where we meet our recurring villain for the game. <laughs> yes, Ultros. Good old Ulti. Even though apparently that's a mistranslation, it's supposed to be Orthros. But oh. Ultros just sounds better to me because I'm oh. more familiar with it. Well, Ultros mm-hmm. is a two-headed dog, so I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah, I like Ultros a lot better. So you, you get in a boss fight with Ultros. Um, which, he's weak to fire. He's weak to fire throughout the entire game, which is kind of neat. And he he has fun fun little flavor text when you um, hit him with fire spells. Like I think he says uh, fried sushi or something. He, he also says several rocking. times, "Don't te- don't tease the octopus kids." Yes, <laughs> yes. So, um, when, when he beat the boss fight, Sabin decides that he's gonna gonna try and suplex the octopus, and he falls into the river. And at this point, the party splits up into three different choices, and you get to pick which scenario you play through first. Um, I always pick Locke first for some reason. I don't know why. I think his is the second longest. But it's also like the most immediate, you know. He's he's staying within the like the danger area. He's heading back behind enemy enemy lines. Yeah, 
That's, I don't know. I feel like it makes sense to kind of continue. And in Locke's story. scenario, you get to use his thief abilities to the maximum potential. Yes. You can steal people's clothes right yes. off their bodies. Yes. Yeah, so in, in Locke's scenario, you're kind of performing reconnaissance in South Figaro, and you're trying to escape the town. The Empire has occupied the entire town. Um, you, you, at this point, Locke is kind of weak, so if you get in fights with soldiers, you're going to lose pretty quickly, especially some of the ones that have Magitech armor. So you kind of have to sneak around town. And one of the first things that you do is you can um, fight a soldier. Is it a soldier or a merchant first? I can't remember. I can't I remember. You need the but merchant you do, you guard the to get into town? Yeah, you need the and merchant guard. the soldier guard to get into mm-hmm. like the, the building or, some, or get yeah. past the checkpoint. Yeah, but oh, it's really sounds about I right. Repeat, I I think I played it about the last time I played it was probably fifteen years ago. Yeah. Um. So, so when you get into fights with soldiers or merchants, you can steal the clothes right off of them and strip them down to their birthday suit. Literally, the character model says birthday suit when you, after you strip them. And, and, and the sprite suddenly becomes completely concerned with covering up his modesty. And yes. runs away. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's it's like brilliant. the kind of the kind of touches that keep the game interesting from moment to moment. Mm-hmm. So at at some point while you're kind of sneaking around, you end up in the secret passage in the millionaire's house, to which the the millionaire also regrets selling out um South Figaro, which was a neat little touch. And while you're going around in the secret passage, you walk by or er, you walk by a room and you notice that there's a commotion going on inside and you see a soldier getting the crap beat out of her. And well, that, that piques Locke's interest immediately. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you wait for the soldiers to escape. Um, one of them, the, the guard outside the room is asleep. So you sneak in and let the soldier out and you find out that it is a soldier of the empire named Celis. <clears throat> and don't forget Star Wars. That, yeah. Say what? This is the the famous Star Wars um, scene. Yeah. Aren't you a little short for an Imperial trooper? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and Locke makes another mention of protecting her. A very important theme with Locke. Not that Celis needs much in the way of protection. She's... Yeah. She's more effective in fighting than Locke is. For the oh, yes, especially mm-hmm. at this point in the game. So, so you decide to go with her. Um, you get out of South Figaro. You go through a cave. Um, you fight a boss in the cave that's like this giant grinder boss or something like that. And at this point, you learn, you only do this once. You learn Celis' ability, which is Runeric Blade, which um, can draw magic attacks. I never really found it all that useful, to be yeah, honest. After this fight, no, yeah, I never used it again after that fight. Yeah. Apparently it's really useful if you decide to do a super low-level run where okay. you just decide, man, I, I can't survive this attack unless Celis draws the magic away and uses mm-hmm. it for herself. Yeah, it's but so, it's so finicky. More. Like mm-hmm. you have to, you have to, you have to wait for her animation to play out, and then if she does another turn before, you know that, then it becomes an issue. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I used it well, once or twice, and that was it. I know we haven't mm-hmm. talked about the combat system, but it probably would have worked um, better in, like, let's say maybe like Final Fantasy X's combat system, where you actually can see the turn order for multiple turns ahead for for allies and enemies, so you can kind of plan out. 
So I, th- I think at this point, um, lock scenario oh, is over. Celis is also important because she can use magic. Yes, yes. Um, I was about ready to drop a spoiler. Oh, okay. So, but this never mind. Like we'll spoilers. get to that. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a moment. Um, so that that's the end of their scenario, and then from there, I tended to do Sobbins, who w- washes down but down the river, and and this is the epic. Epic story. Yeah, th- this is a story where it's like, well, they are not playing around with this game at all. Doesn't he come uh, back with like a full party? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty close. I love well, it. Well, he, he first meets Cyan. Yeah. Best so, character. So, you end up in, a, in a, an imperial uh, base, and I think at this point you're matched with Shadow. So, somehow you run into him and you infiltrate this imperial base, and this imperial base is at the kingdom of Doma, which uh, the main um, leader of the guard is a, a Bushido named uh, Cyan, who's trying to repel the attack, and he is a pretty pretty good fighter. Um, he's I think he has one of the best physical attacks in the whole game, actually, <clears throat> and. You're sneaking around with Sabin and Shadow and the Imperial base, and you're kind of getting an idea of what's going on. Um, at this point, you run into Kefka, who's talking with General Leo, who is one of the more honorable Imperial guards. And well, Leo, Leo tries to win a fight without killing anybody unnecessarily with minimal yeah. damage. He try he refuses to have his integrity. Spoiled by getting Magitech infusions or having himself mm-hmm. physically altered. And he's the one time you get to actually use him, he's incredibly strong. So you can see why mm-hmm. he didn't need that. But yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. I feel like but... Liu and Kefka are maybe like evenly, uh, evenly ranked. Like they're mm-hmm. the heads of the two different branches of the, uh, the Empire, maybe like right, both of them right beneath the Emperor. Mm hmm. Yeah, they're pretty well, evil match. I don't remember Kefka ever being given any f- kind of formal rank, so I'm going to say that he's some kind of liaison or gopher on behalf of the Emperor. Yeah, so I guess there's, a, um, there's a place at some point, I don't know how early you get to it or late, where if you talk to people in a in a in uh, an inn or a tavern or whatever, um, like in the Empire... I think it might be in the capital city. They will give you a little bit of background on Kefka mm-hmm. and how he was um, how he was uh, a, um, a Magitech soldier. I, I want to say, and he was um, like one of the earliest uh, guinea pigs for whatever experiments that they they started doing, and so it you know it it warped him. So I think they hadn't worked him... the kinks out. Yeah, yeah. well, that, that's for yeah. sure. So he may not actually be in charge of anything. In specific, he may just be too dangerous to just be let loose, so he keeps him close, maybe? As the yeah, advice that's true. I don't know. He's got power. <clears throat> and the other interesting thing about General Leo is that one of the conversations you listen into during this scenario is him talking to a soldier who is very gung-ho and wants to go out and get, get you know, win, some, win one for the Empire. And Leo's like, you're young. You've got a family back home. Don't throw your life away like this. Yes, serve your empire, but don't be reckless, which is a very interesting character moment for, you know, a character that's pretty much playing down the bad guy's side. Um, so at, at this point, you run into Leo and Kefka having an argument, and Kefka wants to poison the entire city of Doma, and Leo wants to end the conflict 
peacefully. And the emperor has called Leo back, and the last thing Leo says is like, hey, don't poison these people. So as soon as, soon as Leo leaves, Kefka's like, hey, we're going to poison these people. So Kefka poisons the river, and... He just it's, dumps a whole bunch of poison into the, yeah. into the water supply that goes straight into the city. Or the yeah. City. Yeah, and, you know, it, as soon as it switches back to cyan's point of view like people people just start dropping dead left and right which always kind of bothered me it's like did i I guess the poison it was implied that it had some miasma or something that caused the deaths and not necessarily just drinking it is the impression that i got from it so it's also kind of nice to have a villain um that is evil for the sake of evil oh yeah and yeah (laughs) when 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 faced with um you know, with the 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 nicer alternative, he will go out of his way to cause as much destruction yeah. or, or death as possible. He's basically full renegade this time. So so yeah, you, and you witness this horrifying scene of you know people in Doma dropping dead, and then Cyan going to go serve his king, and the king's dropping dead, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Oh crap, my wife and kid!" And he runs into the bedroom with his wife and kid, and they're already dead. And at this point, Cyan just goes full berserker rage, and just uh, wants- no, we, we gotta we gotta get this what we gotta get this little detail in here, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. So when he goes into the room, he's like, "Wait a minute, not not you two too," and they're like, "Oh, daddy, uh, right?" But what was really sad, like, as he's talking to his wife, his wife's like, "I loved you," uh, and then he looks over at Poppy or whatever the kid's name is, and he looks at the bed, and this is sprite graphics, and there's a little mm-hmm. kid in the bed, and then suddenly, boom. And the sprite uh, falls to the ground. You're like, oh, that's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> the kid body, his dead yeah. body, just falls out of the bed to the ground. Was this before the rating system? I think it was. Uh, right around, around the same yeah. time. Yeah, I think, it was, uh, I think it had a rating, I think, I'm pretty sure. I think okay. this is around the point when this is around the point when Mortal Kombat 2 came out and that got rated for everything. Okay. But, but yeah, but, I think what they were able to do with sprite graphics, I think Final Fantasy VI is a good example to point to um, when I need to explain, like, why I think that well-done sprite graphics is still, like, the best graphical style. Mm-hmm. And why it's so Great. hard to do right. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, at this point, this is a science berserker moment. He wants to go murder the entire Empire, and at this point, you can get him in your party, and you kind of help escape the uh, Imperial camp with him. And you end up escaping through a forest, and the forest is very mysterious anyway, and as you're going through a forest, you run across a train. And you you start going through the train, and you notice that there's all kinds of, like, floaty things in robes, and they're like, wait a minute, what what kind of train are we on? Oh no, we're on a ghost train that goes to the other side. (laughs) And Sabin's like, I don't want to go. the, The crazed Siegfried who shows up on that train... And talks up a real good storm before you beat him with one hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I, remember I was, that. I was under the imp- or I found out recently that the, like that Siegfried character was supposed to play a larger part, and it kind of got cut out of the game, which is why not only that bit was confusing, but when there's a Siegfried later on at the Colosseum, it's kind of confusing. 
Hmm, interesting. Yeah, you'll have to research more into it, but that that kind of came out recently. I think, I think the Siegfried at the Coliseum says something about there's been a guy impersonating him. Yeah, something like that. So you're tra- you're trying to escape this ghost train, and you're trying to get through the cars. At one point, you're being chased by ghosts, and you have to uncouple the cars. Um, and, and you know, they're all going very creepy. No escape. And, you know, while you're going through the different train cars, you can talk to different ghosts, and you can either have them, like, be in your party temporarily, or some of them sell you stuff, or some of them just fight you outright. And you, you get to the front of the train, and you get to arguably the one of the best things that's ever happened in video game history. You get to suplex the train with Sabin. Which, if you're following my Twitter... Yeah, did anybody not do that? (laughs) If you're following my Twitter, I screen cap that shiz for all to see. Yes. It's it's iconic. It's iconic. It's legendary. Um, There's so much fan art of it. And once you beat the train, it it stops at at the next stop, and then you witness a very awful scene where Cyan's kid and wife is getting on the ghost train. Oh, God. That's terrible. Yeah, it's very tragic. Um, At the end of that scene, you're kind of just left wandering around the station, and you try to talk to Cyan, and he's blank. If Shadow's still in your party at this point, um, he says, hey, man, let him have a moment. And you've kind of got to wait for the scene to end itself. You can't just, like, push on. You're kind of, like, forced to have this moment of um, serenity. That's that's so Mm -hmm. unusual. Yeah. Most most times you can just scroll through the dialogue as fast as you want, but this time the game makes you pause. Yeah, the game yeah. says you will care about this character whether you want to or not. You're going to pretend that you care. So um, now you're in a place called the Velt, where literally every single monster in the game can come to this – is in this area no matter what. Um, <clears throat> you, you run through – as you're running through the Velt, yeah, if you finish a fight, you'll notice that there will be this kid – that's kind of it's this kid sprite that's kind of you know making random noises and saying stuff and you 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 can you can either fight him or run away and if you try to fight him he just goes you scare you scare animals and runs off. So this feral kid. Yeah, feral kid. So yeah, he, looks, you, he looks very much as if he comes straight out of the jungle. Yeah, you can tell that even from his sprite. Yeah. So you, you go to the town and the town mix mentioned that you. You can travel through the Serpent Trench, but there is uh, there was like a, div- a breathing device that you needed to travel through the Serpent Trench, and you got stole and it got stolen. And you could also buy beef jerky. So you buy the beef jerky, you go find the kid, you give him the beef jerky, and all of a sudden he's like your best friend now. He's just like a cat. You feed him once, and he never leaves. <laughs> and this is also a very hilarious scene where he's um, imitating Cyan and calling him Mr. Thou, going Thou, Thou, Thou. And I'm, Sabin, Gao, I'm your friend. Let's travel together. Yeah. And Sabin is like, hey, hey, dude, uh, the dude just lost his family. Give him a break. And um, the kid's like, oh, me sorry. Me show you my shiny. So you have to go to the cave, this cave that's down south where G- Gal was going to show you his shiny. And that that part's very interesting, too, because you kind of get an idea that, you know, Gal is a little bit is a little bit too feral because he, like, throws some money down a pit for, for you. And, yeah, <clears throat> that kind of pissed me off the first time it happened. 
And you, you go through the cave, you find the shiny, and that's when you can go through the serpent trench. And um, at that point, their scenario is over. And then the last scenario, which is the shortest, is just finishing up Tara and Edgar and Bannon's little river run. And you pretty much just like go straight to Narsh from there. So <clears throat> after all three scenarios are complete, then you end all everybody ends up in Darsh and you get to meet all of these new party members. Um Cyan and Celis instantly hate each other because, you know, Celis is part of the Empire and Cyan's entire family was just killed by the Empire, so they do not get along at all. <clears throat> uh Tara and Celis um, have a neat little interaction about how they both have magic, and that's when Celis says that it was infused from infused with her as a baby. And then uh, Tara's like, "I don't know how I got magic. I was just born with it." And you know, at this point, the Empire is going to attack Narsh, and you have to form three different parties with all these new party members that you have, and protect the Esper. And I, I forgot, do you fight Kefka at this point? Yes, you do. You, okay. This is the one where all the... Away. Yeah, I think okay, so. Yeah. He, he takes off. But you do fight him once you get through all the Imperial soldiers that are trying mm-hmm. to get through the, the labyrinth-ish thing. <clears throat> yes, yeah, so it, it's basically like the uh, Moogle fight at the beginning of the game, but then with actual party members. And it, it, typically the best strategy is to like make one super team and then one kind of um, mediocre team that can fend off some of the people and then a scrub team. Um, you so fight Kefka. Will be definitely Gao. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At this point, Gao Gao cannot be uh, utilized to his full potential. And maybe Terra. I feel like yeah. I'm, it's funny how you start the game. Terra seems like at first she's going to be the main protagonist, and by the time you finish the the three um, the three story fork in the road that you just um, got finished talking about. Tara's like the last thing. Well, for me, she was the last thing on my mind. Yeah. So, um, I'll try to be more brief. It's, it's just this game has so much detail and nuance. Well, maybe just take it up to the 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 midway point. Where the- yeah, yeah. So after you get done fighting the um, fighting Kefka, Tara sees the Esper turns into a pink troll doll and flies off, and you have to go find her. Um. Who's the the Esper? Is is that uh, Baphomet? Tritoch is the Esper that you run okay, into. Yes. Um, at, at this point, the game kind of speeds up a little bit more than its pacing. You kind of go through some towns. You end up in a town. Well, you go through. You go through the most one of the most interesting places you've ever seen, Zozo, which is yeah. apparently where all the poor people from another town called Judo were expelled. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can I can get behind that. I can even get behind it being like Seattle and rainy all the time there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure why poor people who were expelled from a rich town live here translates into everyone lies to you mm-hmm. and there are monsters running around trying to kill you. Yeah. The That's not like most here. slums I've been to. I had a yeah. hard time with the battles in this area. Oh, the battles in this area are awful, especially if you're not prepared. It's kind of a difficulty spike. Um but yeah, you, you end up in Zosa, you get to the top of the tower, you find Terra there, and along with some other creatures known as Espers, and she somehow has a connection to the Espers, but you don't know it yet, and you figure out that the only way that you can get to the, find out what the connection is, is to go to the Empire. And so there's an airship. Yeah, and the, the only person in the world that has an airship is a man named Setzer, who 
is a rich gambler and also a womanizer. And he happens to be in love with an opera house singer named Maria, who happens to look just like Celis. And at this Celis point, Celis is ha- not happy at this. No, no, she's not. And you eventually have. You hatch a plan to... I'm a general, not some opera floozy. Yes, yes, that line. I forgot about that (laughs) line. And then then she kind of gets into it. But you you hatch a plan where you dress Celis up like the opera singer and have her be in the opera. And at that point, Setzer will abduct her, and then you can recruit Setzer into your party. And we're trying to speed along the story a little bit. It's a much better pace from here, but let me just say... Opera scene is also a cool character. Yeah, oh yeah, I love Setzer. Once Celis uses her presence on the ship to let everybody else on, he's kind mm-hmm. of responds, oh, okay, that, that's cool. And then he, then she flips a coin. It was a trick coin, so he had no choice. Mm-hmm. And he likes it because Setzer is just a really freewheeling kind of guy. Yeah. And when Sabin, interesting detail, when Sabin notices that the coin that gets flipped is a double-sided coin, he, he kind of puts two and two together and you put two and two together that Sabin was hoodwinked all those years ago. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because we've got to pause one second to talk about the opera. You know, it, it's kind of a non sequitur in the game, but how freaking awesome was that opera? Very. I can't. I can't very. think of any other yeah. games that very. tried something like that <laughs> in 94. Um, f- full disclosure, that was cr- cry number one of three with this game for mm. me. And it, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with the story. It was just a little side thing, but that opera was so beautiful that, you know, hearing kind of the fake Animal Crossing voice trying to emulate the vocals in 1995 when I played this, it was just like, Oh my god, my heart. All the feels. This is amazing. I didn't know yeah. video game music could be this good. And, and so, uh, it's how do you, you know, how have you not even mentioned the music? And it's because you're trying to get the story out of the way, but like yeah. the music is so much part of the story. Yeah, but, we'll get, uh, especially once we're talking about I the know, opera. Talk. You, you can't talk about an opera no, without music. <laughs> oh my like, god. The opera consists of what? Um, three or four different tracks on the soundtrack alone, mm-hmm. I want to say. And yeah. there's choreographed um sprite dance numbers mm-hmm. and you even get uh, you even play it yourself uh you control Celis during certain parts and tell her what to say and i think you even move her into the um whatever whatever um direction she's been given whatever blocking she's been given yeah and you have to do the lines and it's just like it's brilliant that you have to um perform the opera as it were um, yeah, that it's it's not play. just a it's not just a cutscene that you actually get right. to do it, and right. it actually sounds like how you imagine an opera sounding. The, oh, Maria! Yeah, they didn't they didn't pull back. They just they didn't do it for you know a few minutes and then let's move on. Like it mm-hmm. it indulges the moment for quite a while. Mm-hmm. You it's can so screw beautiful. up. Yeah, and then you'll have right. to, and then you'll hear that the crowd is extremely disappointed, and you have to try it again the next night Mm -hmm. and uh, you also get another ultros fight which is awesome yes ultros who has decided is it who or what in the case of an octopus anyway he's just decided that he's gonna drop a gigantic weight onto cellus while she's singing on the stage Mm -hmm. get up there in in the time limit or else uh uh-oh she's dead yeah so uh, anyway we'll, we'll go back forward so you go to the empire you've infiltrated um, run, you know, running through the what is it, the Magitech Research Facility? Yes. I think, 
which also has an amazing music piece, uh, has very Sgt. Pepper-esque music. find out that the that the Empire has been draining the essence of Esper's this whole time. And that's how uh Stellus got infused with magic. But apparently Terra could use this ability naturally, which is why the Empire was so interested in her. Um <laughs> so you rescue all of these Esper's and then you take them back to Terra and you find out that one of the Esper's is her father. And you go into another long story sequence about a woman named Madonna who fell into the Esper world and fell in love with an Esper. And that's how terror was made. And then the Empire basically raided this, raided the Esper world and, um, and they started it, just dragging all the Espers they could right out of yeah. it to use as fuel. Yeah, more or less. And then, uh, you know, Madonna pleads with the Emperor to, you know, don't hurt her or her, her baby. And then the Emperor's the Emperor like... just looks at, a baby? From a human and an Esper? Mm. And then just, you know, straight up murders Madonna right in front of her baby and then takes the baby. And that's why Tara can use magic. <sighs> it's also why it's probably a good thing that she doesn't really remember her childhood. Mm-hmm. Imagine Emperor Gestal being your daddy, or your your daddy figurehead. Well, that and she was raised in the slave crown, wasn't she? Yeah, more or less. Which, which made her not remember. <clears throat> so, I don't remember the exact, like, story thread that leads to the floating island from here, but I think you're pretty close to it already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think well, the, let's uh, see, after this we go with uh, the Emperor is trying to make peace for a little bit. 
mm-hmm. which is just a plot to allow, to allow a better yeah the, re- to- the returners end up having dinner you all get invited to dinner with him which mm-hmm. is right. gives you opportunity you also have some time to go and try to convince all the other soldiers um and and whatnot uh to try to to convince them that this is you know, things are going in a good direction. And the game is kind of secretly keeping tabulation of some points underneath the hood, depending on how well you do with them and, and how well you, you interact with uh, the emperor during the dinner. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you know, you'll, you'll get some, you'll get some perks from him after the dinner is over. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think at this point, the emperor and the empire wants to make peace with the espers and you, you have to go find the entrance to the esper world. And, to and that's that, what the floating you know, island is, right? Something like that. Um, Well, the floating island comes after you go and meet Strago and Realm. Yeah, and I don't even remember what Strago and Realm's connection to the overall story was. I think they were just in the village of Blue Mages, or they're in the village of something. (laughs) Okay, that's not helpful. Which which is a place that has isolated itself from the rest of the world and does use magic. It just doesn't advertise the fact. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I remember, magic from monsters too. So yeah, I remember. I love their themes. Those mm-hmm. are two of my favorite. I, I'm not. I don't remember Strago right now. I think him too. But Realm is one of my favorite character themes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna be listening to this when we're done. Just, I mean, I can't not listen yeah. to it now. And that's one and important with, thing. And it's with the introduction of Realm that we get our third encounter with Ultros. And that's when you get to use her sketch command, which I didn't use much in the game, and that apparently was a very good thing because it can make the game crash. Yes, yes, that sketch command is very buggy. Well, not a GTA version, of course. Right. But yeah, so you go to the you go to find the Esper world to make peace, and turns out that the Empire was playing you the whole time. And shocker! Oh no. The guy who looked evil and acted evil all this time was still evil. Yeah, and then I, I don't even remember how the floating continent came to be. I just remember that you, you go to the Esper world, they start murdering Espers le- le- left and right, and then that continent floats. But then comes the real shocker involving the Emperor, which is that Kefka um, takes him out. Oh, yeah, that, that's at the – was that at the very end of the fo- – oh, no, that was, like, right at the Esper world. I, if I jumped ahead again, I'm sorry. That's... Yeah, at this point – He does point, it on the floating continent, I'm pretty sure, yeah, since, you see yeah. the, since you see a battle briefly. No, it's General Leo that dies before the floating, floating continent, and it's a really somber moment. Um Kind of, a, yeah, and I, I forgot. I also forgot at this point, like when you think that you've made peace with the Aspers, the game kind of fakes you out into thinking that the game is over and you've won, and then surprise, Empire, and then Leo gets taken out. And, floating continent goes up, and then you go through the floating floating continent, which is also kind of a fake out because that dungeon was really freaking hard. Doesn't it kind of send you in in like to be the like? the envoy to the espers like to go tell them we come in peace and then they yeah. they literally oh that's just you know such a rough moment mm-hmm. oh that that whole last part is rough and then it just gets 
worse from there because you, you, you do the whole floating continent. You, de- you deal with some hellish bosses, s- some of the hardest bosses in the game up to this point. And you find out that the reason why the Empire is interested in the floating continent is because there are these three goddess statues that are basically the source of all the world's magic. And that they, they want all this power. And at this point, Emperor Gestahl gets murdered because K- Kafka... You know, Kefka's got a Kefka. <clears throat> He's evil. That's what he does. And then he starts messing around with the statues and messing around with the. This is actually his plan, though. I mean, this yeah. is he's actually following. Like you can, you know, this has been his plan all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Kefka was pulling the strings the whole time, more or less. And once he start, he starts messing with the statues, and when the statues get out of balance, that's when the world gets out of balance, and things start going to hell, almost literally. Um, ground, you know, the ground starts shaking. There's tidal waves. There's all all kinds of chaos and stuff, and then it, you know, blow, blows out to the to the world, and you see all these explosions and stuff, and this text cross. There's a sex scrolls by that says, um, the world was forever changed that day. And go, goes to black, you wake up as Celis, the water is almost blood red, the sky well, is... Your, the floating continent breaks apart, and oh, your oh, party is scattered to the winds falls down, and, you know, to... You, you would assume, like, there are deaths. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I forgot to mention that, you know, you have to escape from the floating island within a certain time. Shadow, like, leaves your party to buy you some time. You're dealing with uh, random encounters this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to the end, and you can you know, have a choice to either jump or uh, wait for Shadow. And you you can wait for Shadow, but, boy, you're cutting it close. And you know, the first time playing through this whole time, you're you're like, "Am I gonna die?" And Shadow will show up like literally four or three seconds before the timer ends, and then that's when you know the airship gets broken into, your entire party scatters, fade to black, world is forever changed that day, and then wake up as Celis. And like the halfway point of the game, yeah. you know, maybe a little bit, maybe two thirds, but like, yeah, no, you know. You, you see it doesn't end and you just know, wow, it, it, it keeps going and it feels like the story has just mm-hmm. reached kind of its climax and then no, it didn't just, mm-hmm. well, just, that's just another thing about it. I guess that, <laughs> that to love. Yeah. And you know, I don't, I don't think story RPG stories at this time kind of were ballsy enough to have a twist like this halfway through the game. I mean, now they're a dime a dozen, but back go, then go ahead. having Thanks. a bad guy win, and then it skips, I think, a year? Or yeah, a year, yeah. Time. Yeah, a year. Um, Celis has been in a coma whole, the whole time. Sid, who is um, her grandfather that you meet in the Magitech research facility, um, who had kind of helped with her Magitech infusion, is is there and had been taking care of her this whole time. Um, but you're on this remote island. You're kind of out of – I mean, you're basically just out of hope. Um all you can really do on this island is just catch fish and go beat up random monsters, and that's it. And depending on your actions at this point in the game, you either walk in and find Sid dead, and Celis can't take it anymore, and jumps off a cliff to try and kill herself, which the game kind of lampshades this by saying that uh, people were cliff jumping to perk them up. 
that's not what was actually going on. That was the Nintendo version of what was going on. And, you know, Celis wakes up, sees a seagull with a bandana around its neck, yells at it. Why did you save me? And then realizes that the bandana is locked and has the hope to go on. And you find a raft and you get off the island at that point. Okay. Okay. A couple of things here. Okay, she throws herself off the cliff remembering a story he told her about people who have... I made a screenshot of this because it's the most hilarious thing in the world. But he's like, yeah, people had a great time when they were a little bit down the dumps and they thought about jumping off a cliff and reaching new heights. (laughs) I made a meme out like, this is probably not what you quote to somebody who's, you know, going to be depressed, lonely, and living near a cliff. I thought that was funny. Number two, I also thought it was hilarious that he waits until he passes away. Oh, there's the letter about the raft. This raft I've had this entire time (laughs) while you're feeding me fish. It's right over there. It's fine. I mean, maybe it wasn't ready yet. Who knows? Um, But yeah, that uh, that was me me crying number two. I bawled. Because, you know, at this point, the music is very dire. It's kind of a rehash, not a rehash, kind of a brings back the opera theme that is a much more darker mm, somber version of it i think the best music cue in the whole game the, the cliff moment yeah i mean i mean it, yeah, but it, you know what i don't think she she throws herself off because she's trying if you remember she's crying and like her it focuses in on like her tears after she falls and they're floating around in the air mm-hmm. like i i mean i think i always took that as a, a She's trying to end it. Or maybe she's kind of just saying, you know, I'll leave it up to whatever happens. Yeah. I don't know. It could be interpreted so many ways. I just know that that is a, that is a dark-ass theme for an RPG in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty a pretty powerful scene, even in 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Like, although I'm pretty sure I saw that on the uh, using the Game Boy Player. I'm pretty sure I remember that being pretty. But yes, uh, still a very powerful scene, even oh, you know, a decade. So heart-wrenching. More than a decade it's after the release. And it's, a another lengthy, it's another lengthy like moment of like emotional story without any battles or anything interrupting mm-hmm, it. So you just mm-hmm. really, you know, you get it's just more it's sto- so story oriented. Mm-hmm. Little did I found out that uh, years later, like, oh wait, you can save Sid? How? Oh, by finding the fast fish and giving it to him. And yeah, this is also very tricky to do because the fast fish is very hard to catch and it doesn't always spawn and. Um, you can does easily she still mess go up. To the cliff? Say what? If, if Sid lives, does does she still? No. If if she lives, Sid um give er, tells you about the raft and says to go find your friends. Oh, I prefer the melodrama. I I I like the idea of saving him better, just because that that scene initially was so damn heart wrenching. But I mean, dude, you you can kill Sid if you want. but um yeah and then you go find edgar who is posing as a thief to get to get back into figaro castle uh i feel like this may be the only time when the story like from here on out the story for me kind of fades into more like it's regular story you know yeah um, it's kind of what you would predict. You have to reassemble your team. I don't. I really don't even mm-hmm. remember. I think it's just that, and then you know you, you need to get to the final um, yeah. face off. Uh, basically, yeah, so. sorry. Basically, you run into Sobin first, who a building collapses, and you have to go save a kid. You run into Sobin, and 
Edgar, who gets the castle back, and then you run into Setzer, who wants to go find his girlfriend's airship that crashed. And that's also a very powerful scene, because they, they're racing the only two airships in the world, and uh, I have the woman's name who's I'm, I'm blanking on now. I want to say it was Dova? I, I'm blanking on it. I'll have to look it up. But yeah, you, you go into her tomb. Daryl, that's what it was. It was Daryl's tomb. You go into her tomb to find the last airship in the world. And once you get the airship, literally the world is your oyster at that point. Um, you can go anywhere and do anything. And you're basically just getting the team back together. And there's a lot of side quests and mm-hmm. side content you can do. Um, getting a lot of espers. Uh, Tying up a lot of loose ends. Uh, I'll talk about one of my one of my memorable that stuck in my head so much later. Uh, little side things that you could do is the is the Tower of, of Mages. Yeah, and and I remember like back in those days we didn't have hint guides or anything. I went through this entire thing, um, you know, just just you know by the seat of my pants. And in that tower, you can only cast magic, and uh-huh. it's a long journey. If you die anywhere along the way, it kind of sucks to be you. I think there's a save point in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the tower, fanatics, fanatics tower. yeah, the fanatics tower, and you can only do magic, uh, and and that's where I'm realizing, oh, osmosis is a useful spell because for the yes. most part, you know, I got, you know, there was always plenty of, of tents and ways to, you know, there was never too many battles between, but you have to use <laughs> a lot of magic in these fights, mm-hmm. so you better get to learn osmosis real quick. And my uh, first time of, of playing any subsequent playthrough, I've never played Fanatics Tower without the Moogle Charm. Yep, I, that's it. how I do the the Fanatics Tower. I don't never at that point. I'm done. I don't want to deal with the random nope. account. <laughs> I I was I you know I didn't know about the Moogle Charm back in the day, or maybe mm-hmm. if I did, I didn't really use it because they are they are some good magic points, uh, or for mm-hmm. your espers. Uh, it is a good way to level up the spells. But by the time I got all the way up there and all the way back down, I had my main spellcasters pretty maxed out on just a few. You know, there's a couple more I needed to do after that, but it was definitely good for bumping up the magic points. Mm-hmm. And then you get the little gym box at the top, which was mind blowing to me. Oh my gosh, I can cast two spells in a row! Yeah. Oh can my gosh, you put that together with Quicken, and it's real fun. So, and we did mention that um, in the World of Ruin, you can also get uh, Mog to actually join your party permanently, mm-hmm. as well as um, two optional characters. Wait, Mo- so Mog is not optional. You do you have to get him. Um, Mog. Um, in a way, a lot of the characters are optional at this point. Way, yeah, there are kind of. Yeah. most of them are optional. Nothing's yeah. once you got the airship. Except nothing's for, yeah. stopping you for going right to Kefka and calling it a day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Mog is. It isn't optional. It's just depending on how early you can get him because um, early in the game, you can choose to either save him or get a gold earring, which um, puts your magic points in half, which is really useful that early in the game. But then you miss out on Mog until the World of Ruin. So And yeah, that's the brilliant thing about this game is after you get the airship, you could literally go to the final dungeon with just your four characters and it's possible to beat. You're probably not going to without a lot of grinding or a lot of luck, but it's possible. Yeah. I will and say everything. Sorry. Yeah, I will say like the, the first the first half of the game, the world of whatever balance, it, you know, it is, you know, especially compared to, you know, games today, it feels very linear. When mm-hmm. you get to the world of Ruin, it becomes this open world extravaganza. Yeah. And that's probably so, why the story in the world of Ruin is less interesting to me. 
Yeah. It's not open. You know, it's it's got its little it's got its individual beats, but they don't tie together like the first half of the game does. So I'm I'm curious what everybody's favorite kind of story beat is in the world of Ruin. Like, which one do you like the most out of all of them? Uh, just I in the world like, of ruin. Yeah, in the world of ruin. I oddly like the one with Gao, just because he, like he's trying. You he, he find out about his father, who his father is. Uh, he, he gets dressed up, meet him, but his father's crazy, and you doesn't recognize him. And you find out that he abandoned his kid because uh, his wife died giving birth to him, and he just threw him out in the wild. Yeah, he thought it was a devil. Like it's yeah, it's just and apparently snapped shortly after that. It's just mm-hmm. harsh. It's just a harsh story. He's, you know, he's still a, he's still a kid, poor gal. He, yeah, and the the thing about that is that it's kind of funny before you could do that because it basically turns into my fair gal, where they're dressing <laughs> him up nice and giving him yeah. a bath and teaching him manners and stuff like that. And you know, the entire party's involved, so everybody's like all into it. The girls are really into mm-hmm. dressing him up. Cyan's really into teaching him. The uh, you know teaching him manners and stuff like that. So it, yeah, exactly. And then it's really like, funny. Yeah, and then he just and he just gets ignored by his father. Um, my favorite side story is the bit with Cyan where you find out that he had been writing letters to one of the women that you meet in the world of balance that was um, sending carrier pigeons back and forth to her boyfriend who was injured in one of the other towns and you find out that oh, yeah. her boyfriend died and she had been getting letters and flowers and this, this whole time and you go into her house and their house is just filled with flowers and you kind of go chase down the carrier pigeon and you go through Zoso again and go to like a mountain in the back and you find that Cyan's been there, and he's been writing this woman letters, and also makes these beautiful paper flowers. And he, he, when you run into him, and he realizes that you know what he, that you're onto him, he's really embarrassed about the paper flowers and tries to hide all of them. And it's really kind of a cute, touching scene, you know, finding out that Cyan, who's been kind of this rough, tough fighter this whole time, has a sensitive side. And then you, once you recruit him back into his party, you can go uh, talk to the woman, and he apologizes to the woman. And it's just really touching seeing the character growth. But I think also from the other perspective, which is that he had lost his family, and yeah. now he's helping somebody else. Well, I don't know if maybe helping is the right word, because he is pretending to be... Yeah, I don't know. So the kid me looked at it a different way than the adult me obviously does. But yeah, yeah, and not only that, Cyan also has kind of an end to his story later. Later, when you go to Doma and he has a nightmare, and you have to basically go into his dreams and fight his demons, even though the demons are Mo, Larry, and Curly, which is kind of hilarious. And um. You eventually fight someone named Rexel, who was a boss fight that I always got stuck on because I didn't know that you could cast uh, death on him to instantly kill him. But, um, yeah, and then he gets closure with his story and basically says goodbye to his wife and child, and that's how you unlock all his his final powers, and he's devastating at that point. Yeah, I think there there is a lot of there is a number of tie ups like that, you know, with the other characters. So, uh, I mean, on one hand, it's open world, but and you could go straight to Kefka's castle, but you would be kind of doing yourself a disservice if you did, mm-hmm. because there's so many of these really good, you know, tie ups that make you care about the characters that much more. Yeah, e- each person basically kind of gets uh, 
a, basically a tie-up to their loose end and kind of is there basically their motivation to go on to fight Kafka. Um, if Cyan wasn't my favorite, then Locke's definitely is because you find out that um, his girlfriend got put in a coma and he is trying to use the Phoenix Magicite to revive her and it ended up failing, but he kind of finds the strength to move on. Um, and Tara also has a very interesting mm-hmm. tie-up where she finds out finds out about love and is taking care of a village full of orphans. And when the orphans get attacked by a demon named Fumbaba, it kind of she kind of has this awakening moment that she loves these orphans and that she's going to protect them no matter what. In order to do that, she's got to go take on Kafka. Kind of, um, Final Fantasy VI kind of tr- treats espers in, and summons in a different way than other games, I think, mm-hmm. uh, have in the series, because um, not only are they summons for battle, but so what you just said demonstrates it, that you can actually use, potentially use the um, the Magicite powers for, like, everyday things. You know, that each one each one has its own purpose that it could possibly be used for just in, in life. And, not, mm-hmm. and then they have their... Um, the humanoid representations in the Esper world, where each one, where each, it's so it's more than just uh, a powerful summoned creature. Like these are, you know, real like breathing um, beings that are, go a little bit deeper, I think, than mm-hmm. what they do in most Final Fantasies. I always it, ruined. The, I sorry, I um, I don't remember like particular story beats because I usually spent the world of ruin grinding way too much. I I always got all the Espers. And then um, equip them to every party member until every party member had learned all the spells. Oh, I, I used to do that, but found out that it was taking way too uh, way too long to do that. So I was just pick like Realm Solus and Terra, and they're my magic users for the final dungeon. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what would have. I don't know what drove me to do that, and I probably ruined whatever story the uh, the world of ruin had by doing that. Mm-hmm. But but it's nice that you can kind of choose to do whatever you want in that world, including beating up dinosaurs in that one god awful forest where the dinosaurs can one shot you. Oh yeah, yeah. And I I forgot to mention one important story beat is that espers can only transfer their power when they die and get turned into magicite, which is a crystal. Mm Hmm. Yeah. So, so to wrap the story because we're going to run out of time. I mean, so you mm-hmm. go go to Kefa's Tower, you work your way up. on up. And one of the cool things about this is you do get you got at this point you could have up to fourteen characters. You at least likely have twelve, uh, mm-hmm. and you you get to divide them up into those three groups. As I mentioned at the beginning, as we talked about at the beginning, you split your party up to defend you know Terror or whoever from the Mughals or with the Mughals from the bad guys. And then, and there's a couple of dungeons along the way where you get to do the multiple party thing. So when you get to the end and you get to do the three party thing, it's really cool. Again, back in the day, I was playing without a game guide. I didn't really do a lot of, you know, super grinding up or anything like that. So Kefka's Cowers is pretty tough for me. And Kefka himself, I wasn't ready for his tricks as my first to go through. So he wiped out a number of my characters. And and the cool thing is, as you go, you're, so I should backtrack a little bit. When they when you're going through the tower, each one activates switches that allows the other one to progress through the dungeon. But eventually, mm-hmm. they they you know each one has to take out a boss. So it does help to have four you know those three teams of four that are somewhat leveled up in balance. And what I did was I made sure each one had a strong caster. And each one had a one or two weaker support casters. Like the mm-hmm. best, the best people to give your support espers to, like haste and stuff, are the guys with low magic power. 
and then focus your high magic power characters on things like Flare and Ultima. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but then they all come to get you know after they all defeat their bosses, they all come together and they fight Kefka. Well, and then it tells you to order your twelve characters. And I don't know what that means, but okay. So I I pick you know. I picked 12, thinking I'm going to make maybe three more groups again. It was a little weird. But then there's my first set of four. And after that first battle, some of them die. Then other people come in and replace them. And and I was just like, oh, mind blown. It was just like, oh, that's really, really cool. Because, you know, half those guys got wiped out. Uh, especially on like his second or third iteration where he fallen ones everybody and wipes people out before you even have a chance to resurrect them. If you don't have life three cast, uh, you can mm-hmm. lose characters real quick. So that was really, for me, really, really cool back in the day. Yeah, and it also just, seems like it adds that element of, like, well, you know, they're they're acting like a team. So you're not yeah. just you're four, but the whole team is in it together. and mm-hmm. We're here to save the world together, you know. And, and, and when, you, when you get down to your, your, last, your last row, yeah. um, the pressure is on. Oh, man. Yeah. And it, and it makes you glad, like, it made me glad anyways. See, in some of the RPGs you'd play, you'd have multiple characters, but you didn't know if you really, it was one of those games where you really just need to focus on four because the rest of them were never, you know, if you didn't want to use them, you didn't have to, and there was never going to be a place or purpose to it. Um, I've had other games before where all of a sudden on the last dungeon, you need to use them all, or you have to use characters you didn't level up, and you felt like it was a big gotcha moment. It pissed me off. But with Final Fantasy VI, it's teaching you right from the beginning, there are going to be instances where you're going to need to use mostly all of your characters or all of your characters. And if you don't think that's not going to be in the last dungeon, you're, you're kind of silly. Yeah. And, you know, arguably, most other RPGs have garbage characters. Arguably, every single character in this game is useful in some way. Except for and Gal. It, I left him behind. No, Except no, Gal. no. He's I, left behind. I, I, he's, no. he's back on the blimp. He's back. I took Phil. the I took the snowman before Phil. I took Gal. Mm-hmm. Phil, have you ever heard of Wind God Gal? No, all I heard, all I saw was I got tired of trying to figure out how many monsters I had to fight to make him useful. Again, no. I had no guy to help me. There, so, there's only one. There's only one monster you need to fight. Well, yeah, if you're lucky enough to, I'm just selling. Like that, after that, spending two hours in a belt, I was like, this isn't worth. It. Let me go no, find a real character. There's literally only one monster you need to get, and that is the stray cat. Oh uh, yes, monster yes, I love to that. get the to get I the cat scratch. Mm-hmm. To, to get the cat scratch ability, which almost always crits, and as raising Gally does um, nine hundred or like max damage very early on, and this you isn't give just your cat fetish talking. No, no, I'm, no, I'm dead serious. Yeah, no, look it up. Is, his list it's, of summons is it, insane to scroll through that many blank spaces yeah. and know like what I have to fill that. Well, when, yeah. when, I, was, when yeah. I was a kid, I tried to get all the rages. As an adult, I'm like, okay, cat, cat scratch, give Gal a Tempest Blade and the offering and the thing that does four, four attacks, and you've just broken the game.
Well, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to break the game. Uh, you know, whether you've done it through hours and hours of experimentation, or you had, uh, you know, the Nintendo Power Guide, or you later on did this with an FAQ. Back in the old days, Uncle Phil just went with his gut. That's why I said, well, I got to Kefka's Coward in the first playthrough. I lost people in the fight with Kefka. I was not ready. In my second playthrough... Um, I did use a guy to help me out here and there to make sure I got as many espers as possible. Um, I spent more time grinding because I remember Kefka being really tough the first time around. I didn't want to get, you know, by the time I got to Kefka and I, I think it was only like two or three extra hours of grinding and maybe a couple of extra hours of side quests. I was so overpowered from pumpkin. I only lost one character in that final fight and that was a fluke. Uh, and there was, you know, Celeste was number five on the roster and she kicks ass. So it was all good. Did you say Um, pumpkin? Yeah. That's the, my name for Kefka. It's my name for anybody, I feel like. it. They just become pumpkin. I call my boss pumpkin. It doesn't matter. It's all good. Uh, you call your that, boss um... pumpkin? Yeah. One thing about the story, and it wraps up with the with this with this very memorable twenty some plus minute, you know, ending. Mm-hmm. But one one thing that, that we, 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 we wanna hit you know, I wanna usually we do this as a separate thing, but I wanna blend this in together, is is the music of the game is every part of the storytelling experience is anything else that goes on here. When you know, when characters are introduced, each one of them has their theme song. And, he, and as, as you get into different parts of the story where they're getting the central focus, their music will kick back in. And it's very, it's, you know, it's wondrous music. It's really well done. And it's very emotionally evocative. And then when you get to the ending and it's showing you, you know, each character's interaction at the ending, taking a well, moment to spotlight well, wait, each Phil, one. Let's, let's give the final battle sequence its own mention yeah. because oh, it, God. Four parts, you. each part has its own Secret. Yeah, we talked about that. You missed well, that. Mike. You must be right. We, we, I mean, we did not not to where it deserves. I mean, it's it's four. I thought it was three, but um, I there's I four. There's like three pieces, and then there's Kefka himself. I mean, it's, like it's the best four stage tr- boss transition graphically and musically. musically. Ever, yes, probably. D- Dancing Mad, probably the longest single track in rpg history at that time at like what 18 minutes and it all the ending theme is is maybe a little bit longer i couldn't couldn't remember it is a little bit longer i remember having the soundtrack to this i mean between the two of them there's probably almost 40 minutes of music yeah and and it's not like a repetitive loop either there there's like a full orchestra in there motifs um different movements i mean Noboa went went crazy with this, with that piece of music. And the art style is kind of like, um, like it, I don't know, it reminds me of like the Sistine Chapel in, yeah. in its style, you know, I don't want to like... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's sort of like Dante's Inferno-ish, or it certainly mm-hmm. evokes that. Very religious yeah. theme looking all of a sudden. Isn't it all three of the goddess statues kind of merged together into one? Well, some of them have like a bunch of yeah. other faces and yeah, bodies and it's like real twisted and I don't know yeah. kind of kind of gross in a way I mean it's not bloody but it, it implies like really disturbing images and on the lower levels anyway and then yeah, you get to I mean, the, like the godly top yeah, part can, of it yeah, you so know? It's the, yeah it's the whole divine comedy you know hell purgatory yeah, you're right. inferno purgatory and then um heaven uh, and it's probably how Kefka views himself twisted heaven anyway <laughs> um I don't know if you guys know about perler beads or not. I've seen people make that tower out of perler beads, and it's as big as a person when made. <laughs> that, that sounds really disturbing. I yeah. 
Hey, I'm posting yeah. it in chat. And and he could be he could be pretty brutal when you're not ready for you know it whatever. Don't think it's it's a lot of genders. Who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah, it could be it could be pretty brutal. So mm. yeah, it definitely helps to be somewhat leveled up to have some good strong you know casting strategy going on. You know, I had people like I said I had people who were offense. I got people who were support. I mean, a big part of the game is really well, kind of focused on. You had Shadow dead, so you weren't able to throw a bunch of very nasty. I was things. joking. Yeah, I was joking about Shadow, but I didn't. Oh. You know, I never focused because uh, you get. Um, I don't ever focus that much on Shadow. I think because you get him like later on after the World of Ruin. I don't know. He wasn't that leveled up uh, at all in terms of magic. And I know you could throw stuff, but I didn't know what was really like. I tried it a few times with different items, and then you don't get them back because they're thrown. It just seemed rather expensive way to do what Celeste or Terra or Realm could do for basically a few magic points. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really get... I know now, of course, there are some throwing items. Like, I heard that if you throw Atma at Kefka, it's instant game over. Huh. I, I, I've never thought to throw my Atma weapon at Kefka. Just would have never occurred to me. Well, there's also the magic solution that once you get to this point in the game, it vanish plus zone kills everything. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, that, was a, that was a bug in the original, though. I think that's been yeah, that's not in later oh, versions. That's long been patched out. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but I spent a lot of time on that original version, and boy, does it help when you're going through the Tyrannosaur Forest. Oh God, that forest! Tr- trying to steal a full party of economizers for my magic users. The pain. <sighs> well, the Tyrannosaurs are one thing. If you find a Brachiosaur, that's Oh, man. Oh, God. I remember that, dude. Yeah. Disaster for everybody you... is nothing to sneeze at. But, but you get a lot of EXP. That is true. If you can kill a Brachiosaur, it is far <laughs> yeah. more likely that it will kill you. Uh, yeah, Isn't I, it cute? I did a lot of save scumming. Like, my most recent playthrough, I played on an emulator, and I did a lot of save scumming to get through that in one piece. And I seem to remember those Tyrannosaurs really like to come up in a surprise attack for you. Oh, yeah. If surprise pincher attack. But those are the best. Strago can learn a pretty cool uh, blue magic spell from them, though. I hardly ever use Strago. Um, no, usually my go-to party at the beginning was always um, Terra, Edgar, Setzer, and Mog, just because those are my favorite characters. Um, later playthroughs, I always tried to kind of min-max a little bit more, having um, Cyan as my my tank, uh, Gal as my damage dealer, and Terra and Celeste as my two magic users. Even though Realm has the highest magic stat in the game, right? It is insane. It yeah, is. She, I, 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 I kind of ignored her on my first playthrough, but on the second one, I just, I, I had her in my party one time and start casting spells. I'm like, Dang, she's doing a lot of damage. Should I give her the whatever relic? Nope, that isn't it. What the hell? Oh, man, her freaking magic power is significantly higher than Terra yeah. or Celeste. Yeah, she got uh, double cast at Ultima. Then, yep, yeah, yep. So she became... <clears throat> yeah. Am I the only she... one that used Gogo with his repeat? Or, or, or Mimic. Mimic, I think is what it's called. Gogo was really handy if you needed an extra magic user or ringer for the um, final area, just because he, you can pretty much set set him up to be whatever you want, and he naturally knows all of the magic spells that everybody else knows in the game. I don't think you have to teach him any magic. No, you can copy it from anybody. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we we mentioned Umaro, right? Um, yeah. Well, I, 
I don't think we did. He's the other Phil, major. Op- Phil called him the snowman. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to mention he... that Umaro comes along. You have to fight him first, and he has that really intimidating graphic for when he's an mm-hmm. enemy, and you get, what, ten gold pieces out of him by ten gold him. <laughs> He, you know, he, he, he doesn't have any magic or anything like that. You can't really control him. But, yeah, I put, like, Haste Relic on him. Gave, yeah, I forget what. Oh, he actually has a couple of orbs you can... But whatever. He is a madman. And you give him He's something just, that lets him just start throwing people in the party at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I gave him that orb, and I would cast Haste on him and just watch him go to town. Like, it, you know, he was just, like, he... he at, some point, at some points of the game where you're fighting some bosses that have you all up against the ropes, I'm using the three other characters just to keep the party alive and give buffs up. He was the damage dealer. <laughs> it worked out great. He just let him... As long as you kept him alive, he just... My most yeah. hated boss was the um, air dragon in the world of ruin. When you when you have to go back to the mountain for something. Oh, oh yeah, or, he's or pretty wind brutal. Dragon, sorry, something like that. I just found it really amusing that all of the dragons you can see them on the screen before you fight them, and they all have the cute little sprite image. And then when you fight them, they turn into these gigantic monstrosities with amazingly detailed, intimidating artwork that is completely at odds with their little sprite image. Yeah. Yeah, that that side quest was something onto itself, and truth be told, the Asprey you get from doing that side quest really isn't that great. As I recall, that side quest, like, like the, the, I think there was a, the, the, like, the last boss of that was actually had to be taken out of the original SNES version, the Kaiser Dragon. Oh, the Kaiser I, Dragon. Yeah, and I don't know if you, I know we played him in the GBA version, I don't know about, like, the PlayStation 1 version, but. No, it's only the no. GBA version. Only the GBA, you get to fight him. That was a, that was a fun fight, um, and I mean that in a, well, this is hard, type of way. <laughs> The, yeah. the PlayStation version is just an emulation of the Super Nintendo, uh, except okay, so. with load times. Oh, okay, yeah. so the GBA actually had the extras, like the extra espers and other yep. boss fights. Well, there were already uh, upwards of 20 or 30 espers in the original game. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember how many it added, three to five, something like that. Yeah. Gilgamesh was one of them, I remember that. <laughs> Quite a few that have never come back. Didn't the PlayStation version have extra cinematics? It did, but I don't. I don't consider those adding much to the game as a whole. They're just okay. I know they that had the same things to Final Fantasy IV and Chrono Trigger on PS One, and it yeah. Did, in exchange for load times, I don't think that's worth it. It isn't too bad if you're playing it like on a Vita or a PS Two, where you can increase the disc load speed. It helps with it a little bit. That is an option now. I just remember thinking. When these things first came out on the PS1, well, that's that's nifty, but really, I have my... The only reason I would have gone for it at the time was Final Fantasy V, and eventually we got that on GBA, and yeah. apparently that the Final Fantasy V we got on PS1 is not the version you should play. No, it's it's broken and bar- and doesn't work on your PS2 or any of the emulated or the PSN versions, which why they put that out in the U.S. if it was broken, I don't know. But, yeah. They just didn't care. Nope. That's the answer. They didn't. But but the, it came with a bitchin' soundtrack back in the day. It's true. Yeah. This, I mean, the have we even finished talking about the soundtrack? Oh, I mean... Well, let's see The first soundtrack here. I've ever bought. This was the first video game music where I found myself wanting to listen to it outside of the video game, which yeah. back then was kind of unheard of. And I remember I remember very distinctly 
it, when I first heard the opera music, I said, this, this is what I want to walk down the aisle to. And <laughs> I tried to, but unfortunately, the person who was supposed to bring the boombox forgot forgot it at my wedding, so that dream was dashed, but <laughs> the, the thought was there. I mean, while you were telling the story of Final Fantasy earlier, I think I think I was um, going in, like, in my head. I was humming along to you know no less than a dozen different songs that I probably haven't heard in a decade, and you just came right back. It's very it's it's so memorable. Like I would definitely say it's 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 my favorite soundtrack. Um, it's my favorite Uematsu soundtrack, a hundred percent. Although well, we this didn't, is, this, yeah, we didn't even get to really mention just how bleak that opening music in the world of ruin is yeah it, it definitely sets the tone for the rest of the game um sa- but funereal is actually too chipper for it mm-hmm. it sounds mm-hmm. not funereal for someone else it's more presaging your own mortality yeah and there's so many there's such a different range of tunes in this game like you got very happy upbeat tunes like the um end music which i think is called spinach rag and then you've got the the bleak stuff like narsh and Terra's theme and celis's theme uh shadows theme yeah um mog's theme being one, one of my favorites just because it's kind of a hip-hoppy beat each of your 14 characters, well, I'm not sure about the, the optional ones, but they all have their own themes. I think every every town or dungeon or area sure. that you do has its own, um, or most of them anyway. And then there's a, the songs for just, like, incidental plot points. Um, the, 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 the towns get kind of upbeat, or kind of, like, upbeat at the beginning, and then in the world of Rumen, they're very dire and depressing. What was the town you mentioned where it was raining? Zozo. Zozo. Yeah, that one has a very um, <laughs> it it recalls it's a catchy all tune. the horror I had. It is, but uh, it reminds me of being being there, and I don't like it. <laughs> or okay, how about the Empire's tune? That's a pretty good incentive. I I don't want to be here any longer than I have to. This place is very uh, unpleasant. The, the town itself sucks, but the Magitech factory. Oh my god, that song is so good. You know, the, I the love that song. Tune is awesome. I'm thinking I love that one. In the, in the Emperor's Castle, that's, that's like, like a, very effective, but not a tune you necessarily want to hear for long stretches. Oh, like I said when I first talked about it, that Magitech Factory song sounds so Sergeant Pepper, and when you know that Uematsu is kind of a rock fan anyway. You you hear start hearing that stuff in a lot of the songs. So that just got me thinking of the uh, the airship theme, um, and that led me to to remembering we we forgot to mention that there is a, um, an optional boss that you can fight while airborne from the oh, airship. Oh yes, and he the, doesn't the... regain. Um, he he runs from the battle and he doesn't regain his health. So you have to literally seek him out multiple times to kill him. And it's completely random. You can do nothing to influence it. But do not try it when you have characters at, at a multiple of five. Oh, no. And definitely don't do the X-Zone trick with him or you'll miss out on one of the best uh, one of the best Magicites in the game. Doesn't it, isn't it the one that teaches you flair? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, his, is his name, is it Death Gaze? 
Yeah, Death Gaze. Yeah, I think it's Death Gaze later. It was Doom Gaze at the start, I think, because mm-hmm. because of course character restrictions. That's that's because the word death. It might have been a character restriction too. I'm not sure. It could have been either or. Um, did you, you guys ever find the hidden castle on your own? What? The the hidden castle, the one that you bump into. When you go into the um, Figaro oh, castle, when you're underground, is yeah, you try to figure out. Oh yeah, I did Odin? find that. Is that the one of the uh, Odin? Actually? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Right. That's story. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another good story, another good side story thinking you want to come across. I just didn't like yeah. that you have to trade one thing to get another and lose one. Oh yeah, that's the. Um... Or am I thinking of a different part? Maybe then. No, you think of a different part, but it relates because you have a choice between getting a sword or a magicite, and it's kind of a catch twenty-two because the magicite lets you get Ultima, which is the best spell in the game that you can teach to everybody. But the sword is also the best sword in the game, which you can trade, or the second best sword in the game, which you can trade at the Coliseum for the best sword in the game. Yeah, so good swords really... are a dime a dozen. You go for the magicite. Everybody knows this. In, you know, I, I used to magicite. I used to be a magicite person, but then I learned that when you uncurse the paladin shield or the uh, curse shield by fighting with it in fifty five ba- or two hundred and fifty five battles, that it turns into the paladin shield that teaches you Ultima. Yeah, by the time I've done that many fights, I have beat Kafka and gone to bed. That's I tried doing that. I was like, oh, no, this is way too time. Oh, just that's 255 you, fights. That's how you fill out Gal's yeah. list. Yes. I know, right? Yeah. That's where you I go to that. I think that's what I did to uncurse the shield. <laughs> just, I, okay, so let's learn as many ranges as he can. I think I just went to that spot where you could fight cactars for like the maximum amount of AP and just ran around fighting cactars while I was learning a bunch of the spells oh. that only had a 1% growth rate while uncursing the shield. And that reminds me of another GBA at least introduced uh, Esper, uh, a gigantic cactar that would show up in that area if you beat up a certain number. Oh, yeah. I and remember it, that. And it has a cactar Esper, doesn't it? Yes, that is a cactar Esper. I forgot about that. So what One I'm thing I remember about playing the GBA version that was just freaking weird is that I was playing it on an old GBA and the, one of the shoulder buttons was pretty much busted and the shoulder buttons were how you changed magic to be multi-target so <laughs> i wasn't able to multi-target much of anything the whole game i had a similar problem with my gba uh with a shoulder button that was busted too i wonder if that's a common problem yeah i think one of my gbas had that problem switched over eventually to a ds uh that's at that point and of course i also played it half the time on the game boy player so. <laughs> and it was and it was my backlit gba too which is uh. even more of a tragedy <laughs> Yeah, I, I just remember trying to get as much life as possible out of my GBA before I gave it up for dead. <sighs> All right, I, I'm sorry, Pascal, you were gone. No, it's okay. Um, I, I may be um, thinking, I may be mixing something up. I thought there was a an Esper or, or a Magicite that you, um, I think it's Odin or it's whatever you have before you get Odin. There's one that you trade in. Um, <laughs> And I feel like it's connected somehow to like Cyan or his the castle or one of the castles. I and then think... you get another magicite, but you lose the one that you had. I think it's Odin, and you trade it in for something. Yeah, I remember now. It's 
like a statue cries and turns it into something else. Yeah, I mean it's not like a trade in at a at, at a store. You have uh, it's it's somewhere. It's a hidden secret somewhere. I, it, I just it, really don't remember in detail. It's in that castle that you bump into in Figaro, yeah. and it, it's a very obscure thing. You have to like go five steps from the throne room and yeah. hit the search button, and, and a bookcase a, opens. And it's a good magic site. Um, but I just don't like the fact that you lose the one that you've already been using. No, I, I never liked that either. I, I don't like having to sacrifice one thing for the other. At least with the uh, sword magicite trade, you kind of – both things were, were useful in their own way. But that one um, – and, and I think that the one that you get after that isn't as good. I can't remember. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't remember regretting. Like, I get where you're coming from because basically, you could think of it as losing one for another. I mm-hmm. thought of it as upgrading the magicite. Um, I, I do remember having this sentiment of like, it didn't feel like it, it felt like an upgrade, but it didn't feel like a mind blowing upgrade. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, this is clearly more powerful and totally makes sense. So I could see that sentiment mm-hmm. coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, did but anybody, uh, did anybody besides me think that? Um, if you bought enough one twelve hundredth pieces of the airship at the auction house, that eventually it would pay off in some way. Yeah, as a little kid, I thought that too. I didn't realize that that meant a scale replica of the auction house. <laughs> oh, is that is that what it means? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it was translated well. It's supposed to be like the one. Whatever the number is, scale replica. I always took it to mean it's a small part of a. Giant yeah, no. As as a kid, I thought that too, and then as an adult, like, well, no, that makes no sense. What what they probably meant was a scale replica, uh, but okay, Phil, you're going to edit out my stupidity. Uh, if, was it little kid stupidity? If or it just, is, uh... no, because I you just you just blew my mind. I just I just now realized. <laughs> or can it's you just okay. put one long ampersand over all of that, please? <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah the, the auction house was cool did you guys ever do anything with the coliseum at all or was that uh, uh, just I, I, I did it to get the the, the, the site there again that's that is where you fight gilgamesh oh um ultros is the uh it works there in the uh, world of ruin isn't that where you have no control nope no it isn't uh, no it is. no you don't have it any is. control i hate yeah. that uh, yeah, that yeah. Was a terrible decision. Without an FAQ to tell me exactly what you know to do there, it was totally like, oh, wait a minute, this seems stupid. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think I think I want to say I did stick around for Shadow, but I don't want to say my play, first playthrough. I don't I don't think I unlocked him because I didn't know even that you had to get that one thing to, you know, I, I might have missed that because that's where you unlock yeah. him is in the Coliseum. You have to give up a thing that you find in the cave. You have to put it up, you know, for for bets. And yeah. and then you fight him and you'll win. He'll he'll actually pretty much let you win. But unless you know that, and I don't know if there was an NPC that told you that or or what. I mean, on my second playthrough, FAQ for the win, but I, I don't yeah, remember. But to really go and go for like the the top prizes. I mean, I don't know if that's some kind of idea at a strategy game. You you know you pick the right character and equip him just right. I don't know. I I I, I can't be bothered to. I think I've heard that it's most effective to just give people the imp gear and turn them into an imp so that they aren't incredibly capable of doing incredibly stupid things like, I don't know, casting blind. 
Yeah. While the enemy is nuking them. <laughs> yeah, if if you put stick a magic user and that you're going to have a bad time, mm. what I ended up doing was um, just making sure that I didn't teach Cyan any magic, or if I did teach him magic, it was it would be at least useful stuff like Cure, and just decked him out and sent him in. And th- there's also a strategy where you... Um, get Locke's evasion up to a certain number, and he can't be hit. But that's also a bitch to do, too. Yeah, the less... For me, the less said about the auction house, the better. Or, uh, I mean, the Coliseum. Yeah, the the Coliseum is, like, an interesting little diversion. And you can get some of the best stuff in the game, but it's also kind of a pain in the ass. And you so, also need to know not to wage your lousy stuff, or else... Chupon's gonna just gonna come along and sneeze you out of the out yeah. of the ring. Typhoon. Yeah. It got weirdly translated. <laughs> I know it's Chupon in the original, and then it, yeah. it was supposed to be Typhoon all the time. Yeah. Was it Ultras's friend? Yes, Ultras's yeah. friend. <laughs> we didn't even talk about the fourth fight against Ultros <laughs> when you're falling through the air. Oh right, right. Yeah, and you don't really win because. Chupon Typhon just shows up and blows you away. I mean, for being an octopus, you fight him in some interesting locations. Mm-hmm. An opera house where he drops from the rafters. A river. Well, that's... I the, mean, middle that's... Of, the middle of a cave where okay, he's... Okay. Where, he, where Realm sketches him to win. Oh, I mean, to be fair, in a river, um, aren't octopuses seawater creatures? Yeah, I don't think... They wouldn't do well in freshwater, technically. Yeah. Well, I, I guess if they really, really don't like you then apparently they'll just go to whatever lengths are necessary to get in your face. Mm-hmm. So, uh, did, was there anything else about the game that we forgot to mention that's kind of important? I think we covered pretty much We everything. forgot Interceptor, Shadow's dog. Yeah, best doggy. Mm-hmm. The dog, anyway, that, like... if Shadow dies, then Interceptor get, becomes Realm's dog. Yeah, well, that, that's a very interesting thing. Is that she? Um, he makes when he meets Realm, he makes mention that the dog doesn't like anybody, but the dog for some reason really likes Realm. And if you go to sleep in the world of Rune with Shadow and your party and that town where you meet Realm, um, you get like different cutscenes that show Shadow's past, and one of them, which like has a one in twenty four chance to show up, heavily implies that. That um, Shadow is Realm's dad. Actually, I think it's pretty much conclusively proven that he is her dad. It's just never outright stated in the Not game. Not in the game itself, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, we didn't have the internet to go look up the right. stuff. Yeah, go look up, like, an interview or what have you. I, ju- I just know that the rare cutscene out of the ones that can show up are the ones that pretty much says it, that you you can only watch the cutscene once, and unless you save scum, you, you're probably not going to know. Yeah, and what you learn is that Shadow is no more role model for being a dad. No. And that's probably why in the ending, he, even if he did live, he just chooses to stay on as Kefka's tower comes crashing down. He's done. Yeah. Do the optional characters have their own spot if you get them during the um, during the finale? Yeah. Briefly, I I know it's like the, the, the mime just kind of vanishes into a, some kind of hole, I think. Um, the mime actually the pops up and is useful in uh, bashing down an obstacle that suddenly appears, as I remember. Yeah, and Gogo um shows up and yeah, like has nice. to mimic pressing a bunch of switches in the ending. But that's pretty much it. 
Right, that's what happened. Okay, go, go. I mean, what if you like miss like game, main characters? What if you don't get some like Strago or whoever? I I've never beaten the game without at least everybody. That's, that's got to be on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, that's a YouTube project. Because yeah, you got me kind of thinking. Because that so the ending, so the ending. What's what's so memorable is for me is you know they're showing the characters as they're leaving this you know this place that's falling apart, Kefka's Tower and whatnot, and it gives them an introduction. And the mu- it's all timed. The music of each character's each character's theme song flows one into the other. So the million dollar question that goes through my head: if it wasn't, you know, if there wasn't this music tying it together, if it was just standard background music, then they could cut those characters out of it, and it wouldn't miss anything. But mm-hmm. with the music, you, you 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 know, from going from one character's background music to the other, you'd have to do something, or you'd have to have alternate tracks ready, or whatever arrangements ready. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious. I'm going to have to Google that up. Uh, We also forgot to mention that with the ending, um, because you're destroying the statues, that all the espers are dying, and nobody knows if Tara is going to live or not. And the last bit in the ending is her father showing up from his magicite saying that if you have a strong connection to this world, you'll live. And the last scene in the game is her basically kind of blowing her hair in the wind kind of confirming that yeah she does have a strong connection to the human world and it's kind of a nice bookend on the whole story about Tara's humanity I mean we we say that the game doesn't have a main character and it it kind of is Tara to a degree because the story really kind of focuses a lot on her journey as a person Um, at least that's how I feel and then you know later on Square kind of canonized having her be the representative for uh Dissidia. We also didn't mention that she has a, her second form in the World of Ruin, or at some point. Yeah. Um, when she freaks out the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's, you know, in my first playthrough, she was my go-to caster because, um, yeah, when you're fighting a boss, you have her transform into Esper mode and her magic ability goes up through the roof. Uh, and she was maxing out damage with whatever spells I was using at the time. Now the second playthrough, I just realm realm is awesome. See, I, I never used her <laughs> second foot and control it, or maybe I'm mistaken. Her she transforms. It's her special move, right? She transforms into Esper, and it yeah. doubles her magic power essentially. But it is yeah. on a timer, yeah. and the and the longer you go without using it, it seems the longer you have to use it on a particular on the boss encounter when you finally trigger it. If you if you keep activating it too often, it cools. You know, it only lasts for okay. a turn or two. But save it up for a good boss, and it can last for you know a number of rounds, especially if you got haste and, and quick going on. Uh, you can get some real mileage out of that shit.
like kind of special ability I ever use on anybody was Edgar and his tools because they were so high damaging and so easily accessible. Yes, most of them right at the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely you know especially for early dungeons, his AOE tools were just free. You know, made it really yeah good times. Well, uh, so okay, the- go ahead. Speaking of battle stuff, there's one thing that people talk about that I've never tried to use. The desperation moves. When people are low on life, they're supposed to have these super powerful physical attacks that just come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I don't usually make a point of keeping my people close to death to try and trigger those. Nope. Any relic that said, did this when you're dying, is like, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Um, I've, I've played this game so many times, I don't think I've ever seen a desperation move, and that's just because I don't like keeping my characters that low and that that ended up coming back in final fantasy 8 yeah whoever came with that idea stop it just stop it uh but we're getting late so we need to do a a wrap up here around the table and of course we all know you we love uh final fantasy 6 but how did it what's its what's its lasting impression you know on on your life uh and 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 you know do you think other people would like it what's your selling points whatever so uh going in the same order again i believe that puts miss kelly first well i mean like i said earlier it impacted me so well that i wanted the music in my wedding which you know that didn't happen 16 years later but what you gonna do but as, as far as impact on my life i mean i i tell people if it weren't for that game i wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you guys that game made me love rpgs and want to play more of them and it inspired me to want to learn how to write and actually craft a story that could impact people um i mean it's 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 a game that literally changed my life and a game that i bring up when people try to say that video games are trash and are worthless and uh can't be art like here you go final fantasy 6 play it and come back and tell me that Jerks. (laughs) Jerks. <laughs> oh, speaking. Oh, oh, real quick. I know this is kind of like an aside, but it kind of ties what you, you're telling people to go out and play it. But, but, but I don't have a Game Boy Advance or Super Nintendo stay around. Should I play the Steam version? <clears throat> we need to talk about that real quick. How, how much of a graphics horror are you, Phil? Yeah, I, I'm not. But since you asked that question, I've in trying to get other people to play Final Fantasy VI, a number of them have been very resistant because they see the graphics of the Super Nintendo version. They're like, uh-uh, that's way too old school for me. But if I show them the Steam version, they're like, oh, okay, I can do that. Um, The Steam version doesn't bother me as much as it bothers other people. I can see why people don't like the art style. Um, your Your mileage may vary. Is the graphics the only big difference between the two? Uh, the UI, because the Steam version is really just a port of the mobile version. Yeah, the UI has, like, your turns are popping up from the bottom, like the menu's popping up slowly, so mm-hmm. it's it's a bit different there. Uh, I will say I watched a lot of gameplay, because I was doing this for CRPG Club, and it was funny because um, Chris, uh, a.k.a. Sabin, was like, if you're playing this for CRPG Club, you should really play the Steam version. <laughs> and I'm like... I, you know, since the first time I played this game in 24 years, I, I want to do the original. Now, I can't see myself doing the Steam or the Game Boy Advance version in future playthroughs, but uh, I did watch a lot of footage to do that write-up. And one thing I will say is it seems like they ported over the original music. for Like, it sounded exactly the same to me on the videos, uh, which is mm-hmm. one of the most important components to me. 
Uh, I agree with you. Like the graphics, on at some respects, the the the, the style irritates me, and especially the fonts. I hate that aerial looking font. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, the background graphics look awesome. The monster sprites look more detailed. The the 3D effects, of course, they're going to be more modernized. Like the railroad cart, I took a screen capture on the Super Nintendo emulator of the railroad cart scene. You can't even tell when it's paused that you're on a railroad tracks. So you just can't. It's the, it's so bad. But on the, the, the Steam version, of course, it looks fine. And, you know, I'm looking at screenshots of it, and really the problem I see is that the character sprites don't look right. Everything else doesn't yeah. look that bad. It's the character sprites that are so drawing. Yeah, the character drawings themselves in the text bubbles or the character sheets look look fabulous. They 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 do look and they look like they maintain the style. But the sprites, I I don't know what they were thinking with the sprites. I I think I, they were trying to do something like the PSP version of Final Fantasy one and two, which looks gorgeous. They just uh, whoever they hired to do the to, to redo the character sprites in that style couldn't pull it off as well. Mm-hmm. So. So, like you said, your mileage uh, will will vary. Um, but anywho, uh, anything else before we move on to the next person? Um, no, not really. It's just it's a game that changed my life. Not hyperbole. Mr. Mr. Pascal? Um, yeah, I think that's fair to say, um, Kelly, that, you know, like this is, this without this game, like maybe I wouldn't be here because uh, it, it, it really is what, what sold me on RPGs and I think if I, you know, if I, by chance, I randomly picked up a different RPG that might be a, a very different story. And I think for me, it also it was at the right time of my life. And I think it played it on, like, for me, what was the right system, the Super Nintendo. So I think a lot mm-hmm. of those factors, if they had been different, you know, a different story. Um, I do have the um, the Super Nintendo Classic, and I've had, uh, I've I, at, at various points, I've had... Um, my son and my girlfriend try to like play it and get into it, um, and he did for a little while. My girlfriend not so much; she's not a gamer, and I don't understand <laughs> why that is. Because we just um, like I had her play the first um, let's let's call it like the first forty five minutes to an hour, basically first boss, the mines, that kind of stuff, and everything about that from the graphics to the music is you know to me in in in, in my view, I don't understand how you cannot like it. It's oh. just so iconic, kind of, you know, something that has just been in my, in my brain is like, yeah, that's the perfect way to start the game, start any game, I mean. Yeah, I um, mean, I don't know, if if you weren't there, I guess you weren't there to, to experience see that, RPGs that way. Yeah, um, so, you know, it, I, I just can't, um, I have a hard time putting myself in, a, in the position of doesn't have the same experience, I guess, of loving that. So, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's it's the most um, like emotionally um, connected I've been to a, a Final Fantasy game. Overall, it is my favorite. I think so. If you're gonna kick me off, I guess now at least it's safe because it's almost the ending of the podcast. Um, I feel like the first disc of Final Fantasy VII is more emotionally charged, and the um, as far as like the soundtrack that gets me more. But um, as a as a complete product, it's definitely Final Fantasy VI. I mean, I, I waffle back and forth between 6 and 7. I have a very hard time trying to nail down which one I like more. <laughs> it, it really depends on what day of the week, week it is, <laughs> frankly. There are things I like about both of them, but as far as impact on my life goes, 6 was the was the start of a long RPG journey. 
And to me, that's uh, to me when when somebody says uh, JRPG, it's it's that style. Like that to me is what JRPG is. I know now it's many other things, mm-hmm. but um, you know, like that's there's JRPG and then there's like modern JRPG, and that Final Fantasy VI is kind of maybe one of the one of the last like eras of like JRPG. So, so what you're saying is six uh, is the perfect JRPG before companies like Idea Factory and Compile Heart got their greedy Moai infused hands all over them. That reminds me, I gotta tell you about. Some oh, other I'm stuff. sure there's games with that Moai stuff that never just never reached America. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Do we really have to bring that into fi- talking about Final Fantasy VI? Do we really have to bring Idea Factory into this? Hey, we're getting. We're getting we're getting too pie in the sky. I need to bring it down a level. It feels a little bit of a stretch to me. <laughs> well, you're connecting some things there. Speaking of, it's Mr. Mickey's turn. Well, for me, this wasn't the first RPG I played, and I don't know if I would even consider it the single best RPG I've ever played, but it has lodged itself into my brain inexorably, and... I wouldn't remove any of the memories I have of playing this game because it's just damn good. I have played it multiple times, and I don't do that much anymore. But for this game, if I hadn't already been playing something for review purposes, I probably would have booted it up again so that I could have all my memories fresh in my head. But as it turns out, I still have a ton of memories in my head, even though I haven't played this game in a decade, which just speaks to the power and the lasting nature of it. Whether... New people to it will have the same experience. Some people will. I. There just seem to be a whole lot of people out there now who look at something like this, immediately consign it to the retro heap, and can't look any further. I, I can't empathize with that, but I know it exists. But at the very least, everyone should attempt it. And don't do it with the the iPad version, whatever. Touch touch controls are not really ideal for this game use a use a freaking game that was designed with touch controls in mind not something that was retroactively made to have them but everyone should give six a try at the very least and you may just find yourself captivated i i say support the company and try to get the official release but if the official release is the ipad version i don't think people will be upset at you using other means to play it in its original form. Well, the <laughs> the classic, which has so many other good games also, that it may just be a, a worthwhile investment. You get six with it. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. That's true. Of course, in the classic, it's three, because we've got to have the original release yeah. edition. And is it the original? Does anybody know? It's the original, original translation. should be, I imagine. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, works for me. Yeah. It, you know, that kind of brings the, up a one thing we didn't really mention is that, yeah, you can be more faithful with the translation here, but this is not one of those early 90s games that was just given a quick two-week localization by somebody who doesn't speak the language in an office. Say what you want about Ted Woolsey, but he made an entertaining script for this game. Uh, well, I, I think that brings up an interesting point that I don't – if we discussed it, I might have missed it. Um, but 
in the in the Super Nintendo version, they were running out of space, especially with all that music they had on there. Mm-hmm. So the script in the Super Nintendo version is definitely truncated. And I and I don't you know in playing in my second th- playthrough, I didn't even know about that little tidbit. But the one thing that did jump out at me in playing it again now as a more modern gamer was how short you know the script would be at times, how quick it would get to the point. You'd have a character who was set in their ways, another character comes up and presents a different viewpoint with two lines of dialogue. And and the character, the first character is like, oh, you know, what? that makes sense. Let's do it. Um, so I did a little digging because I'm like, boy, that's kind of jarring. Uh, and it turns out, yeah, yeah, they had to cut some script. But I believe in the Game Boy Advance version, while it doesn't have, while the music uh, fidelity suffers a little bit, you do get the better script. You get the full script. I, I That's what, anyways, that, that's what the internet says, you know. Could be There's wrong. also some pretty good uh, fan translations out there that do a really nice job of, um, you know, you know, kind of, kind of making it just a little bit more serious. It kind of takes away some of the lighthearted tone, and it definitely messes up the lyrics to the opera song, which I did not approve of. <laughs> but I mean, it really depends on what your flavor is. I, I will never ever say a bad word about Ted Woosley because he 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 was given McDonald's hamburgers and turned them into filet mignon, as far as translations go. Mm-hmm. Even if he didn't seem to know his Star Wars references that well. Yeah. Um, nah. I, I can give him a pass on that. I didn't I didn't get that joke until much later in life either, so. Yeah. How about Miss Cassandra? Well, I didn't, I also didn't grow up with this game. It was not part of my formative RPGs, but as someone who did come to it in the early, you know, adult life, I, and, you know, that we had... You know, we had, it was that you know that was, that was the start of um, you know the generation with Wii, PlayStation Three, and Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. So, so I so you know I'm going back. But I was already interested in like you know retro gaming even at that age. And I and again, I it was I it was still I found it to be a powerful, impactful game, an excellent story, fantastic, great music, despite you know not being introduced at a very young age and hearing years of all this hype and all this um people like you know flaunting over it and wondering will it what is, is it really all that good is it really all that good and yes it's not one of my most favorite games even if it, i guess it could, it could count as my favorite super nintendo game and there are games i could say that have better music uh games that might have a somewhat better story games that might have courage but it's just a, it, com- it's, it has a com- it's a complete package and it's a fantastic game that i do think every rpg fan owns to at least play through once really should and you know it's awesome that you know you came in a in a post era the death world where people a lot of the story beats started um, becoming more prominent and you still thought that it was impactful. Mm-hmm. Again, very much so. It met the hype and it's still a fantastic game. And yeah, and I do wish I had a DS Lite so I could play it more readily without my cruddy cheap non Blackster GBA. <laughs> You know, the, uh, I, you know, I've already said a lot, you know, throughout this whole thing about, you know, its impact, uh, you know, for me. And uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, when you ask them what's their favorite uh, role playing game or favorite Final Fantasy, it's almost always the first ones they played. And the funny thing is, I've been playing games for so long that Final Fantasy VI wasn't anywhere close to my first Final Fantasy or role playing game. But when I play, you know, when I first started playing role playing games, uh, I was playing Western RPGs, Dungeons and Dragons, and stuff on the computer. When I played Final Fantasy One and Dragon Quest Four on the Nintendo, 
they were okay, but I really didn't see the point. They felt so simplistic compared to the computer Western RPG counterparts. You had limited parties. Uh, they, they wouldn't even let you choose your classes in a lot of them. And uh, the combat seemed so simple. And the story was like, eh? You know, it wasn't anything better than a and d story. It was a little out there, in fact. Um, and, and truncated, which was, you know, it's a console. But... Uh, you know, so I just didn't see what people were paying big bucks for these games for. Uh, but then when I hit Final Fantasy VI, it really showed me what a JRPG was and what made JRPGs, what made them so awesome. With Western RPGs, you form your own group, you go into what is often an open world setting, and you make your own story. JRPGs, the ca- most of the time, I'm not saying all of them, but for the most part, their MO is they've already got the characters, they've got the plot, it's all it's all made up. They're there to tell you the story and to help you experience the story that they have prepared from beginning to end. And 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 that was so much more moving than any of the D and D games, you know, that I played. I found them satisfying with their tactics and, you know, the stories I would tell my friends what I did with my party. But Final Fantasy VI was there to tell me its story. And and it, and like you all said, there's tears at the end because it's such a moving story that's being told. And it's, ton- it's told so well with the music, the graphics, which I-, I get it. People look at the graphics nowadays and they're just like, oh, yeah, pixelated. I, I can't do that. Give it, give it a shot. Turn off the distractions. Don't have the YouTube on. Don't have the TV on. Just sit in front of a TV like we did back in the in the nineties, uh, where we only had one TV per room. Go figure. And just let you know, and just allow you know yourself to experience it's you fun. know this thing the way it was meant to be experienced with the music turned up and, and just take it in that whole experience. It, it, it is, it is, it is just something else. And it's a shame that. You know, I, I I wish I could get more people who haven't played this game to give it a really fair shake. Uh, my brother was like, "Oh yeah, I already forgot everybody." My wife got to the uh, to the part where Kefka or Kefka's blowing up the island. It's about to get to the world of ruin. She's like, "I'm done." I'm like, why? I don't want to see the end of the game. I don't want it to end. I'm like, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's not going to be. I don't want to do it. <laughs> so I just I can't win here. Uh, but, but it, it is, it is, it is just so awesome. And as I said before, you guys know me, I don't remember squat, but 24 years later, when I was playing this game again, 24 years later, it amazed me. Now, of course, I remember the characters' names like they were yesterday. I remember the music, the moving music. I remember, of course, the major plot points. But when I was playing the game, it surprised me. I knew it was going to be in that treasure chest. I knew it was in that room. I knew it was around that corner. I played Dragon Quest four three times. I've played other RPGs over again. Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger, other masterpieces. But but this is the game that really left its mark on me that I remember things that I couldn't even begin to remember about those other games. I, I, it was just that good. And, and and you know the soundtrack is just absolutely mind-blowing, phenomenal. I do play it all the time. I play it at work. I had somebody you know, come to my office one day, and I usually play, you know, pop or whatever, and they hear this music on, they're like, oh, I didn't know you were into classical orchestra. I didn't know you were into Bach or Beethoven or whatever, have you? I just thought you did video game music and pop and rap or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. I, I, I got a new classical side to me now. They had no idea. It was another more video game music. How often do you uh, play rap at work? 
once in a blue moon. But, <laughs> you know, I'm usually all over the place with my musical taste, but I don't listen to classical music. And I am known for listening to video game music. But when they came in and they heard that, they're like, classical music? I didn't think that was you. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's Final Fantasy music. There's a whole concert, you know, of, of this. It's awesome. I went to the, you know, we had uh, the Square Enix concert here in, in, in Utah. And it was, they played some Final Fantasy VI songs, of course. And it was just, oh my gosh, so awesome. But uh, yeah, just absolutely a memorable game. However you got to experience it, whether you do the Game Boy Advance, you do, you know, uh, a Super Nintendo, you emulate a Super Nintendo. You get a Super uh, Nintendo Classic. You get a Super Nintendo Classic, exactly. Uh, hook that guy up to there. Uh, however you got to play this, uh, you know, of course, we'll always tell you, have a legitimate copy of it, no matter if you are going to emulate. Like, I've got like five copies, so it's not a big deal, but That's whatever you got to do. That's one thing I forgot to mention. I think, aside from the Steam version, I think I've bought pretty much every release that's ever come out for this um, PlayStation, GBA, uh, Virtual Console at one point. You name it. Yeah. So, so yeah, just find a way to experience it. And if it's your first time, if you listen to this podcast and it's convinced you to give it a shot, and you go through and play it, please, 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 you know, reach out to reach out to us. Tweet me. Hit us up on disc. Hit me up on Discord. Uh, you know, um, uh, in a CRPG Club channel, I'll see it there. Or uh, you know, put us a message underneath this podcast. Unless you're like doing this like months after the fact, always leave your comments on the most recent podcast. We don't go back and read the old ones too often, but uh, we would love to hear from you and hear about your experience. And we'll read it on the air on the next show um, or whatever show you happen to write it on. One thing I forgot to mention is kind of kind of a closer. It, it blows my mind how much they managed to bring out of that cartridge between the graphics and the music. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I remember, and I thought that I couldn't find it. I did a quick Google search. I could have swore that part of the marketing for this game was that it had like 64 megabits instead of the standard 32 megabits or something along those lines. That's one of the reasons mm-hmm. that justified the extra cost. Uh, and when you think about it, if it was 64 megabits is what my memory is telling me, that's only eight megabytes. <laughs> that's only eight freaking megabytes. Uh, I've that's got, insane. I've got spreadsheets that are bigger than that on my work computer. Yeah. Your, your pictures you take with your camera are bigger than that. You know, uh, it just, it's insane. Um, it's incredible what they did with the limited space here uh, and how they made such an epic journey. And, and what is it? Like, I, the, one of the reasons I heard they don't do a remake of this uh, or something along those lines is they didn't want to do one until they made a game that was better than No, it. that was seven. That was oh. seven. Yeah, they, sure. I, last I heard, they were still, I think it was what, they were still considering doing a fancier remake of both five and six. Uh, and even considering the 3DS a few years ago, but obviously that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, I I was disappointed because with those remakes of 3 and 4 on the DS, I really wanted to see that same treatment with um, 5 and 6, maybe like yeah. maybe on the 3DS, and the fact that that didn't happen just hurts my heart. Yeah, although I've gotten... I, I like the idea of some people suggested I see on the internet of having like, having it done with using Octopath Travelers um, sprite oh, style. Yeah. That would oh. be amazing. That would oh, be shut yeah. up, shut Ooh. up, and take my money. Take yeah. it now. Take I'll, I'll buy this special collector's edition with the extra plushie, the Terra plushie, or what? Oh, the Mog, the Mog plushie. It would have yes, Mog, God. Mog plushie. I would take the Mog plushie with that. That would be great. Yeah. The Mario plushie. I'll even take it a Mario <laughs> plushie. It's fine. It's fine. 
well, I don't know if I I don't know if I could still say this is the best RPG ever in my opinion or my most favorite RPG of all time. But I will still say that 25 years after playing it and been an RPG gamer for more than 30 35 years is the one that is still you know most emotionally resonates with me. Right. Like no other RPG I have played. I played some tear jerking RPGs after this. Um, like but, Cross Edge, but this right? is Cross Edge, so moving. Got really evoked my anger emotion like no other game. You know, it's just so evocative. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, and, and you can buy it anywhere, boys and girls. For like, I mean, the Steam version is like ten, fifteen bucks, something like that. Whatever it is, it's worth it. So, what does the Game Boy Nintendo cart go for yeah. these days? Let's let's just uh, let's just do that, and then we'll wrap it up because we gotta go to bed. Um, that's really good. So you're gonna hear some typing, boys and girls. I hate that, but you know, typing it in. My keyboard's rather loud. Uh, Final Fantasy VI on the Game Boy is I see one here for sixteen bucks. Trying to find Super Nintendo Japan import Super Famicom fifteen bucks. Uh, Super you're Nintendo. Probably gonna Fam- have to look for three. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look for three. Three Super right. Nintendo. Yep, there you go. So the Game Boy advances aren't too expensive. Here we go. So, uh, Final Fantasy three twenty one bucks. Uh, tested battery works forty five bucks. Free shipping worldwide fourteen bucks. So uh, from China. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> reproduction. Yeah, but now we want new in the box. So let's see if we <laughs> just uh, and, and not from China. Not not. Oh, ooh, a car, oh, a Final Fantasy three three D cartridge keychain. Oh, I need what? that. Yeah, it's a little keychain. You just hook it up there. And you got a Nintendo cartridge. It's like smaller, you know. To but um, here we go. Uh, Final Fantasy three because this is what our listeners demand, Mike. Final That's Fantasy three Super Nintendo new sealed SNES copy. Uh, let's do the prices right with our with our panel here. Who can get the closest without going over? Uh, Cassandra, three hundred. Uh, Mike, two sixty. Pascal, oh jeez, um, I was thinking much lower, one thirty. <laughs> oh, and Red Rock three sixty three, nine sixty three. Oh, uh, five hundred. Five. Wow, you're the winner. Because wow. the price is two thousand seven hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents with nineteen dollars of shipping. What? You can't even get free shipping on that. You can't even get free shipping for twenty eight hundred bucks. Oh my goodness gracious! That's okay. like that. That's like half the price that I paid for my car. But that's what our listeners demand, and that's what they deserve. You actually can get it through the PayPal payment plan, one hundred thirty-five dollars a month for the next twenty-four months, uh, and you can I, add I a three-year protection this to end immediately after we post this because someone will go for it. So, and and you get the three-year protection plan for an additional two nineteen ninety-nine, um, and you'll be happy to know though you do earn twenty-eight dollars in eBay bucks. Uh, the seller is Digital Press. Who has sixty eight hundred star one hundred percent positive feedback? So yeah, yeah, it probably really is what it says it is. You know what? You might want to just emulate it. <laughs> yeah, just gonna put that out there. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, yeah. But anywho, it, it, I, I don't know if it's worth twenty eight hundred dollars, but it is worth the eighty dollars I paid, which inflated for today's price is probably one sixty or two hundred bucks. It was worth it for me. I, I would do it again. Um, no, I wouldn't. Uh, anyway, no, you don't have two hundred dollars right now. But anywho, 
check it out, Final Fantasy 3 slash 6, however you got to play it. Uh, thank you all so much. Uh, we're going to be... Let's listen to some... Speaking of great music, we're packing this episode full of music. And if you listen at the end of the podcast, we'll probably have five more tracks on at the end. Uh, and uh, But we'll be right back after this music break with our new CRPG Club segment. So hold on tight to your moogles. You know, episode 200, so excited, and we have not only a new intro for you, but kind of sort of a new segment. I, I alluded to this, I think, on the last show, the show before, but the RPG Backtrack Sidetrack segment is changed now to the CRPG Club, with the C standing for computer, role-playing games. Every single month, I play a game, a classic role-playing game. I invite you guys to join me uh, on the computer, on the PC. Uh, my argument is that the PC is the best retro gaming machine of all time uh, for role-playing games, especially, especially since we're getting so many re-releases and, and, and the game we're talking about today is just an example of that. Uh, but this, uh, you are welcome to join in on the conversation. Uh, you can find out more about the CRPG Club by looking at the special features in... Our we- on our website at rpgamer.com. You can ask me for the direct link if you can't find it, but it's right there in the special features area. It's easy to, to, to get to. I talk about it all the time on Twitter. I'm always linking it on Twitter, so if you're following me on Twitter, you can read all about CRPG Club. But we talk, we have a, we have a we have a channel in Discord dedicated to discussing uh, these games as we're playing through them, and so uh, and then I write an article about it at RP Gamer and going to talk about those games here as well on rpg backtrack so today's game was the game we played in december of 2018 just about a month or so ago it was valkyria chronicles uh and it was originally released on the playstation 3 but was later brought over uh to the pc on steam that's where i got it for bloody dirt cheap and uh and that's where i got to play it so uh, it's just one of those games that are coming back to the PC. Bring them home. Bring them home. So 
So Josh is huge into this series, and I've been curious about it for a while. Um, sell me on it. Why well, should I play? Well, it? You know, you're almost talking to almost talking to the wrong person. So, okay. <laughs> you know, I picked. So the, I have a funny history with this. Uh, I had played it when it came out on the PlayStation Three. I got roughly eighty percent through it. I didn't realize I was eighty percent through it. Otherwise, I would have pushed through. I, I thought maybe I was only half. I didn't look up a game fact. But I personally, I love the art style. I'm sure you've heard a ton about it. It's mm-hmm. got a very uh, manga look to it. It looks like it's hand drawn. The, the the it uses cell shaded graphics with cross stitching shading, which is a comic book technique. And seeing it in real time in a video game is just awesome. And to this day, it holds up well, despite the fact the game's probably close to ten years now. But right. um, uh, the gameplay is a unique hybridization of turn based. Uh, strategy, tactical, I should say, should say, and mm-hmm. real-time shooter, first-person shooter, or third-person shooter. Uh, it oh. combines this all into one. So when when you start off a round, you kind of are given this tactical board where you see little icons representing your soldiers and what classes they are on the board. You highlight, and you can kind of see the enemies that you can view that you have line of sight on. You click on your soldier for to move him, and when you do that, suddenly the camera zooms in on that part of the map and is suddenly right behind your soldier. So before it was kind of looking like there's this war table map, suddenly you're right there on the battlefield with the camera behind your soldier, which is awesome. Um, and as you move your character around, there's a little meter at the bottom showing how much movement he has left. Anytime during your movement, you can go ahead and take a, a shot at the enemy. And that's like a third-person shooting shooting thing. It will show you what percentage chance you have to hit. Or, you know, I think it's what percentage chance you have to hit uh, if you're out of range. That sort of thing. Now, if you get too close to an enemy, there is a little bit of a real-time component to it. Because if you get too close to an enemy who has the right type of weapon, he will automatically start firing on you and will get automatic hits on you. So you have to move in certain areas where you're right in the enemy's crossfire. You're going to need to move quick and know what your your strategy is from getting to point A to point B. If you're at a distance, right. you can take all the time in the world. The enemies can't move until it's their turn. Your characters can do the same thing. The enemy will sometimes be moving around, you know, coming close to your guys, and you'll have a couple of scouts there, and they'll do some intercept fire and take him down before you even got a turn because the AI is kind of stupid. So, um, and, and people loved it. It, it, it it's beautiful. It's it's original, it's gameplay, and it doesn't hurt that it has a pretty good story. Not mind-blowingly awesome, but pretty darn good. It, it had a couple of tear-jerking moments. Uh, but, you know, when I played it on PlayStation 3, I didn't like it because I started off loving it. But as I played more and more, I realized the game was extremely unbalanced because you can move... So you get, like, let's say 10 turns, and you got 10 characters. Now... You could feasibly just do one person for each turn, or you can actually stack multiple turns onto one character. It does mm-hmm. reduce their movement every time you do that for the second and third and fourth turn. But if you're using a scout who has a large movement range, you can still get pretty darn far with two or three or four turns. And since a lot of the maps can be won by taking over the enemy's base, you can take your scout, go right up to their base, you know, throw a couple of grenades in there, jump and take over a flag, you've won. And so a lot of the boards became, instead of me trying to figure out how to beat the enemy, it really was just like, okay, how can I cheese, you know, the defense mechanic? You know, there's also some special maneuvers you get later on uh, that your commander can do to buff up your guys. So to win a battle really quickly, you stack your debuffs up on your scout. You have him move two, three, or four times because he's got all the buffs on him, and you take care of business. Um, So it it just felt kind of shallow. And if the computer played as smart as the, the players did... The games would be very frustrating because 
the computer would just come up, explode people out of your base, uh, and win. Not to mention, it's really easy to kill somebody. Just go up, shoot them in the head. Headshots mm-hmm. are easy in this game because everyone stays still while you're aiming. Um, so all of that felt very unbalanced to me. It felt like that what they did in order to to keep the game interesting and to keep it from being too difficult is they made the AI dumb as rocks, number one. Number two, to keep it interesting, is that a lot of the boards have these boss mechanics that you don't, or, or, or different mechanics that you don't figure out until you've played it once or twice. So you'll spend 30, 40 minutes in a battle. Something will happen that will just, you didn't expect because it's scripted into the battle, uh, something that's never happened before, and it'll potentially wipe out your group. You'll have to, like, go back turns or worse yet, you know, depending on how you save, because you can save in the middle of battle, or worse yet, start the battle all over realizing you really need to plan around this. Once you know this piece of information, the battle then becomes cheesecake. Like, for example, in one battle, enemy tanks show up surrounding your party almost. Uh, they're a little bit of a distance, but they're flanking you. Uh, tanks are easily taken down by lancers, especially if the lancer's behind the tank. Um, these guys are escorted, though. So if you are surrounded and you try to just run up with your Lancer and kill the tank, you're going to get shot up. It's not going to end too well. But knowing that the tanks are going to spawn there, the next time you play through, just put two Lancers in the corner of the map. Wait for the event to activate, and you have dead tanks. And that battle just became so easy, it's not even funny. It just didn't feel to be like, for me, when it comes to strategy games, I want this to be a strategy. I want this to be a tactical RPG. When it comes to those like Final Fantasy tactics... I just mm-hmm. felt like it was more about coming up with different tactics on the fly. The AI kind of reacts a bit to it, but of course I'm smarter, so I win. But but there, you know, there might be a boss with some special abilities, but it was never anything that I felt like I had to know ahead of time in order to win. So that's where I got frustrated. That was eight years ago, Phil. Older Phil knows people that beat this, knows that it's a great praise game. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to beat this game, and I'm going to do it on the PC, and I'm going to play through it. And I did. I got all the way, you know, through to the end. And it was really funny because I have a brother who loves this game, and I was just egging him on the whole time about how bloody, you know, one-dimensional the, the, the strategy is in this game and how I was able to cheese it and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and one, one of the other things is when you get through a battle quickly, you're rated purely based on how fast you get through the battle. So if you get through the battle quickly, you earn double or even triple the golden XP. Now, you can go far, but in these, there are maps that you can play over and over again. But it, those, there's only a handful of those, and, and they really get repetitious really quickly. If you really need XP or whatever, then that's where you go to. But the game really rewards you for using these cheese tactics to win as quickly as possible. Because my brother was like, if it bothers you so much, just play it normally. I'm like, but the game's rewarding me to do it this way. It's really pushing me to, 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 to get to the enemy base as quickly as possible and beat it. Um, not to mention that means I get through the game faster. You know, the, the battle, I don't want to be stuck in the battles for two hours if I don't have to be. So, you know, it was it was pretty interesting playing through it and going back and forth with, with somebody who, who absolutely adores it. One of the things that I point out is people who love it, I always ask them, did you play it again? Ask anybody who loves Valkyrie Chronicles. And I'm sure there's a couple, but the vast majority of people that I talk to is like, eh, I played it once, it was great, I haven't been back to it again. Good strategy games, tactical RPGs like Final Fantasy Tactics, you want to go and play them different ways. You want to try different strategies. Valkyrie Chronicles doesn't really inspire that. With that being said, in this playthrough on the computer, I did get through it all. Um, I will say the story got better. Uh, I, I, I didn't go far enough to get some, some of the more tear-jerking moments. And I felt like the, the, the last battle was gimmicky, but it did feel satisfying. And I liked the way the end of the story kind of wrapped things up and tied up some loose ends. 
Uh, and it really felt, it was like a heartfelt story. I felt like the story was a good payoff for, you know, getting through the game. So I would recommend it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm the, I'm, I'm still a huge fan of the gameplay of it. With that being said, um, Valkyrie Chronicles 4 was on sale, uh, this Christmas and it just came out a few months ago, right? Uh, but it was on sale for 30 bucks. I picked up a copy and I know, uh, I think it's Jonathan was telling me that the Valkyrie Chronicles 4 does address some of my gripes. And in playing, I just dived into it. I had a Christmas break, so I dived in and played like a handful of the you know story missions. Uh, I don't know if the story is going to be as good as the first game or not. Didn't spend that much time with it, but I will say in Valkyria Chronicles 4, they I think he's right, at least from my first experiences. They set up the maps in such a way. I mean, the, ga- the, 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 the core gameplay mechanics are roughly the same. There's not actually a huge difference between 1 and 4. It almost feels like Valkyria Chronicles 1.5, but the maps are set up better to be more strategic it feel a little bit less more like gotcha puzzle mechanics that you need to know ahead of time in order to to, to do good on. So uh, we'll see if that lasts. If I go back and play it some more, I've got things on my plate right now. But uh, I, I believe them. Just it's the I've heard that from a couple of other people as well. But if you're gonna play four, you might as well go back and play one just to to see where it came from. So. And I, I've heard that the entire series has kind of tone issues where one is is very good, two is kind of like high school persona stuff, and then three has a very dark s- story, but then you have to play a fan translation of it. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I actually uh, played two for a bit uh, on my PSP while I was playing one uh, as my portable game, and ho, 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 ho. You know, you can only do so much with the PSP as far as graphics go, so take that away, right? Which is one of the big selling points of this game. Uh, number two is the maps are much more limited in scope because of memory issues. So what they did was they chopped up into pieces. So you'll get through, you'll go to this enemy camp, and then, in, you know, instead of having a big map, we'll see four enemy camps that you take over one at a time as you're waking your way to the main camp. Instead, mm-hmm. once you take over this enemy camp, you teleport to a whole nother map. So you'll have three characters on map A, three characters on map B. And by the way, you can't have as many characters as you can in the original game either uh, on map at once. But you'll have your forces divided. It just feels piecemeal. I get it. It's what you're doing with the PSP and its limitations. But mm-hmm. uh, but then on top of that, the story is definitely very much, much campier. Uh, your, your kid's in a college that's teaching warfare and... Uh, there is this this uh, this story about the civil war is broken out in the country, and you're on this side of it, and you're addressing it. But there's all these college shenanigans and stuff. Oh, but by the way, we got to go kill these guys who are on, who are our countrymen in civil war. To be fair, like all you know, the first Valkyrie Chronicles moments, I did gripe a couple of times where they were dealing with these heavy war themes. One second. I mean, we're talking like some really dark, serious stuff, and the next minute they're hugging their pig with wings and joking about their their pig. You know, who keeps going, moink! And it's it's, it's typical JRPG stuff. It, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it, it could use better timing. You know, I mean, Final Fantasy VI does the same thing as we discussed, but could use a little bit, I mean, I felt like that game timed it better. I mean, when you go directly from someone just died to, hey, let's kiss the pig, it, it's a bit jarring. But but in Valkyrie Chronicles 2, it never stops. So, yeah, it's, it, yeah, <laughs> that's a rough one. They, it feels like they chopped up our Valkyrie Chronicles and put it in a blender. So, but four, but four scene, I mean, I've heard a lot of great things about four and my initial impressions are pretty good. So as I get time here and there, I'm going to continue to pop out a map here, a map there and just work my way through it. 
Okay. So my recommendation is go ahead and try. I mean, Valkyria Chronicles for the PC, you can get it relatively cheap. A lot of people love it better than I do. And I did enjoy it once I forced myself to get through the whole story. Uh, I will say it probably, if you don't want to get frustrated like I do, I personally get very frustrated when I feel like the game has done a gotcha moment. I feel like we're going to, you know, we talked about this with Final Fantasy VI. The game teaches you certain things as you go along. Uh, specifically in regards to how you're going to have multiple parties dealing with dungeons. It's taught to you right from the beginning of the game. Whereas in Valkyrie Chronicles, suddenly there's this massive game-breaking tank that has specific invulnerabilities. To be fair, they drop you some hints here and there, but if you're not connecting the dots, and some of those things don't have hints, uh, you know, one of the bosses in particular, in order to take her down, you have to surround her while there's a smoke cloud going on. I, I would have never figured that out with reading an FAQ. I would have died numerous times, and, and again, you can kind of reload your save, so it isn't you know it isn't as bad sometimes as, as as other times. But personally, I find that frustrating. I don't like it when I feel like I have to go get my answers from an FAQ or through a lot of trial and error. When it comes to a tactical RPG, trial and error right. is great for certain platformers where, like Super Meat Boy, that that's fine. <laughs> that's the core premise of the game. <laughs> uh, Dark Souls, you're gonna die. Welcome to hell. I don't like Dark Souls, so I don't play it. Valkyrie Chronicles, eh, too. So, but it's like five bucks on sale. Ten bucks, I think, retail or something like that. So, you know, you give it a shot, you know, and and you'll have a good time with it. Okay. Because I've thought about picking it up on the Switch, but I've heard that the Switch version kind of has questionable quality. Yeah, the Switch version, from what I understand, takes a little bit of a hit in the quality department, plus you're paying the Switch tax. You know, here we're going to take an old game that you can get on Steam for 10 bucks or cheaper, and we're going to charge you, what is it, 30 40 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, granted, you're getting it in the palm of your hand, which is the trade-off. Mm-hmm. If that's worth it to you and you got the cash to, to spend, go right ahead. Um, but if you've played it before, you got – just I would just – it's something I put – I think it was 20 hours into – and uh, I don't plan on playing it again. It's it's not something I yeah. Uh, get Valkyrie Chronicles four. You know, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna get one for your Switch, it's gonna be a little bit longer. It's going to be better balance. It's gonna be from what everyone's telling me a more memorable experience. I think you'll feel like you get more money out of that. Okay. Cool. So go and check it out. If you play Valkyrie Chronicles, you want to disagree with me or you agree with me, feel free to leave comments on our on our webpage where we post the the podcast or hit me up on Twitter, of course. We'll talk more about that there in a final lap. Speaking of, we're going to take another break and we will return with the final lap.
Welcome back. This is uh, the final lap where we read comments, we chit chat. We we just it's the final lap. It's the kitchen. It's the kitchen sink, uh, and and everything. So uh, wow, two hundredth episode. Uh, so you heard a brand new introduction to our show. Those of you who've listened to all of our shows, which I know there's so many out there, uh, you know that I like to switch it up about every twenty five shows. So you want to win something? We like giveaways. Everybody likes giveaways, right? Oh, of course. Yes, of course. Yeah, giveaways, giveaways. So check it out. If if you can uh, if you can send me a private message on Twitter on Discord and tell me uh, where those uh, there's two intro songs that I use and one that translates transitions into the other uh, and and you will win a free game from my grab bag. I'll send you a link to the list of games I have in my Steam and my GOG account for giveaways and you get to pick one. So, uh, and so there's two prizes, really, because there's two different songs. And I guess if you're the first one to guess both, you, you can get two. You do have to be specific. It's not good enough, for example, to say, oh, yeah, that's a science fiction TV show. Or, oh, yeah, it's the, um, let me, uh, gosh, uh, it's, it's Batman. No, you have to tell me which <laughs> Batman movie it is specifically uh, to get that right. And no, you can't list like five different things in the same message. You have to like give me only one guess per message. The first one who gets it right wins the prize. It's that simple. Again, you can do that on Twitter or Discord. Two different songs, two different prizes. Very excited about my new intro, as you can tell. Uh, our last show was our – what's that? You just gave a clue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of clues. Um, so RPG Backtrack, episode number 199, What a Stash – uh, we had a comment from Strawberry Egg. She said, I started Dream Team too little too late to be on this episode since I could only contribute to one game. I am liking it thus far, and it's a shame that Paper Jam isn't as awesome as its premise makes it out to be. You would believe I still haven't played Super Paper Mario since that Backtrack episode. I don't remember how many years ago. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I, I have the worst memory. Mike stepped out for a few minutes. He could probably tell us he's much better at that than I am. And I haven't played a whole lot of Mario. As I mentioned on that podcast, the only one I played is Mario and Luigi. And I wasn't super taken by it. It's cute. It is really cute. But it's it's kind of not my cup of tea. Um, which is kind of a funny. It actually kind of kind of ties into a conversation uh, Miss Kelly and I was having earlier about uh, Persona Q. How right. people love Etrian Odyssey. Because Etrian Odyssey Nexus just came out super excited. We were talking about all the different classes, and, and, and this is a great send-off for the 3DS line of Etrian games. But we were also talking about Persona Q and how Persona Q2 was just announced, but how some people love Etrian Odyssey but don't love Persona Q. And I think that might be per- yeah, because of the cheese factor, right? Well, like I said, it's uh, you, you got too much Etrian in my Persona. Well, you got too much SMT in my Etrian. And it's, some people just don't really like the, the their chocolate and their peanut butter mixed together. Versus me, I'm like just just dump it all in a bowl and feed it to me. Hmm. Hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm like that with food too. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's all going to end up in the same place anyway. So might as well. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. I'm from the south. Not, we do that kind of shit all the time. It's not like you're talking about chocolate and mouthwash. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. That would be kind of disgusting, I guess. But it does go in through the same place. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't go all the way in. Yeah, the mouthwash <laughs> isn't supposed to go down. That is kind of key there. Um, <laughs> the LZ's already uh, jumped the shark, I think. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, gosh, uh, 3DS, uh, I tweet, uh, you know, I got uh, tweeted earlier 
that uh, what is next uh, Etrian Odyssey Nexus and our current CRPG club game, which happens to be Secret of Silver Blades, a gold box D&D game, uh, what do these two games have in common? Uh, and why am I excited for both of them? And the answer is they are deep dungeon crawling RPGs where mapping where in the hell you're at is very important. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, but let's do a round table. Uh, oh, yeah, let's do round table. That's where we just go sure. around, ask what you guys are doing, what you're playing, what you're writing for the site, what's got you excited. Mr. Pascal, we are so excited that you are back on the show for this 200th episode. I can't remember the last time you're on. It's been a hot minute or two. Weren't you the one who hired me? Was it you? Or did you mixed it with somebody else? Who hired? I don't even remember who hired me like 8 million years ago. Yeah, exactly, and I haven't, I haven't been around that long. You haven't been around? Okay, I'm, I'm mixing with somebody else. But I'm still excited to have you on, Pascal. Uh, you, help, you help me a lot with, uh, with my edits on my post. Uh, so, what are you doing lately, my friend? Well, you're going to be really excited about the game I'm currently playing uh, for review, which you know will probably still take me uh, anywhere from another week to two, but it's, um, it's your next uh, Idea Factory Compile Heart RPG Nice. Is, is it marriage? No. Oh. Um, no. Um, for, um, on uh, on Discord, anybody on Discord, uh, there have been some. Uh, there have been a, a slew of uh, pictures from marriage being posted. Oh by God! Josh. Yes. Josh is playing it. Ooh, that, that, those have been some interesting photos. Yeah. Note to self: don't open them at work. No, I'm playing um, Death End Request, which so far has been um, about. 300% less salacious based on Josh's screenshot. <laughs> but it still, um, it still is your uh, visual novel uh, RPG hybrid, and the art style is of the... Uh, Holy cow, this chick isn't wearing any clothes! <laughs> what the hell? This is not safe for workplace! What the... Oh, yeah, that more than a... oh my god, it's seared into my brain! I can't unsee this now! Is she what are you even looking at? Is she are you even, at the right game? I don't know. I just typed in "death and request" into Google Image oh, Search. Okay, yeah. Well, this is, and that's still nothing compared to uh, Josh's Idea Factory game. But yeah, um, so death and request. Well, there's uh, what, this like picture of what looks like this teenage girl, and she just has straps. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. even clothing. It's yeah, like that, bandages. That, that's like moe for you, man. <sighs> Yeah, um, yeah. I was about to say this is it's still got the uh, the art style of the jiggly variety, so uh, you can't quite get away from it. Just of to, course, um, of course not. Idea um, of <laughs> of uh, hold on. Yeah, I think we're I think we're out of um, out of embargo. I think it's safe for me to say like just a sentence. Um, the character I just picked up is the um, obligatory cat girl. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> oh, that's um, why you said cat girls. Yeah, I was being too cryptic. I'm sorry. But um, so um, when your party encounters her for the first time, they describe her as um, she appears to be about ten years old. So put that in perspective with the art that uh, you looked at. Well, now and I'm then, Goog- now I'm googling it up. Yeah, I would Google. Google that. You might get on a list. Yeah, you're gonna have to Google uh, prison sentences for for looking stuff like that up. Oh, jeez, right? So she does correct them. Um, she isn't. She takes offense at being called ten years old. She's not ten. She's actually fifteen because that makes it. Oh my gosh! All the better. You know, this reminds me of a Fire Emblem. Was it Conquest or Birthright or whatever have you? But one of the one of the love interests you can do is this this girl, but she's supposedly an eight hundred year old dragon or whatever. But yeah, she looks like an eight year old girl. That's a uh, tiki. <laughs> 
Yeah, Tiki. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I can't do it. I just mm. can't do it. <laughs> but is, aside from the, the Moe or whatever, is the game fun? Or are you allowed to talk about that just yet? That's a good question, but... um. <laughs> I, I'm sure you're just going to edit me 100% out of the podcast if if I'm breaking some kind of embargo. Oh, totally, totally. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it's been fun. Like, notice how I'm stretching that a little bit. Um, <laughs> but there are there's a really cool twist to it where uh, the game takes place inside um, a VR MMORPG. So any of the actual like dungeon crawling is. Um, within the game, within the game world, right? But there's also, um, there's the other half of the game, which is the guy who's playing the, uh, who's playing the game from his, from his apartment, if that makes any sense at all. I, don't, I may be doing a poor job of describing it. Um, because he, uh, his co-work disappeared a year ago. He's a, so he works at a game development company. They made this game and his coworker disappeared. And now she's resurfaced a year later and she's stuck in the game. So he has to play the game to get her out. And you play him playing the game and then you um, switch control over to her inside the game. So oh, what, what that I, actually what sounds I, pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a neat setup. So the mechanic that I like is that when you switch um, control back over to the guy in the quote-unquote real world, he has um, investigation sections where he has to um, travel around his, you know, the real life town and uh, and look into. Um, I don't know. I'm not far enough, and I don't want to give it away either. But uh, he has to look into uh, secrets and, and strange things that he finds out about within the game to help advance the game. And it, that part is is all told uh, through visual novel style. But it's a it's a really neat twist. It's like a like a like a real world. Um, detective story mixed in with the, uh, the the fantasy role playing, you know. So I kind of feel like the um, yeah, like I said, the art style, the very uh, you know, the almost nudie girl stuff, kind of takes a back seat, and it isn't as pronounced as maybe in other games. That's my take on it so far. It's been kind of fun. Cool, cool. I look forward to your full review on that. I feel like my review is going to be um, the truncated version of what I just said now. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, shoot. Anything else, uh, that you're playing or you're working on and it's been a while. So anything you want to share with us? Um, uh, I, I think in a, um, a couple of, a couple of weeks, there may be, um, some kingdom come deliverance, um, uh, content <laughs> coming up because they, they, they are, I, I can't remember if they already did or are about to release, uh, another DLC. I was, I was talking about that game to anybody that listened to the, uh, Game of the Year podcast. I was the 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 only one on there championing um, Kingdom Come Deliverance. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! Yeah, and yeah, um, I, I definitely heard some very divisive opinions on that mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. To put it mildly, divisive opinions. We won't go there yet. <laughs> yeah, I got a brother who plays it a ton, and he loves it to death. And he tried to talk talk me into it. Um, I just have too many old games on my plate, you know, right now. Yeah. Well, it's it's a really hard one to get into as far as like um, as a casual thing. Yeah, it, it it requires that you devote I don't know uh, at least an hour to two just for something as simple as learning how to pick your first lock. Ooh. It's pretty um it's pretty intense, especially in the first you know twenty hours or so because you go from um from well you 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 start out as a, a lowly peasant um and so you have no skills that uh. 
um, that a noble born would have. You don't know how to ride a horse properly, how to handle a sword, how to read books. And everything that you can do in the game, you have to literally learn. And that doesn't mean just, you know, allocate skill points into a into a skill tree. You have to actually put in time, perform mechanics, and slowly, slowly get better at something. And even then, um, things like the combat system are really, uh, I feel, difficult to get a handle on. I think um, when I was talking about it on the on the Game of the Year podcast, uh, Glenn... Glenn summarized it after my description, uh, kind, um, kind of as a, wow, that sounds like a, like you had a lot of fun with a really broken game or something like that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so they, uh, there's a, a piece of DLC coming out for it, uh, or a new piece of DLC, which I may be covering. And I just covered, um, I'll, I promise I'll stop talking now, but, um, I just covered, uh, Monster Boy. And that's such a great game that I just, like, I want to, uh, encourage uh, as often as I can anybody that will listen. Get it, play it. it it's out for the Switch. It's out for PS4, probably the Xbox. I'm guessing, and it's great. It's a Metroidvania game. Look at it, play it. Um, you nearly have me sold on that. I've just had other just stuff to play. Yeah, yeah, just from Utah. Well, you and um, Player One Podcast talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wheels has chimed in with it too. Uh, how how great it is. On a previous podcast, it's it's worth it. I am. Uh, done. I, I'm always down for a good Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, don't worry about the time. It's the final lap. We we go on for three hours here, uh, but that's fine. No, it, it looks. I'm just looking at the screenshots. I know I've heard about it before. Um, super pretty looking game. Just jump, I love the aesthetic on it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, it, it's I, one of those games that look like a, a cartoon. The hand-painted cartoon emotion. I don't even think screenshots like do it justice. Um, I think it may be the best-looking game I've ever played. I don't know if I'm if I'm just being overly oh. dramatic now, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I thought I thought Dragon Quest XI looked great. I think I picked that as my um, like visuals of the year or graphics of the year. But uh, if I could have picked Monster Boy, I think that would have been an easy Monster Boy. Um, I, I may have said That's this before. Phrase. I, I may have said this before, so correct me if I'm repeating myself, but if you like that one, you need to play Shantae next. Yes, and I think I have one of them on Steam, maybe. You're right. You did mention it, and it's it's on my list, and I, now hearing that, and compared to Monster Boy, yeah, I definitely would try it. I think um, I have the older one. Yeah, you can skip on the Game Boy Color one, because um, you can only find that on the 3DS Virtual Console anyway, uh, unless you go through more illegal means or you have a ton of money but um the first one is okay and it's kind of neat to see a game that's that pretty on running on the game boy color but it hasn't really found its legs yet and then risky revenge is is pretty good too but to me um pirate's curse and have genie hero was where it really shines i played um i think pirate's curse maybe uh at e3 for like 20 minutes or so Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was at the end of the show, like on the last day, and I just needed, um, like I had a time to kill. But then I, I didn't play, I couldn't justify playing it because I was there to play RPGs and, right. and not Shantae. So that's that's about the only time I've I've played it, one of these yeah. days. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a good series. It's definitely worth all the hype it gets. And I, I love Shantae. She's one of my favorite characters. You know, um, Phil was saying, I think on a chat somewhere like a day or so ago, um, and I agree with the sentiment. I he said, um, 
he doesn't think he's going to live long enough to play the games he currently owns. So like getting new games does not sound like a good idea. And I, I think about that all the time as morbid as, you know, as, as we're going to get with that. I, I will keep playing until I am blind or <laughs> until I go blind or w- until I'm in a nursing home, whatever comes first. Yeah. But you're, well, you're at least you're focused on the positive. I'm more, I'm more thinking of, you know, how many games are my, Never going to play. I mean, realistically, even at this point, am I ever going to go back and play my, you know, let's say like my PS2 backlog, like on the actual PS2, the physical mm-hmm. PS2 games I have? I don't know about that. There's just so many current games I already have a backlog. Yeah, yeah. I just, I think I, what I told my wife is like, if the PlayStation 5 isn't backwards compatible, as much as I like new games, uh, I've loved like the New Earth Defense Force. That's a PlayStation 4 exclusive, uh, you know, a whole bunch of them. But at some point, I just got to stop and say, I've got so many great games here mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, to have another console take up another space, I'm never going to get to, a, you know, everything anyways. At some point, I draw a line and say, I say, you know what? I, I'm kind of getting up there in years. And at some point, you're just like, I'm just going to focus on what I got. And mm-hmm. I still won't get – I probably won't even get to half of it. Yeah. And every time – I don't know if you guys are like this, but every time I get a new console, um, it starts out – you know, I, I promise that, no, I'm going to keep you know playing my current – whatever the uh, main console is because that's where you know all my, my current backlog is on. And the new console starts out with, you know, it's got one game. And that's how it stays for a few weeks. And then and then at first, very slowly, but then it starts speeding up and speeding up. More and more games come onto the mm-hmm. new console. Like when I got the Switch, it just, like it literally just kind of sat in the corner for quite a while after I got it. And now I've got, I've got a, a big backlog on the Switch already. And I have to almost abandon, like, my PS4 at this point. Yeah, the Switch... It. The Switch was a very unusual system for me because I usually wait a year to get a, a new system. And this time around, my husband was like, hey, I'm getting a, getting me a Switch. Do you want one for your birthday? Because this was one that was hard to find. And I was like, oh, okay, twit, twist my arm. And I think I ended up with about 10 games that year, which is unheard of for, for me, at least for the first year of the console because – you know, there usually just isn't that much, but man, the Switch just came out of the gates swinging. Everything's on the Switch. Yeah. You're There's right. one. That's one reason I haven't purchased a Switch yet. I am holding out to see if I can go another year and a half. My kids are like just at that age where they're not ready to pick up a controller. I mean, they probably could, mm-hmm. but Garden's talking about, oh, you got to get a Switch. Do you play Mario Brothers or anything? Another year, maybe I can finish off the 3DS. Even come close to putting a dent in my Vita pile, but oh my yeah. poor Vita! You no, know, Matt. Speaking of the Vita pile, somebody on this cast whose name begins with Fia and ends with Ill decided to give <laughs> me some cash so that I could purchase something for the oh. Vita. Something <laughs> <Hey>. called. <laughs> Mary Skelter Nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> something that in the uh-huh. first few minutes presented me with the following words. Selecting whom you want to lick will activate that Blood Maiden's Wetzel <laughs> skill. <laughs> if Alice licks Red Riding Hood's blood splatters, party members can heal or may even get temporary boosts. Wow, no wonder Anna liked that game so much. Uh, come on! Oh. That sounds totally awesome, Mike. Uh, that's, that's just great. It's all about taking care oh. of your party. It's all thanks to you, Phil. I now am playing a game where I am instructed to lick the blood off my party members. 
Mmm, yum, yum, yum. It's not you, theme on this final lap. <laughs> hey, as a famous man, um, Paul Stanley once said, you have to lick it up, lick it up, it's only right now. Yeah, yes. but he was using his own tongue, and I, I have to... <laughs> I have to just imagine it because this is Compile Heart and Idea Factory, so of course it's not animated. Of course it's just it is. The menu. Oh, Mike, you, well, missed, Mike, you, you had like a ten out. minute. I was like talking about his Compile Heart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's got a great experience on his hands. I can't even unsee the images that were posted in her Discord. I wish I could unsee them, but I can't. <laughs> oh dear, scroll up, scroll hmm. up a little bit. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I see some lady who appears to have a whole bunch of purple scythes hanging around her midsection for some reason. And, of course, she looks to be about five years old, and yet... Yeah. Oh, she has bunny ears of some kind. Well, he pegged it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yep, that's... That is some classy stuff right there, Matt. Just add a little blood and start licking, and there you go. There's there you go! Oh. It's great that you have started that up. I that, I actually downloaded that on my Vita, but I've got a slew of games that I need to get through before I can start getting into these hilarious. You know, I'm I'm glad oh. I'm glad my mother-in-law doesn't actually pay attention to what she gets me for Christmas because she bought me that <laughs> game for Christmas one year. I just had had it on my aunt, and she brought it over and I'm like, oh, I am so glad that she didn't actually look into it. She just put, puts it in her cart and hits purchase because. Boy, that would have been embarrassing. What game was it? Mary Skelter Nightmares. Oh. Well, you you know when you deal with Idea Factory, and, well, I know from Idea Factory experience, I'm not somewhat experienced with Compile Heart, but I'm just going to assume that the same level of sophistication and quality greets you with every one of their titles. Very much so, I'm sure. This is... This is the type of game where you can just show off a random screen to people around you at work, and they'll go, that looks awesome, and not what the hell are you playing, and why are you playing it? <laughs> nah, no, showing no. off some of these screenshots will land you in HR rather quickly. <laughs> it was a gift, I swear. <laughs> I never. I, I told you guys the story of me playing, what was it? Uh, oh my gosh, that Vita RPG. Gaze on the plane? Yeah, on the plane. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, right. that's a good one. Oh yeah, yeah, like you want to cover up the screen and the little kid's sitting next to you. What's that? No, no, bad screen, bad, no. I, I didn't know the lady with the half-naked, you know, boobs was just going to pop up on the screen. Like, it's a dungeon crawler. Like, I just went to the end of sleep. I didn't know there was going to be a cutscene. Darn it, Phil. <laughs> kids need to learn this stuff sometime. Demon gaze. stranger on the airplane should be the one to teach it. <laughs> yeah. It was demon gaze. They're gonna gaze. learn the birds and the bees from somewhere. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Might demon as well be the perv. Demon gaze, and of course she's she's under duress, which means she literally gets hot. <laughs> no, no, bad. Is that also um, compile heart? Uh, yeah, deep demon gaze. It's one of the two. I feel like um, the compile heart idea factory combo is the is like one of the few where if you just show somebody a screenshot immediately, compile heart. Yup. Idea Factory? Yup. Well, my earlier experience with Idea Factory wasn't so much that. It was just more, here, let's have you go into endless, very, very long fights that are freakishly complex and yet completely stupidly simple if you know what you're doing. And throw about 15 different options that you are supposed to consider and then you can forget about until the game decides to crank up the difficulty again. See also, played... Agarest. 
Agarest Zero, and Chaos Wars. I've only played Fairy Fencer, and now, um, what, what did I call it? Death, Death's End? Death End? Death Re-End. So that's it. It's got that re, right? Uh, Death End Request, yeah. That seems to be the new <laughs> thing now. There's Neptunia Rebirth and Request here. Those are the ones that I've lost track of how many Neptunia games there are. Are those the re-releases? Is that's why it's Request? Um, this one isn't. Uh, no? Neptunia is, yeah. In this, um, for the one I'm playing, it's it's got something to do with the in-game uh, plot, with the um, stuck inside the game and having to get out. There's a um, a plot reason for it being called that, at least as far as I have been able to tell so far. I will take your word for it, because I'm not particularly eager to go track it down for myself, not knowing the people behind it. See, I have only played Neptunia. I played a little bit of Neptunia. I think I talked about it one time. I bought a bunch on sale this October, and that got us started one night. But which Neptunia? There, there are what fifteen or so it, now. The the first one. It was all the. Okay. It was the yeah re one re two re three, put up today. The Neptunia Hyperdimension Neptunia re one got extra content on the PC. <laughs> Her, yeah, right? I think it was uh, it was Joe um, who had mentioned that he's into that, or maybe he was being facetious, but. <laughs> Somebody on the, the uh, game of the year one was, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Joe. Like that's not the kind of thing you should joke about. So he, he since he said it, however he meant it, <laughs> now it sticks. Yeah. So um, anything, anything else before we move on? Well, I mean, I, I went over, but I, uh, I think I kind of derailed it. So somebody else get it back on track. Well, I, I tell you what, let's, let's take a hard turn because. Well, you've been playing pervy stuff, like, like, hey. uh, I'm just teasing. Um, I, I've been all wholesome. Oh, 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 have you been playing this wholesome thing with the Disney seal of approval? Yes, yes. Oh, I'm nothing but wholesome and G-rated, even though there's heartless and darkness and all of that stuff. And the most bloodless stabbing I've ever seen in a Disney game, referring to uh, the Tangled level. I, I, I could probably take three guesses and get all three wrong. What might yeah. this game be? It, it would, it, it would it's be... Probably, uh, it's probably the licensed adaptation of Tangled, right? Oh, oh, oh yeah. I, I really love this Tangled Frozen crossover with... Uh, well, I guess there aren't really any Final Fantasy characters in this one, which is actually kind of sad. <laughs> so I don't think... Yeah, go ahead. That, kind, that came up briefly um, during the Game of the Year podcast, and then I think we kind of moved on, but I was just going to say, isn't... I I just don't remember the Final Fantasy characters ever really having much of a a place in the Kingdom Hearts games, other than just like kind of there. But you know. I I think they were there just to, as like placeholder characters because they they probably didn't have time to write original ones at the time. And then you know with like what thirteen years in between two and three, they're like, mm. oh wait, we've got t- time now. Were they a we big can... part of two? Not really. The Gullwing showed up. There was uh, kind of a huge fight with Cloud and Squall. I'm, I'm sorry, Leon, and uh, like the huge Heartless battle, and Tifa showed up. Oh, and and Arin was in it. And um, well, they're they're in it, but like, yeah, it's, it was conceived to be this Final Fantasy Disney crossover, and mm-hmm. I think it's definitely you know it's definitely Disney, but I I just don't really recall it being like heavily. Final Fantasy themed. Yeah, no, the Final Fantasy characters were just... I mean, you you could have replaced them with rocks and it wouldn't have made that much of a difference. They were just kind of there to help sell the game to um, RPG fans. 
Mm-hmm. So it was like, instead of a duet, it was more of one of those songs where somebody else is rapping for 20 seconds and then they're done. Yeah. Oh, factoring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind, kind of like that. Though I, I do appreciate, I, I did appreciate Aaron at least being a playable carrot, being able to be in your party in two, because Aaron is my um, second favorite Final Fantasy character. But, is your uh, first? Is your is your favorite from a, a little game called Final Fantasy VI? I, I actually, no. It's from the band game on the podcast, yeah. the one that Phil will kick me if I. Yeah, I was. I was about to say Phil is going to kick you right now. Yeah. Like <laughs> there, there's a. Re- it has to be Leon from Final Fantasy II because no, that's no. my favorite. <laughs> let, me, let me give you a big hint. What? It's the reason. It's the reason why my name is red everywhere. Hmm. Could it be a character that generally walks on all fours? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I think I know where this is going. Yeah. But that, that's that's getting off topic. Kingdom Hearts three. <laughs> I am loving this game. I have not been able to put it down. Um, I only just got through Monstropolis last night, and I'm about to go to the Frozen World, which I'm kind of dreading because I'm terrified that Let It Go is going to be on a loop the entire level. <laughs> you cannot escape not. it. Th- there, you you could is... not escape it five years ago, and you can't escape it now. There is only one Let It Go, I'll acknowledge, and it's by Def Leppard, sir. Hmm. <laughs> well, I I generally prefer... What the hell is it in? I can't I remember the name of my freaking Def Leppard favorite song right now. Arg! It's all your fault, Kelly. You got me thinking about other things than Def Leppard. Yeah. I blame you. Kelly, did you like Brutal Legend? Oh, yes. Yes, I couldn't put that down either. <laughs> but uh, off topic, um, I, I am loving Kingdom Hearts 3 so much. I, t- tears were shed when I was finally holding it in my hands because I just couldn't believe that it's actually out and fun. And p- part of the reason why I'm not reviewing it, even though I should, I'm I don't think I could be objective because the the combat is kind of vapid and the story is just, you know, Kingdom Hearts, so it's all over the place. And, you know, I feel like me and my husband have done nothing but complain about it since it came out. <laughs> but but I'm still having so much fun playing it. I, I, I ran on my lunch break today. I think I just spent my whole lunch hour just running around with my ship in the gummy ship looking for uh, gummy ship blueprints. Because all the gummy ship stuff is open world now. Interesting. Yeah, on paper that sounds so stupid, especially if you didn't like the gummy ship stuff in the original. But in this game, you know, you actually kind of get the desire to go explore because you can find different ship patterns and money and experience and all this stuff. And there's treasure spheres that you have to do a puzzle to unlock. And it's it's just so cool. And that's only like one part of it. And then there's... um, the cooking mini game, which is very WarioWare and kind of hard to get the hang of, but that's also kind kind of fun. And you're um you you have a uh, Remy Remy from Redditui helping you, and they they don't call him Remy, they just call him Little Chef, and he's not even voiced, so he doesn't even sound like Patton Oswald because he doesn't talk. <laughs> and what else? The, the game is freaking gorgeous. So they um, didn't get Patton Oswald. No, no, unfortunately not. Um, Yeah, some of the voice talent is a little jarring because it's off. Like, Woody and Buzz don't sound like uh, Tom Hanks and... um, Tim Allen. Tim Allen. I almost said Woody Allen. 
<laughs> no, t- Tim Allen. That would um, have been even... a very daring casting choice now. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, but I think it's Tom Hanks's brother that's playing Woody. So it sounds just... Yeah, it sounds. Now you've got me thinking of an alternate world where Woody Allen voices Buzz Lightyear. Uh, look, I, I don't know if there's any intelligent life in this planet. But I'm going I'm to check around. It's dangerous. I don't know if I can possibly come out of it all right. So I'm, I've written several wills, and they're placed in several different spots, so that it's guaranteed someone is going to find my my last will and testament. Although, oh my goodness, there's a cowboy. There's no possible way I can ever stand up with a cowboy. Your little stammer at the beginning was perfect. <laughs> yeah, you, you sound like you've shopped that uh, impression there. <laughs> Not so much, actually. But um, Woody Allen has a very distinct personality. Yeah, yeah, but um, so yeah, the Toy Story level is amazing, and there's a you'll have to Google it or put when you play the game. There's a very interesting little trailer at the beginning of the Toy Story uh, world that. I'm not going to spoil it, but let's just say that it's um, Nomura at his finest. <laughs> oh God, sorry, I had I have to Nobody else got there. a joke. <laughs> tr- tr- trust me, when, when, if you look up the trailer, you'll see exactly what I mean. Oh, but yeah, I'm having so much fun with that game. I, I If you can't tell, I, I can't wait to play more of it. I'm get, I'm actually going to be genuinely sad when I'm done with it. And um yeah, my, I got it from my brother. I um I pre-ordered it for him for Christmas and um I think he finished it within 2 days or 3 at the most. Wow. I don't know how how long it is, but I'm pretty sure it's long. Yeah. It's like 20 to 30 hours, right? Yeah, if you if you critical pass the entire game. I say I'm I'm taking so long because I'm making a point of doing all the um trying to find all the treasure chests and all the lucky emblems. Yeah, he's still playing it now as well. Like every time I see him on, that's what he's doing. That's good. I haven't had that knack for just being able to plow single-mindedly through a game in years. I always have to break it up with something else now. Well, maybe maybe Mary Skelter will change it. Maybe it will. Hey, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe I played a little bit of a break today and thought, wow, look at this wonderful story that's coming along now. Oh my goodness, they're no longer wearing old disgusting rags and talking about how they've been tortured for years in jail. Yes, this thing is set in jail. I got a question, Mike. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a dungeon and Mary Skelter? The world may never know. <laughs> <laughs> Like, why don't you play a good dungeon crawler like a Trian Odyssey Nexus? Um, because it just came Ooh. out today. Okay. That's the question and of the I week. did not have the chance to go to a store today to pick it up, so it's coming via Amazon. There you go. I see. Well, to, to be fair, I only, like, literally just rolled my characters for a Nexus, but uh, yeah. I'm, I was kind of paralyzed with choice because there's so many classes you can pick from now. Yeah, mine's just... way too many. Mine just popped in the mail. <laughs> Mike, have you played an Etrian game before? I don't remember. Yes. I'm sure to remember. Yes, I have. The last three or four of them. <laughs> hmm. I, yes, I have played numerous Etrian So see, before. he's ready for a Mary Skelter. He's ready for a game that's a little different. You know what? You're right. I, I especially love this mechanic that Mary Skelter has introduced called Nightmares. They're kind of like foes, except they move in real time. So you have to constantly be stumbling around the dungeon in real time. And you can't beat them. You can put them down for a little while and then run away. 
Doesn't that sound great? Yeah, that's why they're called nightmares and not your best buddies next door. Well, you know, those foes, they were they were pretty inconsequential after all. Nobody paid any attention to foes. Mm-mm. That's why you need at nightmares. Least the, hey, at least the nightmares slash heartless and uh, kingdom hearts are kind of cute. I don't know. Enemies that are designed and meant for you not to beat them is one of my, my, my biggest pet peeves. Like in um in horror games that feature like usually one enemy that uh that you cannot defeat. You have to constantly run away from. I hate that more than anything. It's one of the only things right now that's keeping me um from running out and getting Resident Evil two like immediately. Yeah, when I heard about that in Resident Evil 2, I got completely turned off to the game, too, because I don't like yeah. that either. I hate that so much. I was going to say, like, in Etrinasi, you can defeat the foes. I mean, sometimes yeah. you have to come back after a few levels or whatever, and Persona Q, you know, foe gets in my way, I just take it down. Well, no. I thought that was pretty good about Q, yeah. In Mary Skelter, you have to run away from them in real time. I can confirm this. You have to move quickly, or else they'll just catch you and force you into a fight that you will... You can probably win, but you by winning, you get to knock them down and run away. Hey, do, really do, do you have to lick while you're running? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen any touchscreen use interface yet. Yeah. We'll see. Will Compile Heart have decided that the Vita's touchscreen must be implemented in some interesting and probably not safe for work manner? We will find out. Maybe you have to turn the Vita around and lick the back. Ooh. <laughs> Hey, if it, I didn't want to spoil this for you, Mike, but now I can't help myself. You know, like in the third dungeon, too, it introduces this new scratch and sniff mechanic. It's so cool. I don't want my games to smell, thank you. <laughs> you have to scratch and sniff it, just like those stickers. Yeah, it, it, it's bad enough that, you know, when I'm in the car, like switching a DS card or whatever, sometimes I'll, I'll st- stick the card in my mouth so that I don't drop it in the car. It's bad enough when I forget to do that with a Switch card, which tastes so, nasty. Well, what you're saying is you like you, you stick the corner like into your lip, you know, and, and hold it there. Yeah, well, no, not it's not like I'm trying to swallow the card or anything. Mouth. It's just kind of like ho- holding it in my teeth while I'm fumbling with cards so that I don't drop it in the seat. I thought for sure you were going to say you sniff the slot, like, after you take the game out. <laughs> oh my gosh, we've got off track.
Mr. Mike, do you have anything? Um, hmm. Actually, here, let me just post this image. It, this is safe for work, actually. I just want you to look at a couple of the characters who are in the very beginning okay. of Mary Skelter. All right, look, they, they look kind of cute. Okay, little black-haired girl. She's wearing some dirty rags, but at least they cover her whole body, unlike the last game we were looking at, where they were literally strips of cloth. Well, I, I want you to menu. consider that... That that's a band aid, and it appears to be on top of her hair, which is going to be very uncomfortable to remove. Is that a band aid? Is you sure it's not just a barrette of some sort? I'm pretty sure it's a band aid, hair clip she, or something. She and Jack are in prison. Where? They, no, I'm sure they're in jail, where they get tortured and they are forced to lick the walls. This was actual dialogue. <gasps> so this More is like, like Willy it. Wonka, where the walls taste like candy. <laughs> no, it was supposed to be torturous. Okay. <laughs> unless it's unless it's really really bad candy. Oompa loompa doopity doo. Oh, and look look at that girl on the right. That's Red Riding Hood. Oh yeah, she's got a hood. It's it's I, red. She looks very happy, and she's fully clothed. So so far, I don't see any problem with this game. Well, that, that, this is the beginning. I'm, I'm sure I will have more interesting things to report to you later on, because everybody just see that girl Alice wearing the rags. She just got an outfit that's not rags. And it's actually not just little strips of cloth either, but now she looks kind of like Sailor Moon. Oh, well, everybody likes Sailor Moon, right? Go Sailor Moon. Moon prism power. Yay. Yeah. Anyway, I really haven't played enough of this game to, to say much yet, except that, uh, yeah, I, I get to lick the blood off of people to get stronger. That's that's a wonderful concept, isn't it? Here we look, we look like forward. you're trying to be nitpicky here. Yeah, well, we look forward to your future, you know, installments of your adventures of Mary Skelter nightmares in future episodes of RPG Backtrack. Sounds yeah. as long as Rainbow Skies. Hmm. You know, I'm going to say that Mary Skelter is not going to provoke the same diligence and perseverance that Rainbow Skies did. I could be wrong. That's a possibility. Oh, and I didn't even notice that the according to GameFAQs, the Metacritic score for this is seventy-eight. Wow, that's pretty reviews. That's pretty good. Yeah, well, that's that's a decent score. The, hey, the user score not, is eight point seven. Come on, like Mike. Good. Yeah, especially for a game that's not a triple A game. I mean, holy cow, that's pretty good. Well, I, I'm just saying that it's made some questionable first impressions but first impressions are just that and rpgs tend to be long enough that they have a chance to wear out their first impressions with more substantive reactions later on okay anyway, i just i just put up a review I, matt in fact yes you did know about it i think pascal knows about it too yeah. everybody knows about it <laughs> yeah it took me a little longer to write the thing than i wanted but there it is i did it i wrote a review oh. for mario and luigi bowser's inside story plus bowser jr's journey I want to play it. I just finished that. And it's pretty fun, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there were some bits that kind of annoyed me, but for the most part, I had a lot of fun with it. So, Mike. Did you go through Bowser Jr. stuff? No, no. Okay, then I recommend. I've always liked the Koopalings, and they play a prominent role in it. Okay. So, Mike, did you enjoy this game? I did. Okay, then I can I can promise you you're going to enjoy Mary Skelter because you gave this a four out of five and Mary Skelter is getting like an eight plus out of ten, you know, at a game facts and the scores translate. So you're golden, man. Slam dunk. Right, Phil. How can I possibly be forgetting the 
universal applicability of our rating scale to that used by every other outlet on the internet. Yeah, totally. What the matter with me? Yeah, I don't know, dude, but I'm very excited for your time with Mary. Well, I may not be able to give it my full attention for a little bit because Alex gave me this thing called War Groove on Steam that I'm supposed to be reviewing also. Ooh, is that the Advance Wars? It does kind of look Advance Wars-ish. Okay. I've just installed it. I haven't actually played it yet, but I will. And I will review it. From everything I know about Mike is when he says, I can't give him my full attention, that means he's only going to play 150 hours instead of 200. (laughs) You know... By next week. Rainbow Skies is an aberration. I haven't managed to put that amount of time in on anything in years. Though, it could happen. What was the last game that you put that much in before Rainbow Skies, do you think? That amount? 500 hours? None. No game I've ever played reached that total playtime. Me neither, so I can see that. Okay. I, I I'm not sure I, think, I was 500 hours in my life. I think my highest number of hours in a game, not counting WoW, is probably Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. I put about 200 hours into that. I didn't put that many into Tactics Advance, but I did put a lot. Partly because I was not trying to finish it. I was just going around, going through the missions, seeing everything that was there, having fun with it. Yeah, I was, like, trying to ma- max out every single character, and I eventually just had to stop. But I, I was also in college, so, like, literally every single waking moment where I wasn't in a class or I had downtime, my Game Boy Advance was out playing that. Similar situation for me. I was, actually, I was over in Europe at the time. Huh. And my Game Boy Advance was a very handy thing to have, because nothing, if I had tried to bring a console, it wouldn't have worked very well. Well, there's a time change that explains how you had so many more hours to spend. No, I'm I'm just going to say that I was a carefree, willy-nilly college student who didn't know any better and also had no real responsibilities and was able to get sucked into things much more easily. Yep. I can see that. We're all young. Aside from Morgroove. You know, I did this a couple months ago, but I don't think I actually talked about it on the final lap. I downloaded what I thought was Strider 2 on my Vita, and instead it was Strider 1, which I have somehow never played, and I didn't actually have much fun with it. Is that the old NES Strider? The the Genesis one, or I guess the arcade port that was pretty much made on, remade on the Genesis pretty faithfully. Okay, there was also a different Strider, though, I think on the NES. I'm not sure if it ties in, you know, if it's part of the, the numbered, I don't know. I don't, know I don't think it is. I know it's a completely different game, and it's much more lengthy and substantive. The original, I just don't find it all that much fun to be so easily killed because the screen doesn't move very fast and your controls are kind of stiff. Although, for, I guess for 1989, they're pretty good controls, but I didn't play it at the time. So I, I'm a failure in the, in the annals of retro gaming. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because of Strider? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> wow. I didn't Strider, know Strider was Strider like the bar. is one of those retro games that people hold up as a paragon of greatness, and I'm not seeing it. Are you being serious right now? Yeah, it is <laughs> pretty much recognized as one of those, you know, pillars of the NES generation. But, or Mesa Sega, but whatever. I, I, I agree with you, Mike. I never, I tried it several times, and I, it never hooked me either. Right about the time when I was going through a boss rush in the final level and just getting sick of... 
I can't get around this stupid thing. And I've jumped so sluggishly that I keep getting hit, even though I know it's patterned. I was just, I was ready to be done. I was. And I don't think I suck at all retro games because I've beaten Revenge of Shinobi many times. Anyway, that's my sad, my sad sob story of how Strider did not overwhelm me with magnificence. I hear that. Oh, he's got Mary Skelton. Oh yes, that is definitely (laughs) a a compatible and completely synchronized type of game with Strider. (laughs) Just just ask the people at Compile Heart and Idea Factory, and I think they'll tell you how much Strider inspired them in the creation of Mary Skelter. Well, did Strider get an 8 out of 10? Because then it's got to be just like Mary Skelter. You're right. I don't don't even know. Let's look on GameFAQ. Let's look on GameFAQ. Are you going to write up a retro view for Strider? I hadn't planned to. I guess I could. But I've never written one just for GameFAQs. This is not as well-beloved as we might have otherwise led people to believe. I, I can't believe Mike. that. It's not all my fault. I absolve myself of most responsibility. Yeah. Also, look at that! Look at that terrible cover for the American release. Ugh, ugh, ugh. ugh. Oh, that three point seven two out of five is not a. Uh... Although it is the number seventy eight highest rated Genesis action game. <laughs> Only seventy seven <laughs> higher rated Genesis action games on GameFAQs. <laughs> oh, who knew there were that many? There were a lot of action games on Genesis. I've played a lot right. of better ones, I would say. <laughs> I'm sure you probably have hit some of those other 77. Hey, you'd be better off getting Gunstar Heroes, man. I Is have Gunstar Heroes. Gunstar Heroes rocks. That's where it's at. Is this the same Strider that came out on the NES, too? Not quite. That game is, is not a port of the arcade. It's uh, a completely different game. That one I gather it's, more of a, it's much more non-linear. Uh, yeah, and it's, I don't know, I think it's a little bit more story-oriented. I'm not too familiar with the, the, the Genesis Strider. I think I played it for five minutes. The Genesis one is typical of a lot of arcade games at the time, in that you, if you let it play without touching anything, then you'll get a little scrolling text saying, oh my, there's an evil thing, and then you hit start, and you're flung into the action, you go kill a bunch of shit, and by the end, you kill the bad guy, and you get a quick arcade ending. That's well, that's where your guy is pretty big, right? You have, like, a large on-screen yeah. dude. He's in a the, big sprite. In the NES um, Strider, it, um, your character is much smaller. It's fast-moving. Um, you know, it's still an action game, but there's a. I know there's a little bit of an emphasis on story. You can, um, I think you can choose levels to go to in, in, in various order, um, and there's locked doors in, in different worlds that you have to visit you know, one place first, get a key, then go back somewhere else and get the, I, I can't remember, the double jump boots or whatever the item is that you need. And I that remember, game was, um, yeah. According to Game FAQ, it is not as beloved as our other Strider. This was the 455th rated <laughs> NES action game. <laughs> it, wow. You're, there's not 77 wow. better. There's 454 <laughs> better. <laughs> I wonder if they're being slightly generous with the definition of an NES action game there. Are they counting, that, say, that, Bubble Bobble as an NES action game? That's a lot of NES action games. I know there were a lot of games for the NES, but Wait, I don't know if there actually, were that many pure action. Does it actually say 455th best game? 
As in, like, that's still a measure of quality? No, it says <laughs> that it's the highest, the 455th highest rated NES action game according to GameFAQs users. Overall on the NES, it's number 1,106. <laughs> Thanks. I, I, I gotta say, uh, that, that seems... That seems a little unfair. I would have to look at the list to see what's above it, but there are probably... You can't come up with a 1,000 off the top of your head that are better than this? No, 1,100, sir, not just a 1,000. <laughs> I, I, um, I remember when I played it, I was, um, I, I was like learning English. I was an English learner at that, at that point. So I knew the language somewhat, but I think it also has a really... Um, <laughs> Difficult translation, like for um, um, localization, I mean, from from Japanese to English. So I remember just being baffled, like by what was happening in the story. <laughs> and I guess that what? over time that translated into like looking back on it with fondness, maybe. Well, you know that it was localized by Capcom, renowned at that time for its high quality translation. Oh, wait, I may have just short-circuited the internet with that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Matt, you didn't say that it's rated the number 462nd shortest NES action game. I mean, the the ratings are at least consistent. 445th worse. And (laughs) it's going to be 465th best, I thought. Well, if it's it's hanging out in the 400s, at least it's consistent. The six reader reviews have an average score of four and a quarter out of five. So good. the people who could be bothered to write up their feelings felt much better about it than the people who just wanted to put a star rating. That's true. That is true. But I haven't tried to read any of these reviews. This is probably not the right time to try it. Good game, bad translation. The There's the title of one. Anyway, I, I think I've exhausted my stuff for the moment. Although I could keep talking more about Mario and Luigi, because Kelly, you should... I know Bowser Jr.'s journey is kind of an RTS, but it's a a pretty accessible one. Okay. Is is it better than the Bowser's Minions RTS? It's similar. There are a few improvements. Now you can have one of the Koopalings or Kamek be a co-squad leader, and they have access to additional commands that you can input in battle. Okay. And, and there are a bunch of formations that can give you some stat advantages. It's pretty similar overall, though. So if you hated that, then this isn't going to change your mind. Okay. I just I I didn't play Bowser's Minions, but I heard that it was very grindy. A little bit, but it's also very accommodating to being an easy grind. None okay. of the, even the longest battles don't take you very long, and you can always you'll have enough variety in terms of troop options that you can always switch things out and try something different. I mean, that'll probably help you out. Okay. Um, well, we'll have to see. Um, like I said, a ne- Nexus came in the mail, so that's probably going to eat up the, my, my time for February. Nah, Etrian Odyssey, they, they tend to be pretty short. I imagine you'll need only about five hours to graze through that. Well, well, well. Just like Matt one. is going to tell us right now, because he's been playing it, and I'm <laughs> sure that he's completely convinced... Complete, he has completely finished the title and is just ready to go through it again in order to have a really informed review, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, I will say I had a bunch of other games going on, and all of a sudden I got that call from Alex and was like, hey, you want to review this one? A bunch of other ones I'll talk about in a minute to uh, jump on it. And 
a bunch of hours in in the first three, three or four days because um, the first came up pretty quickly. And I got my impression out for that, for what I was allowed to uh, pull. Um, and it was really good. It, I mean, it's Etrian Odyssey. You've played one, you've played it all. There are little minor gameplay things here and there. The big deal is you've got 19 classes. I mean, you're just going to go to town doing that. Um, 40 hours into the game, you're going to run into subclassing and just, like me, be really stuck again. Like, what am I going to start subclassing all these people with now? Make those decisions all over again. And I think my party's worked out pretty well. Kind of hard to be like, well, where could I improve right now? But there's always ways to do that. 40, 44 hours in, I'm in the eighth labyrinth. Um, And we were talking a little bit before the show. There are so many more places in this than the other Etrian Odyssey games. I mean, the standard formula other than four was you've got 25 floors to the end boss and then a post-game five-floor that's it, you got 30 floors. Well, I'm 40-some hours into this, and I've easily passed by 30 floors worth of areas. world's a little bit um, lovely, what do we call it again? Stratums? Not the stratums. No, the overworld works like the uh, side entry. The mystery dungeon. Oh, That's it. Yeah, mystery dungeon. overworld works like min- mystery dungeon. It's just okay. point and click. Yeah, there's no roaming around like in three and four point you click but there's a lot of places to go to um every labyrinth every other labyrinth will open a little side entry one so the strat they're not stratums they are called labyrinths and i can look on my list right now i've got eight different labyrinths they've all had two three four i think one even had five floors to it the side entries i got five or six right now so i'm well over 30 floors spoil it for myself but i did see somewhere somebody hinted it was over 50 so and there's a South Shrine, a West Shrine, a North Shrine, an East Shrine. And I just came to the third one. So getting about 70, 75% done, but well, maybe not. Well, if you all of the little side dungeons in Etrian 4, it definitely had quite a few total levels. That is true. And, I mean, what's cool about it, and the reason it's called Nexus and everything, is a lot of these um, dungeons are pulled from old stratums. Dungeons from one, and uh, I just walked into... Was a copy right out of like the very first floor in the very first Etrian Odyssey, and that was really cool. <laughs> and I was expecting to roll the monsters that were there, and no, 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 they're they're appropriately uh, leveled to my level thirty five forty party, so that it, it wasn't a breeze through there. But um, it does some interesting things. Uh, one of the first labyrinths had like a double boss fight, not hinted at, and you're suddenly. Hey, you want to? You just beat this boss. You want to save your game, and you're like, "What? Wait a minute! Why is it doing that right now?" I hope you save. Back again. Yes, I did because that took about three tries, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I've had lots of games overs. I want to say my play time. I looked it up earlier today, and I want to say I have about five hours on my 3DS clock compared to my game time. There's been a few. I got actually, and I don't think I've ever had this happen in an Etrian game before. Um. I got stuck. Go anywhere. I forgot to bring one of the warp things with me. Oh it no! Was, it was in a level where I'm taking a little slider across paths, and I think the sliders reset when I went up to the next floor. And I'm walking around the next floor, and I'm like, "Okay, I'm about dead. I need to." Oops, can't warp. So I went, tried to go back down the level to the exit. Like it was inaccessible. 
with it for about 15, 20 minutes and finally was like, man, I just lost that progress and had to reset. So, um, what difficulty do you play on? Basic. Okay. And I will, I, which is, so they've got picnic. That's ridiculous. I set it to picnic once for a couple minutes and was like, no, one round defeating foes and, and bosses of where I was. And they lock you in the picnic on this game. Ever move down to the picnic difficulty? You're there forever. Um, I I always Basically. or every. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, you keep cutting out, so I wasn't sure if you was done talking. Um, ever since four came out, I've played on the picnic difficulty just because my um portable game time is limited anyway, so I don't really want to lose a whole lot of progress. And I I kind of like being able to just enjoy the game without the stress of having to worry about how much progress I'm going to lose. I'll say I'm unabashedly buying the DLC now that it's finally out today. I've had the game for a couple weeks and struggled through it, and there was one part where, man, I just wanted to throw my 3DS against the wall because I was at the end of two different labyrinths, two different side labyrinths, the main labyrinth, and there was an overworld foe, and I couldn't beat any of them, all four. I was like, I've ground to a halt here. Almost did picnic, but... I'm not out for a huge difficulty. There are two levels above that. And the hardest difficulty this time, um, I guess people get a badge or his card if you beat it on that. And you can't ever get out of it. You can't switch into it. You got to start on it and you got to stay on it. Um, Yeah, that's not for me. (laughs) No, that's not for me either. You have raised the level caps in this game. Um, Usually the games are level cap is level 70. And then you can beat bosses to go to 80, 90, or 100. The default level cap in this game is 100. Work your way up to 130, I suppose. So I, I think that might attest to a, it being a little bit longer game. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it's a trip down memory lane. I mean, you're, there's NPCs from old games in there. Um, the old bosses, the old... I mean, some of them, they would pop up and I'm like, oh, I know how to beat this guy. I just got to poison him and really... So it, um, other than uh, my only complaint, and I've seen people say it too, is it, they didn't spring for uh, voice acting for this one. Yeah, and unfortunately, Persona Q2 is in the same boat. Correct. I mean, Persona Q2, I can kind of see a little bit more, because you'd have to have so many different players that are known. Whereas Etrian Odyssey is just grab somebody off the street and go, woohoo, yay, there's a path. <laughs> Yeah, sure, it's a little more new. There's a budgetary but... concern. Oh, I'm sure. It, we're here at the end of the 3DS lifestyle. I mean, we're lucky we're still getting a couple games this year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, Mike, what you just reviewed and Etrian Odyssey and Persona Q2, that might be the bulk of this year's 3DS. Uh, well, I got an ad for Yokai Watch 3 in my face <gasps> this morning. Oh my gosh. Yes, I'm hoping to be on Q&A Quest on Monday to talk about that because... Nexus is going to have to take a couple-day break when that comes out. <laughs> I do love some yokai about that for a couple weeks. But... So, yes, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's not much for uh, the entirety of 2019, though. No. 3DS so, had a good run. Yep. Um, and just real quick, I'll, I, I had a review up last week um, for the Marion and... I don't know that word. Tavern story, the uh, Patty and the Hungry God. Marian and Kemko. Meridian? Uh, Marianan? Marianan? Mm. Story game um, for the 3DS, but um, something Tavern Story, Patty and the Hungry God, light take on kind of like an atelier. 
game, it was all about food, and I found it absolutely hilarious. Everything in the game revolved around food. Your players to get a higher level eat more food. Food was experience points. Um, and it was all about ingredients. It was all about cooking. It was just a, it was just a good one. And I had just started, I know one of our features was, what are your gaming goals of uh, here? That was one of our features. And I put on there Persona 5, and I got five hours into Persona 5 for two nights of playing. I was like, this is great. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that after Nexus clears up, but uh, 2019. Well, apparently I know going to be a good chunk of my early 2019 time, but we've already talked about that. We have. We know what you're doing. Phil, what are you playing? Well, I already talked about that a bit on CRPG Club, and what I've been working on for January will be the subject of the next CRPG Club, so we'll hold off on that. I did take a, a week to in Tennessee where I finished up Final Fantasy VI, my replay of that, as we discussed, and uh, I, I kind of got dealt with it a little bit faster than I thought, so I had some extra time, and uh, I, I only had my laptop with me, which uh, isn't the most powerful thing in the world, so I couldn't play you know, anything newish. So my wife was playing a great a game at the time, and she said, why don't you play this game? It's really cute. It's a game called Graveyard Keeper. Oh, I've heard of this. And if you're a fan of Stardew Valley and thought that, oh boy, Stardew Valley's just not complicated enough or is just way too chipper and needs a little bit more dark humor, then Graveyard Keeper is the game for you. I I I just had these days on my hands and, and, I, and I got my mom involved and she couldn't stop playing it because she likes farming <laughs> sim games. So Graveyard Keeper, you're playing this guy who's who gets hit in an accident. He's reading his cell phone. He's walking across the street thinking about his girlfriend or wife or whatever. And he gets hit by a car. Next thing he wakes up and he's in a house and he walks out and he's, and he's being told by everybody, Hey, you got to take care of the the graveyard. You need to dig some holes. You got to bury some bodies. That's your job. Uh, and it's this medieval society. So we went from being a modern society to being this medieval society. And his only clue for maybe, you know, getting back to modern day life is to, is to kind of follow the breadcrumb trail. This game is super, super deep. Like as soon as you start talking to somebody about maybe how you can take that first step, uh, like they'll say, take meat to the innkeeper. Well, you go to the innkeeper, find out he can't take your meat until you get a seal of approval. You can't get a seal approval until you get the backing of this one person. You can't get his backing until you do this and this and this and this. Nothing in Graveyard Keeper is simple. You're going to want to take notes or have your Wikipedia on hand, uh, you know, for Graveyard Keeper. So there's a Wikipedia for it, of course. And this doesn't just extend to the depth of the quest. This extends into the farming and the crafting side of it. Because to build stuff, there are layers and layers. And if you play farming games... You know what layers means. You know, you got to have this, these two vegetables to make this salad. You got to have this salad in order to build this, this fancy dish. Graveyard keeper, of course, you're, you're burying bodies and there's all kinds of things you can build. You do have a farm. You, you got vegetables. You, you tear down trees to make wood. Uh, you go mine ores to get metals. There's a dungeon where there's monsters and monster parts. Just like there's everything in Stardew Valley, just ratchet up to 11 or 12. Uh, I, I, 
Yeah, like there's a little bit of farming. It, it it isn't like Stardew Valley where every morning I'm going out watering plants. In fact, like in Graveyard Keeper, there's no watering of the plants. They just grow on their own once you plant them. It just takes some time. It takes a few game days or whatnot. The game days run kind of like Stardew Valley in 10 minutes, I think I, I want to say. Five or 10 minutes is a day, and you can spend half of that sleeping easy. Um, what's really cute, though, is you're not just uh, – the farming is the small part of it. You're You're – going and killing monsters to get monster parts you're going and cutting wood and getting ore so you can build up uh you know machines that can do stuff simple machines you're going to uh dig crypts uh people there's a donkey that's delivering bodies to you on a regular basis and it's really funny because he's a socialist so after he delivers you a few bodies and he sees that you're making money off of this because every time you bury a body you get a death certificate that you can trade for some silver he's like how come you should have all the money you need to help me out here so you're gonna have to start giving more carrots and you're gonna have to give me sundays off because this is ridiculous and he starts calling you a capitalist swine and stuff it's hilarious but you get the body and you got to go bury it or you need to at least cremate it to cremate it properly you need wood again it goes it goes really deep later on you'll want to do special embalming or you'll want to decorate your graveyard in order to raise its 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 appeal value to the residents it's part of the church so the the residents will come in every week for the church the better your graveyard looks and the better your church is uh the more they will tithe tithes are so important because that puts money in your pocket and in fact like one of the hilarious things is you can research the sermon of prosperity the prosperity gospel gets people to donate more, right? With the promises they'll make more. So it, it fattens up your pocketbook. It is so freaking hilarious. But anything you want to do in this game does require a number of steps. And that's where the game might falter for some people. Because unlike maybe Stardew Valley or some of the other you know games of the farming simulation type that I played... Um, Graveyard Keeper starts off telling you in the game what you need to do in those early, you know, how do I build this logging machine? Well, you need this and this and this. And it starts off easy enough. But then very quickly, I might add, it, 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 it's, it stops giving you these steps. And, and, and like, for example, alchemy, when you're mixing ingredients together to make something new, the game doesn't give you a list of what you can mix. So you're going to have to look at a Wikipedia or you're going to end up trying 800 different ingredients to see what you can come up with. And to make this a little bit more frustrating, your inventory space is limited. So you have to store a lot of your items in, in storage chests that are located. you got a storage chest by the church. you got a storage chest in your basement. you got two storage chests in your house. you got two in front of your farm. So you're going to be running back and forth if you were going to do trial and error. It's much easier just to look it up on the Graveyard Wiki, uh, and which is what I do. My wife, who is the one who souls in this game literally has a pad where she's taking notes and keeping track wow. of, you know, the deeper quests or the, the more complicated things it takes to make. And, and, and on one hand, you know, if you guys have listened to me on RPG Backcheck, you know, I really hate it when when games don't aren't intuitive and I feel like I have to look up FAQs. But the charm and the appeal, and I'm curious to see, like, uh, you know, what's going to happen next. Unlike, like, in Stardew Valley or some of the other farming games, harvest moon or sometimes there's not really an end game there might be like hey make the farm profitable in three years but it's kind of vague like minecraft graveyard keeper it is more focused with these quests it's just figuring out how to satisfy those quests is very very difficult without the help of the internet or some friends who are playing the game which is kind of fun since my since my mom and my wife are playing at the same time we were texting back and forth with her or getting on a conference call with her and saying, hey, what about this? What about this? And now we have a, a WhatsApp group made up where we're sharing tips and tricks. 
Um, normally, not my cup of tea, but it is cute, and everything's more fun with people. Uh, and it does have a sense of humor to it. So, and, and you can just see, like, you can just go on YouTube and see some of the animation. It's, I, I will say, it looks a lot better than Stardew Valley. When I try to show Stardew Valley to my mom, she loves farming games. She likes games like Farmville and stuff. And I try to explain to her that Stardew Valley is much better because you just pay for it once, and it, there, it doesn't have all this stuff time locked behind paywalls uh, like those cell phone games have. But she took one look at Stardew Valley, and she's like, oh, but it looks so ugly. I'm like, it's trying to be retro. No, it looks ugly. Graveyard Keeper does look a lot more appealing. Like, she took a look at Graveyard Keeper. It's a higher resolution. It's still pixel art, but it feels more like Super Nintendo, where Stardew Valley... I'm not saying it literally looks like Nintendo, but it's leaning more in that direction. Or maybe early SNES. you are saying that your mom needs good graphics. At least... Later <laughs> Super Nintendo, or let's just say what PlayStation One pixel graphics, uh, Dreamcast. There you go. But Graveyard Keeper, you can see it from the screenshots. Definitely has a lot more detail in its artwork, uh, and, and it's just char- it's very charming in its look. Again, it's on the darker side. The church, you know, there's darker. It's a darker palette. You are a graveyard keeper, after all. Your church looks like it's falling apart. Your graveyard has a broken fence and holes in it. Mushrooms growing up over the place. The trees look like they have faces in them. They're half dead. Uh, but 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 it's 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 charming, just in a darker way. So yeah, I I spent I what I I think I bought it for I don't know how fifteen bucks or twenty bucks or ten bucks or whatever. And I've spent. You know, while I was on vacation, 20 or so hours with it. So I've already got my money's worth. It's a game that I'm going to return to from time to time. And, and and you know, just so I can have something to chat about with my mom. Uh, it is cute. But I will admit that it's not perfect. It is a little frustrating because it is way deep. And it doesn't explain itself well in the game at all. Like, just for example, in order to make that sermon, I need paper and ink. In order to make the ink, I need... You know, the paper was kind of easy, but to make the ink, I need black paint. To make black paint... I, black paint, I gotta go to the alchemy table and I gotta, you know, merge these two things together. Nowhere does it tell you what those two things are. It's just ink. I just wanna make the damn ink. So I have to go look it up on Wikipedia. Um, and, and then I found out, well, did you get this powder? I gotta go decompose this body. How do I decompose? It, it's just it's just a endless thing. But once you start getting it down, or if you're taking notes, it helps. But once you start getting it down, starts clicking, yeah. If anything, it is, you know, it's, there's a little choice paralysis and like there's so many different things you can do you could improve your church one day. You could work towards that in, or maybe improve your camp. Or oh, by the way, you got zombie workers. Eventually, you get the, these guys that you can put to work doing those chores for you. So if you don't like farming, you don't like chopping wood or doing some of the more farmy stuff, have the zombie do it for you. Make more zombies if you want. The game allows you to do that, and you can put you them in front of the workstation. Trust the zombies to do things. Oh yeah, they're very they're very linear. They just go right to work on what you tell them to do. Okay. Uh, it, it is, it is, it is super cute. Um, it is on Steam. It is on GOG. Uh, I got GOG. Um, I don't like DRM, but get it whatever way you want. It's a cute game. I would check it out. Um, and, uh, I think that's all I have. Let's see here. Wow. 200th episode, really long episode. Thank you all so much again. Super, super, super excited. Uh, you know, super grateful to have uh, the opportunity to have 200 episodes here with Mike Minky and the other friends from RPGamer.com to have the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite RPGs of all time. Uh, it is just super, super exciting to be at this at this big milestone. I think Mike and I, we started, we, we kind of took over with episode 11, but that was like 8 or 9 or 10 years ago. I, I, I don't remember. It's between 8 and 10. I'm hey. sure we could look, I could look it up, but 
Yeah, yeah. you're right. It's it, between it was, eight and ten. It's between eight and ten, and uh, and, and 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 to say that we, you know, yeah, uh, here we are, uh, here we are, you know, two hundred episodes or one hundred ninety episodes later, uh, doing the big two hundredth episode. Uh, just really, really grateful to all the staff at RP Gamer for 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 helping us get there, as well as of course. Uh, uh, Mr. Michael Cunningham, who you know came up with the idea and was very instrumental in helping us put this together, we started out and keeping it going. So uh, just and just... you know, in Mac would have, Mac would definitely have been appreciative of the fact that Final Fantasy VI is available on many handheld platforms. That's right. At least hashtag, now, hashtag Team Handheld. So. Uh, but thank all of y'all for being on the show, uh, for those of us who are joining us and listening to us and leaving comments and tweeting us and everything else over the years. Uh, this is not the end. We got more shows coming up in the future. Uh, so with that being said, Mr. Minky, we do need to go to sleep at some point. So, uh, I'll what, first let me remind everybody, RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the gaming community on the net. Check it all out at RPGamer.com. That's where you can read Mr. Minky's review of something, something Bowser's Inside Story and Koopa Kids, uh, something. And his upcoming review of Mary Skelter licking yeah. to the inside of the dungeon. It's coming. It's coming, and it's an exclusive of RPGamer.com. RPGamer exclusive. Check it out. Because you amazingly don't... enough, no one else has reviewed it from the site before. I can't imagine how... Yeah. What an oversight. You... What an oversight. Hey. Yeah. Before, before you sign off, I just want to say thank you for being around 200 episodes, because as someone who was a fan of the show before she became a cast member, you, you got me through some pretty long boring projects at my previous job it was it was definitely the crew yeah it's always been a team effort uh mr minky puts the shows together you know you guys a lot of times i go silent because you guys have so much to contribute uh and 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 honestly if i was just doing it by myself or just do it with mike this this would have never lasted this long i'm i'm sure lots of people that are fans of the show feel the same way that you know you need a lot of content to be if you especially if you have a boring job having shows that are like hours long can can go oh, yeah. a long way and yeah. I, i've always appreciated oh, yeah. that and, and and little quick rpg backtrack you know trivia you know after like mike and i had done like 10 or 12 shows uh, you know, we were going to the farm and say, hey, what do you guys think? And there was some negative feedback about the, the length and the format of the shows. And some of that we used constructively. But when it came to the length itself, you know, Mike and I talked it over and was just like, you know, yeah, some people are going to like it. But we, there are also very focused podcasts out there for people who just want a 15 or 30 minute. There's YouTube. There's tons of YouTube mm-hmm. retro reviews where they talk about these games for 10 or 15 minutes. You want Final Fantasy 6 in 10 minutes? There's plenty of YouTube reviews that'll do that for you, but you know, but this was, you know, but like you said, we have had over the years, and it took some time, but we've had people come back and say, "Wow, I really do appreciate the fact that you took five and a half hours on Disgaea." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just, I don't, you know, Another God bless one. your hearts. Yeah, yeah. We so we managed that for our second Disgaea episode. Maybe no. that was just the games we had to work with in the second part. No, 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 absolutely not. So, uh, uh, but hey, you know, we got to see how things play in the future, uh, you know, like the like the CRPG Club and more games that we're going to be discussing. Uh, so we got a lot more things planned for you to kind of thank you guys for being so supportive. Uh, 
but anyways, check out rpgamer.com, the exclusive home of Mike Mickey's review of Mary Skelter Nightmares. <laughs> Mr. Mickey, do you want to put us to bed? Or his upcoming review. Do you want to put us to bed? I was going to say we should party like it's 1994, but that would require us to just throw out everything that plays CDs except for the Sega CD and then play some some Vi and some Popful Mail. So instead of playing like it's 1994, let's just imagine that it is 1994 again, only because you can play Final Fantasy 3 as if it were new, and you'll probably enjoy it just as much time. So, good night.